And welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Generic Video Game Podcast, Episode 3, coming at you. It is myself, Anthony Ernst, joined by my partner in non-crime, Shidoshi. Are we coming at them in, like, 3D? If you if you like, 3D glasses when you listen to this, um, does it, like, make the sound better? <laughs> We're coming at them in 3D audio without the hefty price. You know what we could do? We could, we could have our cover art be in 3D. And then we could somehow distribute 3D glasses, and then it would make no sense whatsoever because it would add nothing to the podcast, but we could <laughs> do it just to say we did it. Like back in, I mean, I'm going to ruin your intro already. I like, I enjoy doing that, but um, that was one of the weird things, and I don't think he's going to hate me for this because he already hates me for plenty of other things, but when I was working for uh, Mr. Halverson back at Play Magazine, there was this point where we got to this 3D kick. To the point that we actually had an issue of play where we distributed like 3D glasses in the issue of play. Um, and then we had one of the girls of gaming issues that actually had like 3D versions of some of the images. So it was really weird because all of a sudden we were on this big 3D kick for some reason. Like that was the... But I mean, not, not, like, not like Oculus Rift 3D or <laughs> anything. I'm talking like red lens, blue lens 3D. Yeah, we're talking like old school Friday the Thirteenth yes. bad. Yes. Uh, movie bad. Yeah, so we were like on this really big 3D kick for some reason, and I don't, I never was really sure why, um, but it was interesting. So you know, you got three 3D, free 3D glasses with our issues. So I may have those actually in a case not far from me. I completely forgot that that happened. It was for um, so I think part of how it happened was. It was something about Invincible Tiger, Invisible Tiger, some game was coming out that had a 3D mode, and so here's a little inside story for you that, that no one's going to care about. So uh, the game was coming out, so we, we had a promotion thing where we actually made 3D glasses for the game that were going to be in our issue, because I actually did a design for the 3D glasses. But the problem was, when our design person sent the final image over, after I'd given it to him, he sent the low-res version. So the issue comes out, and every single one of the 3D glasses in our issue is wrong because it's printed in super low-res. Wow. So they were pissed. Uh, so we actually had to, the next issue, include 3D glasses again for free uh, in order to reprint them in the proper resolution. That's kind of a crazy fact. Was, was that expensive to produce, or the excess uh, glasses? I wonder. I I I don't know the exact costs on everything like that. But I mean I have to assume it can't be cheap. Well, I will say this, you know, you, you did derail me on my intro and I had no idea I was gonna start with this topic, but uh, since you're on it. I do miss the girls of gaming issues. I I don't know that I do. <laughs> well, uh, let me say this. There I think there's a, a perverse aspect to it. I think there is some gr- gratuitous nature to some of it. Yet simultaneously, even in the earlier issues, um, you know, it did pay homage to a lot of female characters from anime and gaming that I believe are long lost, forgotten. No, that that is fair. And, and look, I am I am not necessarily the proper audience for such issues. Um, I, I, I mean, I love female characters, but I'm not necessarily like the kind of cheesecake version of them. Uh, but I, I mean. It, 
on one hand, it was kind of cool because, yeah, we got to kind of feature these characters. And sometimes if we get, like, official artwork from, from the companies, that was really cool, you know. And we could say, hey, oh, hey, look at, like, and part of it, too, was just whatever Mr. Halverson loved, you know. He, he loved uh, What's-Her-Face from production number nine or whatever. Oh, yeah. Or was three. it, like, Vanessa? PN3, yeah, Vanessa. Um, and, you know, so so she would be featured in there. And he liked the Battletoads queen. So she'd be featured in there. Um, <laughs> part of my problem, though, again, inside story, is that when it came time for digital, we did the R-rated version of the issues. And so it was my job to do all that layout. Because somebody else did the layout for the print versions, but then I handled all the digital stuff. I'm so, assuming that it was excruciating for you with your perspective or, you know what I mean? Like, so just, oh, yeah, okay, look, here's here's character i like with her tits out here's another character with her tits out oh here's a character with her tits out you know that's basically what it was to, to help save myself here i'll give a couple shout outs here to a couple characters that i feel were respectable and at least did get paid uh some respect in the magazines uh two that come to mind are elijah dragoon and uh you mean Alyssa dragoon is it Alyssa? i thought it was elijah i thought that meant Alyssa. okay well, i'll take either one I woke and, up as you telling me the other character. And then the other one, I believe, was uh, El Viento. Ah, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there were some great throwbacks in those. Alicia. Okay, so in Japanese, it's Alicia. So, yes, it's Alicia. Okay. Alicia. Um, no, you know, the, 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 yes, because, I mean, that goes back to, of course, Genesis era of um, game arts, right? Yes. And then also... Wolf team. I, Wolf Team, yeah. And I was going to say, I, I get confused sometimes about the exact which one was Wolf Team, which one was just Game Arts kind of general. But, I mean, that was the era. Like, I, I that was kind of before, um, and I'm we're totally destroying your intro now, I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> that was before, like, I really started importing games, you know, seriously. So I, I, I obviously knew of Japan and Japanese gaming, but I wasn't really into the, okay, what games are we not getting over here? You know, there was no internet at that point or anything. Um, but there was, like, one of the things I loved about the Genesis. And I'm trying to remember what the American branch was called. Was it Revolution? Renovation? Renovation. Renovation. Um, Renovation had all these games they were releasing for the Genesis here in, here in the West. And there was just something about all of them that I loved. You know, it, it, it was... And, I, I mean, I know Renovation didn't release uh, Alicia Dragoon, but that was from Game Arts. And there were... Oh... Um, so G G Game Arts was like Lunar and, and Sylphid and, and things like that. And I... I and I, and I'm, I said, I'm, I'm, I get confused on... Which side is Game Arts? Which side is Wolf Team? Because I, I feel like they did work together at times. Um, and you can correct me. It was something you wanted to correct me. But uh, there were Wolf Team stuff too that was coming out. Like the El Viento and Ernest Evans. And like all these games that Renovation published. That I just loved like all that stuff. Well, I love that old that old anime art style from like the, right. the early 90s. I was a real big fan of that look. I also want to say, and 
I'm apologize to listeners for being ill prepared discussing this without the notes in front of me, but I want to say there was a successor to Ernest Evans, and I want to say it was on the PC effects that had a female lead, and it looked awesome, and it was one of the few actual PC effects, like side-scrolling beat-em-up titles. It wasn't something that was just uh, laden with excessive uh, speech and anime scenes. It was an actual, more of a traditional game, and I want to say it was in that series, but uh, it, don't... I always... I, I if, if it's the game I'm thinking that you're talking about, um, I, rem- I remember it as being a net again. I think because, you're right. Because that's what that's what GameFan called it. And I'm trying to think of what the actual Japanese name was. Um, but Annette again was like... And that, that, that's, that's one problem I have sometimes with a lot of this stuff is because I was such a hardcore GameFan reader. You know? And so whatever GameFan told me something was is what I got in my head. <laughs> and then past that, I, I didn't always necessarily learn the real name. I mean, because to me, D is still D's dinner table because that's what Game Fan called it in the first place. Wow, I've, I forgot that, but you're jogging my memory. Yeah, that's how they translated the name. And and so there's certain things that if I get them wrong, it's not necessarily because I don't know. It's because I remember what the original Game Fan thing was. And to be fair, that was just some information comes out in Japan. There was, again, there was very little internet at that point. Um you know they 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 translate to the best of their ability japanese can be weird sometimes especially when they use uh katakana because you think you know what word they're saying but sometimes they're actually meaning a different word um that's why sometimes names are so hard to translate because you don't know what their original intention was so for me a lot of times like my memory is what game fan said something was so I said, I, I don't remember if Annette again is the actual official name, but that's the name I have in my head now because that's what game fans said that game was going to be called. <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing now, thanks to the advent of YouTube and the internet, you know, you can go back and kind of relive history uh, with, you know, some of the hardcore collectors out there uh, and to take a look at this. Now, as, as we're talking here, uh, well, that's saying it's on Mega CD. I don't, this may not be the right iteration, but for Annette... Futatabi. Yeah. Uh, 93 side-scrolling beat-em-up released by Wolf Team. This is coming straight off Wikipedia as my source here for May. But I also want to say, not to get off on this uh, tangent, I want to say PCFX got one too. Okay, to, no, to be fair, Futatabi is, is translated as again. Again, once more or a second time. So that, 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 is, that is technically correct. I mean, it never got an American name as far as I know. Uh, but Annette again is the, is the translation of it. So Yeah. But I do miss, you know, while some of those, uh, you know, some of those games, uh, you know, some have fond memories and I've gone back and played some of them. Uh, I'll say it again. I just love that. I love that art style. Like when I think of anime, I think of uh, I think of that. Uh, for some reason, another one of the first images that comes to mind from 90s era was uh, the clamp. Yeah. I, and I didn't know this. I guess that's an all female team. Yep. yep. So I love their style. But uh, yeah, it brings back a lot of good memories, you know. No, I, you know, I mean, I mean, I I remember like, and I said it's, it's going to sound so quaint to some people, some of our listeners, but um, I remember either through, okay, this this is a, I I remember being in high school and talking to somebody, and I was like a total video game nerd at this point, <laughs> and 
I was looking at this EGM and and there was a screenshot of Ease on the the Turbo CD mm-hmm. of that kind of anime character, and I'm like, oh my god, look at this! And the, the guy's like, oh, she's not a real girl. I don't care, you know. And I I was like so amazed by this, and and I remember going to Toys R Us and ha- they had the Turbo CD display. And they had like the side shots on on the on the display, and one was of ease, and there was this almost like full screen like anime character, and I'm like, wow, that that's that's amazing. And I finally got my Turbo CD, and I think the first game I got was like Phallus Three, and I bring it home and put it in, and I start the game, and there's this cutscene, and again today it'd be totally quaint if you look go back and look at it but it was it was like anime was like coming to life on my game and then there were voices and that just like blew my mind i was like i can't believe there's like anime in my game now and um you know they I mean they even had it in like the regular games but there there was that kind of era the 16-bit era where all of a sudden you know i mean some nes games had done it you know you had of course ninja gaiden and uh the goggle 13 games and stuff where they had some kind of cutscenes. But it was really the 16-bit era where they started doing these kind of FMV, like, but they were all sprite-based, you know? It was, like, all hand-drawn sprite kind of stuff, not, like, CG or whatever. Right. Um, and it was just, like, so amazing. And, and it was, like, this kind of new era of gaming that we hadn't been used to at that point. You know, and said companies like Wolf Team... Game arts. I mean, God, you go back and like the lunar, the lunar cutscenes. Oh my lord! Like those are amazing. Well, it's a, you know, you bring up some very interesting points, and it's uh, I I feel that style has obviously aged better than true FMV of that era. I mean, that's 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 an obvious point. Uh, while some of the anime cutscenes that we're speaking of, when looking back on them now in retrospect. You know, you can tell there's some still frames or, you know, just moving certain areas for the illusion of full-on animation. But, I mean, it, it was amazing at the, at the time. I still feel that stuff has aged uh, much better than other FMV-type stuff because of the art direction. And looking back on a lot of that stuff, whether it be through retro gaming magazines or online videos, I'm actually surprised at what I, a couple of them that I've missed. Uh, and I say that because I was a Sega CD owner. Mm-hmm. While not for an extensive period of time, but for example, like I, you know, I had a few, you know, uh, notable uh, titles on there uh, to brag about. But at the same time, I also had stuff like Ground Zero Texas and Rented Night Trap, which, which is just flat out trash. <laughs> but I, no, I have a soft spot in my heart for for Night Trap. Well, but you know, what, but here, but here's the thing: when I, mean, I look terrible, back. But... I don't know how I asked for <laughs> Ground Zero Texas over, say, Time Gal. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I look back, or the, the biggest, I would say the biggest one I missed, and maybe it was because of money or I felt it wasn't worth it because I played it on SNES. I'd say the biggest oversight was probably Final Fight on mm. Sega CD. Oh, I, that was such a good version. Of that I know. Game. So, like, oh. I look back at that and I'm like, how did I, oh. like, how did I not ask for that? You know, having owned that system, which was in need of, quality titles but um yeah i mean the thing is is the sega cd like gets a lot of trash thrown at it but i think i was never disappointed with that system i mean obviously i would have loved more you know and like egm telling me there's this new fantasy star coming on sega cd and never getting it that pissed me off you know i mean but um 
for what it had and the options that it gave me, I, I think I was totally happy with the Sega CD. Because the time, you had the Lunars, you know, um, you had the other working design stuff like Vestile and Popful Mail. And they had Vi. Vi. Um, you had uh, you Snatcher. Had Snatcher, Snatcher, oh my lord, Snatcher, you know, that was mind-blowing for the time. Uh, Chaos Flying Squadron, which I love that 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 and the Saturn follow-up. Um, Sylphid. Sylphid I did own, yeah, that was one I did own, and there was a couple scenes in that title that still stand out to me. Yeah, I mean, and there was, um, and I, it, I was never a super huge fan, but I know people did like it. There was that Sega-exclusive fighting game. Oh, was it Eternal Champions, the CD version? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never played it, but I'd seen it. Which actually, I mean, like, my, my, my roommate, my game fan roommate at the time, uh, he loved that series. And it was actually a really good series. I mean, it just wasn't my thing, but... Right. Um, yeah, no, there was, there was... I feel like there was a lot of, like, really good stuff for the Sega CD. Um, I'm pulling stuff out of my backside now, and I could be mixing stuff up. Didn't they also have, uh, what was it, Road Avenger? I love Road Avenger. It's a crappy game <laughs> and it makes if you ever play it it makes absolutely no sense for anybody who doesn't know what this is okay it's it's it, i mean everybody has no dragon's lair if you don't know dragon's lair just shut this podcast off right now because you're listening <laughs> to the wrong kind of show um it, it's it's like a it's like a, a dragon's lair kind of game but you're in a car right and so you'll be driving along and, and it's in so what happens is in the beginning of the, the thing you're, you're 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 this white blonde dude and you're driving with your your lady sweetheart and this like gang of like Mad Max ish kind of guys run you off the road, and your 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 wife or your sweetheart, whoever she is, dies. And so you're like vowing to get revenge in that same car. So you're like driving and running them over and stuff. Um, but so like you'll be driving on the highway, right? And like this car will be coming towards you, and it'll be like turn right. And so you when you turn to the right, but your car is kind of like does like a ninety degree turn <laughs> like on the road, and like it makes no sense the way this this works. Because you would think, okay, you just, like, would move, like, your car would, like, realistically, like, go into the right lane or something. But no, like, your car, like, just does a weird power slide. It was the most bizarre game, but I love it. The intro song is one of the best intro songs in any gaming ever. Um, But, yeah, there was that. There was Sonic CD, which I know some people don't like, but I, I liked Sonic CD the time because it felt like really big and everything i have to say something to to you and you might be uh kind of happy about this and here here we go off on another sidetrack and another can of worms everyone talked about the japanese soundtrack which i only experienced oh. in recent years mm-hmm. and it's not bad it's not it's not bad not bad we're not taught like what i'm about to say doesn't mean that i didn't like it or but you know the american soundtrack after, okay, this is the problem. After having read in Game Fan the 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 sin that was created, if you read Game Fan, you would think that <laughs> Spencer Nielsen had gone to Game Fan's offices and raped every single person there. Like, I mean, that's like I don't want to make fun of rape, but that but that is like the level of of horror that happened to the Game Fan team, according to what they were talking about, because. I, I I don't I mean go go on go, you know well that's the on, thing they kept saying like the soundtrack they couldn't believe it got changed at the last moment the the I think they contemplated reviewing it at like they uh, re they re reviewed that game from 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 my memory we actually we and that was there at the time but we game fan re reviewed Sonic CD and gave it all new scores 
I feel like that happened. Yeah, I don't recall what the American scores were. I think they were still respectable, but it went from like pretty much straight 100s or up in that yeah. bracket. To, I mean, yeah. there was a hit. And, and here's the thing. I have a respect and understand when you have something in your head a certain way and it gets it's changed. It's like um, maybe watching an anime that's maybe watching it in Japanese with subtitles and then you hear a bad English dub. Or I mean, there have been some atrocities committed in the gaming and anime realm that, you know, I'd have been like, you know what? I could see bashing it for that. But, you know, the the soundtrack of the American Sonic CD was really good. It was better. It was it, the better of the two. I no, let me put it that. to you this way. And I'm not a Final Fantasy buff, so I should probably not even mention it, especially on the Morning Project family of podcasts. <laughs> I think you've got a more valid argument for dogging Final Fantasy VII for the way Barrett talks than the switching soundtracks on Sonic CD. Uh, not to go next-gen, but I always remember Next Gen Magazine. I want to say they even discussed this in their review. I think they gave FF7 five stars, but they actually had to have a discussion amongst each other at almost giving it, I want to say, one star because of how Barrett was portrayed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because of the Ebonic-style right. nature of the character and the stereotypes. You know, for that argument, not detracting from FF7 as a whole, for that argument, I'd be like, you know what? There's some validity there. But the Sonic CD thing with the soundtrack, that was... Can I be a super nerd? I think I'm on the right uh, <laughs> uh, station of podcast to do it. And I never said this on uh, online. My first experience with the Japanese... Sonic CD soundtrack was I imported the Sega, the Sonic Mega Collection on Japanese PS2, the one that had mm. Sonic CD. Now, I owned that on GameCube, which had the American soundtrack. Right. And then I imported the PS2 version because I'm like, you know what? I've got a Japanese PS2 and I want to see what all the hoopla is. That was my first time hearing it. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. You had the pop, the J-pop song intro, right? Mm-hmm. Then years later, within the last few years, you'll remember, the American audience for the first time ever got the digital download of Sonic CD for PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, and I want to say uh, smartphone, which had the original Japanese soundtrack included. Right. There's something I don't think people call... Maybe on message boards they called it out, but on professional reviews, there's something I noticed right away. On a technicality, we still did not get that soundtrack untouched. Because if anyone who knows you listen to the Jap- the intro of Sonic CD on the digital download version, and it's missing the lyrics. Oh, is it really? I'm pre- yeah, I'm pretty confident because when oh, I, down- no. I downloaded it on PlayStation, I have it on PS3, uh, iPhone. And then, like I said, I have the Japanese, the true Japanese disc version, and then I've watched YouTube videos. I'm 99.99 sure off memory of a few years ago. That Japanese intro, it's the, it's the tune, but it doesn't have the lyrics. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, I, guess I, I, I own that, but I, haven't, I didn't mess around enough with the Japanese soundtrack to check that. Um, and, you know, to, to, be, to be fair to the game fan, guys, there is some level of, you know, what you're familiar with is right. It's kind of like the Persona 4 argument where, you know, if you played the original PS2 version, then that voice actress for Chie is the correct one. 
And if you if you only played the game through Persona 4 Golden on the Vita, then that actress for Chie is the right one. But I remember um, reading that, and you know, it's like, man, they're really upset by this. They they really screwed up. And then I got Sonic CD. I I was I was sitting in the parking lot of Best Buy the morning it was coming out, waiting for the store to open to get Sonic CD, and. I took it home and I loved the soundtrack. And it wasn't until a while after I'd gotten to Game Fan that I finally listened to the Japanese version. And I'm like, it's okay, but I don't think it's like all that great. Like, I, <laughs> and I don't, I almost think the American version fits better. And if you've ever had anything in your life where you have to come out to people and you're very frightened by their reactions to what you're coming out about, that was kind of me, a Game Fan, telling them that I like the American version better. I still remember being the day it's like, well, you know, guys, I kind of think the American version of Sonic CD soundtrack is better. And I got these horrified looks, you know, and and they're like, how can you say such nonsense and how can you be so wrong? Um, They were like just so dead set on the Japanese version being better. But I, you know what? Uh, The American version uh, said it was made by this musician called Spencer Nielsen, and I think he's, he did some fantastic work. He did, like, the... Um, I don't know if he did all the Echo soundtracks or just the, the CD versions, but he did the... the I'm pretty sure he did the Echo, the, the, the Dolphin soundtracks. He did the soundtrack for the Batman Returns uh, Sega CD version. Mm. He, he And he's... Like I said, I, I really like his work. I think he's done, like, a lot of great stuff. He did some, some really great... Um, Saturn stuff. I, I said, I said, I think he did some Saturn stuff. I'm trying to remember what all he's done. But what was he like? An intern? Was he a worker at Sega at the time, or just someone that they? Uh... That's a good question. I don't know if I don't know if he actually was an employee, or if he was just kind of like a, a for hire. Yeah. Right. So he so he did the Sega CD versions of Echo and and Echo Times of Tide, um, Batman Returns, Jurassic Park, Adventure Batman and Robin. Spider-Man and then Sonic CD, and he's done some other stuff as well. Um, I know I I really liked his stuff, and I, I thought his Sega CD or Sonic CD soundtrack was just really good and and fit. But yeah, I, I yeah I I had to throw that out there on the topic of Sega CD because I remember you uh, discussing that online quite some time ago, and I I think I was too chicken to to chime in, but I actually kind of felt the same way you did. Yeah, and I, you know what I think part of that problem was. It was just because the bar was raised so high in terms of expectation. They they raised the bar so high on that that when I heard that soundtrack, like it had to, you know, it, it had to blow me away. Right. Yeah. I mean that that's part of it. it. Like I mean, it was so hyped as being like, oh, it's so much better than the American version. And you're like, I don't know. The American version is pretty good. So right. Damn, that Japanese version must like make your ears just bleed from joy as soon as you listen to it. I think you do is like, eh, it's okay. I'm gonna put you on the spot. You got to choose one, and I'll go. I'll do it as well. What's uh, favorite gaming soundtrack? Oh, that's that's so hard. That's so hard. I mean, if if I have if I have to pick one, and and there's a and it's tough. I I believe I've got one in my head that I've I've felt this way for years. I would have to say. I mean, if if I think of what to me is a game soundtrack and because soundtracks are, are kind of strange for me because i it's very easy for me to not notice music in games so when music stands out enough i do notice it that that kind of really 
that means something to me. I'm like, okay, this this must be a really good soundtrack, or that I must really like this because I'm noticing it. Um, I think over time, thinking back, if if I say what is to me just the soundtrack that caught me the most at that point and had the most emotional effect, I would have to say Final Fantasy VI. Wow. Because I, I remember ordering that three-disc set that I had to have. That might have actually even been like my first real video game soundtrack because it just it I loved that. And that game did so much wonderful with with music you know from the opera scene to the, the battle music to like just the character themes and stuff there was just so much of that game that was so strong because of its soundtrack that I think that to me has still this day kind of stands out as like one of my favorites mm. well I can tell you my first ever import gaming soundtrack which is not my overall pick uh, that was actually the Tekken 3 arcade soundtrack mm. which uh, which was excellent uh, for uh, as an aside here uh, never liked the remixed PlayStation version, which uh, you were not forced to stick to on the console. But that aside, you know, I always the the soundtrack that stood out most to me, and it's one that I don't own, as dumb as that sounds, the original Panzer Dragoon. Ah, yeah, I thought that was uh, that's good music. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was phenomenal. My least favorite track in that whole game, though, f- funny enough, was the first level. Hmm. Which was it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad track, but it's funny because like I, every time I play that game, I'm like every time you play that first level, I'm like God. <laughs> but yeah, the whole rest of the game, man, that was, and that, and I I also feel that game had one of my favorite intros of all time as well. Yeah, that, you know, I, I'd say honorable mention I just give to to Ridge Racer Type Four. Oh, that's another. That's, that's an, such a good. Song. That's another classic. Yeah, I mean, such that, a. That is just that is just I mean that that is to me that is like just the perfect racing game soundtrack to this to this day. I, I don't know how many different topics we've gone off on right now, but you know, I almost think especially with a racing game because that's something unless it's like a wipeout or something more action oriented. You know, when you're making a racing game, you got to have a killer soundtrack. Yeah. I mean because you know you know what I mean you, you're doing laps. And, yeah. and I'm you know and I love racing games, but it's like you need something to motivate you or something that can put you in that mood or to, to keep you going. And that Ridge Racer 4 soundtrack is is phenomenal. I think the Ridge Racer series after that had its moments of maybe individual tracks that were maybe on par with it. Well, that, 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 yeah, that's, I mean, and, and I mean, Ridge Racer Type 4 to me was just like one of the just moments where, you know, like you have a game and just everything perfectly aligns in that game. Right. And it's just such a fantastic experience. Like that for me was Ridge Racer Type Four. I mean that because I loved all the tracks. I mean like the actual racing tracks. I love the tracks themselves. The game was so much fun. It was just such a just everything worked just so well. And and that's why um, I'm such a huge fan of the second Ridge Racer game on PSP because that was that was at that point it was basically a remake of all the PS One. Ridge Racer games, right. kind of, like, brought together. So it had all the R4 tracks, plus, you know, Rage Racer and Ridge Racer and stuff like that. And it had all the music from all those games and stuff. And so that was, oh, that was just such a good game. And it's, it's a shame that it never came out um, digitally over here. Oh, no. Uh, you're talking on the PlayStation Network to download the game? Yeah, because the first one is. It, they do one, have R4 on there. 
No, 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 no. I mean the the PSP. Ridge oh, Racer oh, 2. yes, yes, yes. I, you know what? I, yeah. I I imported that. Wasn't it yeah. Ridge Racers? It's 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 complicated because I I don't. <laughs> I feel like they go back and forth between what it's actually called. Right. Um. Because I don't know if the it, the Japanese version was Ridge Racer and then it was Ridge Racers over here, if it's vice versa. So I'm kind of conf- I'm always confused by that. Yeah, because you're right. We only got the first one. Yeah, and the second one actually came out in English in Asia, and that's the version I have is the Asian version. Same here. And what I'm doing is I'm cheating. I'm actually going to my list of games, and I'm pretty confident it was um, Ridge Racers plural. But you're, it, 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 it probably is. Yeah, it, I'm looking right now. Yeah, the first one here was Ridge Racer, and then that was Ridge Racers. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah weird. Um, yeah, that's like that's like one of the best Ridge Racer games out there, and it's a real shame that we never got the... So it, it's, it's already in English. Like All they have to do is just put it up on the on the digital store, but they just won't do it. I almost had a segue, but I just... You're right. I, we keep, I keep faking myself out, because while it was in English, it wasn't, like you said, released here. I was going to almost say... With uh, PlayStation TV coming out this holiday, what if you downloaded it on the network and then played it on your TV via the PlayStation TV? Talk about doing a little bit of extra work there, but it's it might be possible. Yeah, I I I am not sure. I I don't know. I don't know how the PlayStation TV works with like uh, region different region accounts. Like I wonder, I wonder if that's if it's if it's because I I think it's like the Vita where you can only have one account active at a time. Because mm. I I'm pretty sure it's up. Well, I don't know if it's up on the Asian store. Um, I would assume it's kind of uh, I assume it's up on the Japanese store, but that would be the Japanese language version. Right. So I, yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know what it's 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 it sucks. So I say that that's like one of the really great PSP games. That is in English that we never got over here. It's kind of like how uh, Vib Ribbon came out in Europe in English, and we just never got that. Now, that I didn't know about. I have the Japanese version of that, and I would have loved that in English. I love that game. But, yeah, it said that the Europe got it in English, but we just never got it over here. Wow. Mm. So Crazy. But, uh, well, uh, let's take a uh, – not a break, but uh, – Let's make believe we're paying some bills. Okay. In that, uh, once again, welcoming everyone back to episode three of the Generic Video Game Podcast in what may be the longest intro (laughs) in gaming-related podcast history. Once again, if you don't know by now, you're listening to Anthony joined by Shidoshi. Uh, One of the main topics on the table tonight will be pro pro wrestling video games, if I could get the words out. And and you know it's 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 really funny because I I wonder I'm I've been curious how this episode is going to go over with our listeners because um, especially given you know what we just talked about uh, we're both to different degrees known for our involvement in the kind of Japanese gaming scene you know but I feel like wrestling games are just a completely separate thing from that. So I, I I don't know how much crossover there are be kind of between those two kind of genres of of people. So I'm very curious to see like if a lot of our listeners even like wrestling games, and if they don't, if they will find this interesting or not. 
I think we may be faked out. I think there's actually actually going to be more of a crossover uh, than you think mm -hmm. in terms of uh, video game fans being into pro wrestling games, more specifically those of the Japanese kind. Uh, there does seem to be some sort of a crossover. I say that from my Twitter feed. Uh, while that's not the be-all, end-all, I don't have as many followers as Katy Perry to do a real study off of that. Um, you like about like what twenty behind her or so? Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually just looking up Twitter stats recently. She's at number one with uh, just north of fifty million. Wow, she she's one right now. Yeah, number two is uh, Bieber. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, you know, I the reason I feel that there may be. Uh, there's going to be a connection there is because a lot of classic pro wrestling titles were rooted in Japan, uh, made from many classic companies, everything from, you know, Technos uh, uh, to Spike to Taito. Uh, you know, this, the, you know, it has no Capcom, you yeah. know, Jesus, Sega, it go, the list goes on and on. But uh, I think we're looking to delve into that topic a bit. Um, you know, if you, if you feel that we're wrong or the topic is just killing you or you're loving it, you can always email us your thoughts at generic at morningproject.com. And uh, don't forget to check out the site at radio.morningproject.com. And I'm going to get another quick little plug in here. You can follow Shidoshi at Picoeri on Twitter. That's P-I-K-O-E-R-I. Or myself, Anthony, that's at 24-bit. A-J-E, that's with the number two and the number four. I'm also going to give a special thank you a little bit later in this podcast, read you an excerpt from a very special book I received as a surprise gift. And uh, Now, now 24-bit isn't a real thing. There was 8-bit, and there was 16-bit, and there was 32-bit. <laughs> what is this 24-bit nonsense? You know what? You can learn more about that 24-bit aspect on our debut episode <laughs> of the Generic Video Game Podcast, which is technically episode zero. It doesn't really exist. But like the well, number I mean, zero... It does exist. I mean, it, 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 you can download it. It exists uh, uh, Much like the number zero and the power... <laughs> of the card of the main player in Persona 4 it holds limitless <laughs> possibilities. Do you do you miss do you miss bits at all? I think because of the generation you and I grew up in and how we were trained mentally, I do. Yeah, I, I do. I do. But you know what's funny? I've actually looked into that like a nerd and it's kind of weird because I don't think the bit well, look, we know the bits aren't the most important aspect of the hardware, but I want to say the bits per se haven't gone past 128. Now, see, I, I don't even know if it's that. Cause, I mean, because, I know. Well, the Dreamcast I want to say was 128. But was it? Was it really? I think it was. Hmm. Yeah. Now you got me. Now, but the thing is, is I still think, and I could be talking out uh, my rear. I want to say the 20, 128 processor is still like that's still there, but there's so many other things in terms of separate graphics cards and like RAM and speed of the CPU that like like I don't recall ever reading of a two fifty six. Because you know, I I I think you might be 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 that is because at this point, like computers are still sixty four bit. You know, I they they, they have not I me mean, because the the big jump 
the most recent big jump was a 32 to 64 bit jump and that's kind of my my limited understanding of computers is part of that is just how much how many cycles per second or whatever and also how much ram it can access I'm going to maybe contradict myself. I'm looking at the Dreamcast specs, and I'm not seeing that, but I'm, the one I'm going to look up next is PlayStation 2. Because I, I, I don't think anything's gone past, and, and you can correct me or people can correct me, but I don't think things have gone past 64 because I know basically at this point, like our, you know, your phone is either 32-bit or 64-bit. Your computer is either 32-bit or 64-bit. Um, I think most modern computers now 64-bit, but there's because of the way technology has progressed, it's it's not a, and that's, this is part of the reason why they don't use bits anymore is because it's kind of a meaningless thing at this point. It's 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 more based around just raw power, graphics cards, memory, bus speed, things like that. Now I don't know if this is in the correct or truest sense. So I'm just going to regurgitate, and this is via Wikipedia. I'm looking at the PlayStation 2 console. The CPU on that uses the Emotion Engine, which, uh, on a side note, is the most powerful engine in, in gaming history still to this day. <laughs> and it was clocked at 294.912 megahertz at launch. Da 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 da. Newer models use 299. Okay, so here's the catch. So the CPU with a 128-bit SIMD capability. Hmm. So now I don't know what that means. Like I don't know if that's, but that's saying 128. The one I could have sworn, and I, the Dreamcast. Okay, so back on Dreamcast, according to Wikipedia, the system's processor is a Hitachi SH4 32-bit RISC at 200 megahertz with a on-die 128-bit vector graphics engine. So I don't know. So I guess we can say that the the term. 128 has been used. I just don't know if it's in the same right. sense that it was used from the previous eras. The last thing I'll do on this uh, this potentially dry topic, I'm going to look up PlayStation 4. And I mean, this is this is part of the reason why. I mean, because bits were kind of nonsense anyway. Because, for example, you know, the TurboGrafx 16, thus the name, they you know they classified it as a 16-bit pro- system when it actually was not. When it was an eight-bit processor and I think an eight-bit graphics card combined together, or an eight-bit sub-processor. Which what you ta- ta- which system you talking? The Turbo. Oh yeah, I think it like used two eight-bit. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and yeah. and and that's also why because there was no real technical. I don't think there was technically a twenty-four-bit CPU, but the SNK did what did what NEC did, where they kind of like added numbers. Right on their their units, and that's where they got the twenty four bit from. Right, which obviously back in the day was all the you know to, to dissect that and run around the playground and talk about that to everyone else and the arguments on it being true and not true, and then you had the PC nerd step in, talking about RAM and their Pentium processor and yeah, yeah. Because uh, okay, so for for example, the PS four is a sixty four bit processor. <laughs> It's an x86 64-bit uh, accelerated processing unit from AMD. Mm. So I, I, I think so – that's what I think. I think the problem is when when systems were coming up, we were kind of in this weird world where giving a number and giving a bit meant something, and now it kind of doesn't because that's not – like just that number alone 
it's 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 like it's like processing speed, right? You know, it's it's for example, like I my current computer um, is what is it two point six gigahertz, which I think might actually be technically a lower gigahertz than my last computer was, but because it's a a, a newer processor, a more um, streamlined processor it has more cores and everything that well that's that's the hitch right there because now you've got like my pc is a core 2 duo i mean it's like five years old now and now you've got quad core and i've even seen now like i want to say eight core so i mean you're taking that and multiplying it by two four eight right i mean it's insane i will say this on this this nerdy topic one factor that had that has stayed constant over the years in my opinion something that's still pivotal and that always gets cheap, like always is a. It's always a corner cut. Is RAM? Yeah. Which I mean, I I think that was one of the kind of the big things about the generation is that right. Sony did something that nobody was expecting with their RAM, where where they built in this this very powerful, very fast kind of RAM. Um, but they also put a lot, technically a lot of it, right. in eight compared gigs. to what people were expecting. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I think, was expecting four, and they put in yeah. eight. Yeah. Which console-wise, excluding PC talk, because I know there's some people chuckling at home right now. Right. You know that that jump was from, I want to say, a half gig of RAM. I didn't know if it was, was that much. Was it? Was it? Was well, it, I want to say Xbox, the way it was divvied. It was, Xbox it was, was 512. Yeah, and then Sony had the same, but the argument was that it was split. Like, they had the seven SPUs, and then their RAM was split, like, 256 and 256, which equated to half gig. But the way it was split made it real tough right. for devs to That's use. Right. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so to go from half to eight, uh, you know, in basic math terms is... 16 times that now the other argument we can get into is developers probably have the freedom of maybe using five because now you've got the right the operating system other stuff going on in the background so they argue that two to three is shot so maybe that was a really good idea to do eight instead of four and then and they're, and they're supposedly talking about trying to get that overhead down a little bit they because what what the, what happened on the PS3 was they they ran into a problem where they did not give themselves nearly enough memory for the for the UI. So mm-hmm. later on, when they needed to build in features, it was a really really hard thing for them to do. So what they kind of wanted to do for the PS4, my is my understanding, is that they wanted to start from a point where they say, okay, we we want to make sure we have enough for everything, and then as time goes on, maybe we can get some of that back to you guys if we don't need as much as we th- think we do. But you know, this is a perfect example of where numbers don't matter. Because, in a way, because um, the Xbox One has 8 gigabytes of memory, the PS4 has 8 gigabytes of memory, but they're completely different kinds of RAM, and that makes a huge amount of difference. So, the Xbox One's 8 gig is not equal to the PS4's 8 gig. Yeah, I think that's the speed on the RAM. I think PS4 is using DDR5, which is just fancy for, I think, a higher rate. And then I think Xbox is maybe using DDR3. Yeah, because well, PS4 is actually GDDR5, which is, is a a yeah a different kind of like graphic RAM that is it's more like directly connected to all that kind of stuff. It, this is stuff I shouldn't be talking about because I don't know, <laughs> I'm not an expert on it. But um, whereas yeah, the Xbox One is kind of these slower, more standardized RAM. Now I will say this: something now I I think if 
if this were years ago with these differences, these would be big factors. Like when SNES had Mode 7 and Genesis didn't, and you know, you know, Genesis was maybe better at handling sprites at a higher speed and SNES couldn't. Some of those were kind of deal breakers outside of genius development. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed in the last decade that's really pushed the boundaries of consoles has been what they've been able to do in software development updates, which is like something I've never seen before to this magnitude. So like this is how I think they can close the gaps on whether it's Xbox catching up on resolution or Sony to maintain certain advantages kind of going back and forth on the court. The updates that they're doing with in the software kits is like breathing new life. For example, I think we've seen that in the last generation with PS3 and Xbox 360 where Sony was able to close that gap after a couple of years, thank God for them, and do work their magic with such horrid, you know, uh, system layout. Uh, I'm going to give another example from an outsider, and this is an example that doesn't take true advantage of the PS4 hardware, but I'm going to use it for an analogy. Just to look at what software tools and know-how were able to accomplish on PS3, which was a nightmare, look at The Last of Us on PS3, which used a half gig of RAM, and look at The Last of Us Remastered, which I completely stand by, don't regret buying for photo mode alone. But when you take everything into consideration and look at The Last of Us on PS3 and you look at it on PS4, it is amazing what PS3 accomplished. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think to be fair, the PS4 version was way better. But um, no, I mean that that is, I mean, I think that is probably the most visually impressive PS3 game there is. Um, but that's also like not not like Naughty Dog is just insane. They they have some sort of just black magic that can make games like nobody else can, and they got things out of that system, the PS3, that like just other developers couldn't even dream of doing let's put it this way to harken back to uh, the original gvg gvgp episode one when you look back at it as an adult when you look at samurai showdown on snes and you look at samurai showdown on the neo geo it's night and day oh yeah i did not get that feeling with the last of us and I, you're right the last of us on now, PS- okay wait to be fair to be fair did you actually sit down and flip back and forth between the two and compare them no, but I will say this in all fairness, and Neil brought this to my attention, and I, and I have not tested it. One thing I think that's been overlooked by a lot of people except the message boards, and some people are never happy. I heard if you drop the frame rate to 30 frames, that the game gets even more impressive from a lighting perspective. It does, yeah. And and the reason being is because, I mean, they actually talked about this, the fact that like Naughty Dog had to use so many tricks – to get that game to run as well as it did on the PS3, that it was just a nightmare bringing it over. Like that, that's that's kind of why they, they they said like it would it was never like you can't use The Last of Us as an example of what the PS4 can do because it was never a question of PS4's power. It was just a question of getting that game even running in the first place on different pieces of hardware because of how it's you know like when you hear about games that are like just like developed like straight to the coat the straight to the metal you know. Right, those games that it's so hard to port because they they did so many things that were so specific to one piece of hardware. That's what The Last of Us was. Um, 
I will I will tell you that you should probably compare them because I was this way back when Tomb Raider came out. And I remember Tomb Raider being very impressive for those those consoles. And I got the I got the PS4 version and I'm like, okay, this this looks a little bit better, but you know, I mean the PS3 version didn't look bad and it didn't run bad and and but then I actually sat down and compared the two like flipping back and forth on the TV. Right. And it was a huge difference. And I sat down and did that as well for Last of Us. I think that if you actually were to do that, you would be surprised. Mm. Because there's a certain thing in our memories that, like, you know, our nostalgia makes us remember things a little bit different than they actually were. And I have all these fond memories of, like, these PS3 games I played or Xbox 360 games. And I'm like, man, they looked really, really good, you know, for those consoles. But if I actually go back and compare the two, it's it's pretty noticeable. I'm I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at some other old school games I've done that with, and I've gone back and looked at some, and I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, so it's it's, but like I mean, say nothing is last of us because that was that was like that was probably the most visually impressive PS3 game there is. You know, right? So, um, but I yeah I don't know. You go you go back and look at the two. You'll you'll be surprised. Yeah, it's well, it's it's you know I, I do like talking about stuff like that and tech specs, even though I'm not an expert on it. I always find that stuff to be interesting, you know. But uh, I, I wish more. I guess you have the internet for it now, so I can't I can't say anything. I'm on Wikipedia, so what am I talking about? I was going to say I missed that aspect from publications and whatnot, but yeah, that, well, that's I, me. Yeah, I, I mean, like I know like Digital Foundry, so there's like really interesting kind of breaking apart the games on a technical level and how they run and everything and but yeah i mean i, I it's it, it is funny because like i said it, i remember just back when oh this is a 16-bit system so it must be two times as good as the 8-bit systems you know <laughs> and we were just so like so young and so innocent and so naive back in those days um and it, yeah it's just like i mean but that was like that was total marketing it was a very easy thing to say to people it's like okay you know, the NES, you know, the NES, it was 8-bit, but the Genesis is 16-bit. It's twice as good, you know. <laughs> um, you know, Never mind, like, if it had good games or not. That didn't matter. It was just the fact that it was, it was, and I mean, you talk about, like, just funny numbers. I mean, God, the Genesis was, like, what, 7 megahertz in terms right. of speed? Right, yeah, and I think SNES was, and, like, 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. That's, like... Uh- I will say this. Do you know what was noticeable even for me at that time as a kid? Hmm. That I remember vividly that I the difference between the consoles and that would bother me was the color palette on the oh, Genesis yeah. wasn't as strong as the SNES. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. That was, like, even not knowing that stuff at the time, that was a biggie. Oh, I think not only color palette, but also, you know, going back to Final Fantasy VI, my pick for music was the sound chip and the, the Super Nintendo was just crazy compared to the genesis yes there were some miracles performed by the end of both consoles life you know life uh, cycles but well, no, yeah no, no, i mean yeah i mean to be fair genesis you mean you had to people at sega like you know yuzo koshiro you know who who he could he could make that that hardware sound awesome just because of <laughs> his musical skills right um you had great people doing that but like that's that that sound chip in the Super Nintendo. I mean, yes, it was funny because the Super NES had, I remember, I remember thinking, because I was a Genesis person. Like, I was absolutely Genesis over Super Nintendo, but 
I knew that, Gen- that Super Nintendo had better colors. I knew it had a better sound chip. I knew it had Mode 7 and stuff. And this this is, I mean, this is, like, it, it's unimaginable to even think about today, but this is just what we understood in, on terms and the levels of what games could be. I remember when they were talking about the Super Nintendo CD attachment coming out. And I thought that was going to be the end of gaming. I was like, you can't have a better gaming system than that at that point. Oh, I I agree with that. I because you would I, have yeah. you would have cutscenes now. You would have CD music, and then you would have the mode seven and the color palette. And I was like, I don't understand how a home system can be better than this, because that has to be like the end of what advancements will be, you know. And and I said we I mean because to be to be fair, that was at a point where we were not anywhere close to the 3d revolution coming up you know coming out so like 3d gaming was not a thought at all at that point so i was like yeah, that that's it that's it i'm gonna get a super nintendo cd and there will be no other hardware needed because that's like that's the best <laughs> gaming can be and how wrong i was yeah but i tell you i that was something i like dreamt about at the time and, and having been a sega cd owner and enjoying it I, this is going to really hurt me to say this because you know i'm a big sega fan and it's you know yeah. probably my favorite of all time you know, I said to myself at the time, when Nintendo does this, they're going to do it right, and it's going to slaughter yeah. the Sega CD. You know, you know what I mean? Because yeah. Sega at the time had the, had the issue of jumping the gun first. They did try new things, and and you know they were edgier at, at the time. But Nintendo always sat, waited, watched, played their cards late. But when they did, their stuff was high quality. And I said, when this Super NES CD comes out, it's, it is over for the Sega CD. Yeah. And that's just one of those things in hindsight that I don't know if you want to call it dropping the ball or just one decision leading to another. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, But, I mean, literally the whole industry changed with that ordeal you know they no I, yeah, a, I mean i mean think about think about what that decision caused you know i mean that that decision gave birth to what we would know as a playstation well this is insane because there's so many layers to this story because nintendo announced an alliance with sony for the cd add-on and then overnight after the announcement went with philips yeah I mean, Jesus. And then I've also read stuff. Um, now, that's fact, but there's stuff that's hazier in my mind from other articles I've read where I want to say during the Saturn era, before the Saturn was done, I want to say they had the opportunity to get um, silicon graphics working with them instead of them going with N64. Mm. that was another thing i've read like you know what i mean like you read stuff like that and it's kind of like you know as a gamer or like looking back at it you're like oh like you know how stupid could have sega been or how stupid could have nintendo been but you know i guess you know when you're not there like sometimes when you're in a situation like whether you be nintendo or like let's say you're working at sega or you're working at nintendo sometime sometimes what's right in front of you and what's obvious isn't like, you know, I've learned that in life. Like sometimes you're whether it's a, a relationship or something work related, like when you talk to outsiders looking in, the answer is obvious. But you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's right. not it's not that easy to see. It's like, you know, could you imagine being at Sega and having the opportunity for the SGI 
technology or whatever at the time, which was so like futuristic and ahead of the time, like, and then using that with CD development, it's like that decision seems like it should have been done in five seconds. Right. You know what I mean? Well, and that, that do them. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, cause uh, from, from Sega's perspective, the, the next generation was going to be still sprites, right? Right, you know, that, still a two D focused system. Yeah, yeah, that's what next generation was going to be. I mean, they they didn't even think about running with polygon stuff until until Sony you know really showed off what they were doing, and then Sega added the second processor. Um, uh, I, I I can't even imagine like I can't imagine like, what that system was going to be, you know, wh- originally. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just it's just it's weird that like it's just so funny that 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 era changed so much in the industry you know i mean that era gave birth to the playstation was really the beginning of the downfall of sega right and was the shift of nintendo to being this kind of like second place company you know, I will also say there's two things I'll say on this. One is that another thing that's changed in time is that in those days, a year to two years of in development, like, for example, if you were working on 3DO or working on Jaguar or working on N64 or the PlayStation, when you look at them like kind of a year to 18 months apart, respectively, that 12 to 18 months in that decade was like, I mean the differences in technology that one could invest in or perfect in that time was huge. Like big, like, but now it's like, we saw this last generation delayed by a year or two, or they stretched it out to an eight-year gap. And, you know, even if they waited another six months or if they launched six months early, you know, I don't think that would have made a big difference technologically. But in that era of the, the 80s through the 90s, that time frame, the the differences were huge for what well, was on I, the I, table. I think part of that too was because yeah, I mean, I think part of it was the the just the just the advancement of technology at that point and and how fast things were moving. But I also think it's because you know because of gaming uh, game creation being not meant in a bad way, but so much more simplistic. You know, and when you're doing like you know sprites on screen doing stuff in a two D world, you know that. An extra, I mean, like we're saying, like the extra five megahertz that the Genesis had over the Super Nintendo, let it do some some things that Super Nintendo could never do, you know, uh, you know, or if it had been if it had been fourteen megahertz instead of seven, that would have been a huge jump. Right, could have done with sprites. I, like it, like just those little jumps could do so much more because of how simplistic game design and game creation was at that point whereas now you know if you're talking about an extra 100 gigahertz of of, of not oh, not 100 gigahertz oh my god that's being huge but you <laughs> 100 know, like, megahertz like, on the processor yeah, maybe. Like, like a 2.6 to a 2.7 okay maybe you can get a couple thousand more polygons or whatever which aren't going to make a super huge deal because you're already talking about millions of polygons on screen you know i, I think it's i think it's it's harder like you know the diminishing benefits or whatever it's it's called um we're just like just it's it's getting harder and harder to get those kind of huge jumps out of less so 
I will say, talking about decisions companies have made and, and patterns that they've shown, if one looks back at the history of Nintendo, going back all the way back to their Game & Watch days, their Famicom, the technology that they were um, uh, to utilize, which was already true and tried, their lateral development and way of thinking when you look at the way how things played out from a financial perspective and then wanting larger pieces of the pie through the cartridge technology uh it actually kind of makes sense if you if you're using your nintendo thinking cap so i've gone back and read articles and interviews as to nintendo's decisions in you know like the processing power for famicom Game Boy versus other technologies that weren't perfected yet, Nintendo has always taken that approach to take technologies that have been used and perfected and then use it in ways that haven't been done before. And you can kind of still see that to this day. Now, this part of my reason for going off on that little note there is knowing one's history is very important. And yesterday I was surprised with a, a very special gift which uh, talk about uh, just gone to print approximately 10 days ago. This was a Kickstarter-funded book uh, or mini-encyclopedia, uh, as it seems. Wait, wait, wait what, is, what is a book? <laughs> I, do we even have those anymore? <laughs> it, you know, those, uh, those are becoming quite rare. But uh, even in that, this is, uh, this is quite an accomplishment and achievement i was surprised with the untold history of japanese game developers mm. uh not only that um not only was it very kind of this person it was a book that uh i got the platinum tier cover with art by hitoshi yoneda of japanese box art fantasy star 2 fame uh, as well as many other Falcom and Sega classics overseas. Uh, beautiful cover, in my opinion. It has kind of an H.R. Geiger-esque feel to it. The book clocking in at 530 pages. Uh, the book started in June 2013, has now become a reality. This is a book, without getting into too much on it, uh, I'm sure many of the fans of, of this show, the warning fans, all of the Japanese gaming aficionados that listen I'm sure they're very familiar with this project. Uh, it is now a reality. And um, if one doesn't mind, I'd like to read the foreword of this book, which was done by GameSide Magazine's editor-in-chief, Yamamoto Yusaku. And uh, I'll just read this page here. I think it's very interesting because not only is it a great foreword, kind of gives a great vantage point on his feelings on video games, uh, one's views uh, and his philosophies on when uh, one is interviewing someone in different vantage points and how they come together. Uh, I think you'll find interest in this as well because of the, the field that you work in and the many interviews that you conduct and different opinions that you take in on a daily basis. So once again, what I'm about to read comes from the untold history of Japanese game developers, the forward by Yusuke Yamamoto of GameSide. Games are not made by people working alone. There are investors, developers, composers, and salespeople. There are PR representatives. There are retail stores. Games are products created and sold by groups of people to be delivered into a player's hands.
Of course, there are some games fully created by one person alone, but they make up just a tiny fraction of the commercial games in the world. People who play games can be delighted by them. People who strive at games can get a sense of accomplishment from them. People who appreciate games artistically can be inspired by them. Games move people. That is how games can be works of art as well as commercial products. Games are not made by people working alone. I believe that an interview with a game creator is a work of archaeology, a way of digging into and examining the process of creation from the perspective of the person being interviewed. That creator's perspective is just one glimpse from among a variety of perspectives that exist over the course of a product created by a group of people. A game has many truths as there are people who took a hand in its creation. Each person experiences their own dramas and provides their own artistic ideas. If you interview several people who work together, they might contradict each other. Sometimes those contradictions are because one person is wrong, but sometimes everyone is correct. That is why a writer delivering a creator's own words to game fans must also tell them that those words are just one perspective out of many. The relationship between creators and games is like the relationship between the atoms and the molecules making up all matter on earth. The individual creators are like single atoms and they join together in complex ways to create an overall molecule we perceive as a game. In that sense, the many interviews contained in this book are like a periodic table of rare elements providing many historic discoveries regarding the origins of the games of the past. This book is full of first-hand accounts and historic revelations that not even a Japanese specialty game magazine has been able to discover. Now turn the page and be ready to discover something new. Your quest begins here. Game start. Yusuku Yamamoto, Editor-in-Chief, GameSide. Hmm. So this is quite... Uh, quite a collections uh, a book that i hope to see uh maybe other volumes of in the future can't say whether that will happen or not but uh, nonetheless as it stands this piece certainly uh i dare say a piece of gaming history uh, one that is not even uh to this magnitude in terms of information it's very dense uh, has a very college soft cover book feel to it. May not be the prettiest book per se, not to take anything away from this final product, but it is something that is so packed and filled with information. Uh, I think for gamers out there, if they have the opportunity to see it or know someone who has a copy, it's something you have to at least flip through once because uh, especially in this day and age for uh, this era of gaming that's very special to many people of our generation, uh, very special to you, myself, the warning crew. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a little uh, section in here that discusses Swicoden 2 and has quotes from uh, the one and only Mr. Nick Rocks as well as wow. Casey Lowe. Uh, so their names have made it in here, uh, Mr. Casey Lowe. Uh, contributing his name also making it into the uh on the back of the book a contributor uh, it was a pleasure to see uh, uh nick in here uh 
uh, Jeremy Blaustein. Uh, the reason I picked that name out at random is because he was also involved in that uh, Swakodin two piece. So uh, great, great, uh, great, great piece to receive. I, I want to thank you. You know who you are out there. We'll call it a colleague. Hmm. Speaking of uh, Kickstarter. Well, wait, 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 wait. Give, give a few examples of who's interviewed in the, in the book. Oh, it's... Uh, I mean, no. I mean, there's a lot, I know. But yeah, so what I'll do to make this... Uh, I'm going to read the back of the book. So this okay. is... Uh, the untold history of Japanese game developers reveals more information and secrets about the history of Japanese video games than ever before. There's first-hand accounts of Konami's secret games console... The prehistory and origin of game arts, some unusual events at Telenet, and never-before-heard stories from inside Falcom. The secret politics behind Enix's game programming contests is revealed. There's a tour of the Love Delic and Warp offices and the layout sketches of many other developers. There's detailed insight into the, cultu into the culture of computer, console, and arcade games including interviews with high-profile collectors and preservationists. From the dawn of games right up until after the millennium, there are first-hand accounts you won't find anywhere else and never-seen-before archive photos containing interviews with... And forgive me, I have this is the first time reading it, so uh, forgive me on my uh, Japanese potential mispronunciations. Akinori Nakamura of Famicom. Akira Takaguchi, MSX, Casey Lowe, Harry Inaba of Swikoden, Hiroshi Suzuki, Taito, Hitoshi Yoneda, Jeremy Blaustein, Joseph Redden, Jun Nagashima, creator of Popful Mel, Katsutoshi Eguchi, friend of Keiji Ino, Keigo Matsubara, Keiji Inafune of Mega Man, Keita Abe of Riot Zone, Kohei Ikeda, co-founder of Game Arts, Kotaro Uchikoshi, visual novels, Koichi Yotsui, creator of Strider, Koji Yokota, Telenet, Falcom, Game Arts, and Quintet, Makoto Goto of Shubibinman 2, Masaki Kukino, Silent Scope, Masakuni Mitsuhashi of Silphid and Lunar, Masamoto Morita, Sega Arcade Division, QTQ, Roy Ozaki of Pang series, Ryukishi 07, visual novels, Stefan and William Rosner of Mega Man for DOS. There's a couple lines left here. Takaki Kobayashi of DB-Soft, Woody Polko. Tatsuo Nomura of Google Maps. Tomonori Sugiyama of Choaniki, Lunar, and Grandia. Toru Hidaka reveals all the secrets of Enix. Yasuhito Saito, Bounty Arms. Yoshiro Kimura of Chulip, Rule of Rose. Yoshitaka Muriyama of Swicken uh, Creator. Yutaka Isokawa of Catrap, Negon Controller. Yuzo Koshiro, The Scheme. And Zune, that's spelled capital Z, capital U, capital N, of the Toho series. And then in closing, this special limited edition platinum version of the book also has a cover by renowned artist Hitoshi Yoneda.
Mm. Now, I know that's a lot, of, to, a lot to digest, a lot to take in, but nonetheless, for a Japanese gaming aficionado, some that I dare say, uh, you know, certainly on the levels of Rust and more, you know, warning having some of the most hardcore fans out there alongside 8-4. Um, I mean, all of the names we just mentioned, you know, maybe to the casual may not mean much, but uh, once again, this show I don't think has many casuals listening, um, you know, in that host of podcasts. Uh, they, they, you know, I think they'll be excited and elated to hear this. Uh, kind of jumping the gun to another Kickstarter, one that I did support firsthand, and I believe will have many similar names to the ones just mentioned. There was an update this past week for the Kickstarter relating to the Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis Collected Works, a project by Darren Wall. Uh, it's printing this week. Uh, it was uh, started this past winter. It's going to be a 350-plus page, high-quality full-color, hard-bound book uh, all around the um, Mega Drive. Uh, let me see if I can just uh, get a little bit here. It's uh, Sega just did the final approval process. I mean, this is going to get into everything from never-before-seen sketches, uh, Neptune schematics, early uh, system and uh, controller concepts, interviews with some of the same aforementioned names from uh, the other book, which is completely unrelated. And the reason I say that, because there's an overlap of that era from the, the Mega Drive being so hot, uh, you know, great Japanese development. So you're going to see some similar names. There's also going to be a, a, a plethora of Western uh, interviews. So this is something that's going to print this week. I should receive it within the next month or two, and then hopefully that will be available to the general public uh, sooner rather than later. So another fantastic piece coming to reality off Kickstarter. Another note is that's interesting is that book that I just discussed, The Untold History, and then now this Mega Drive book. Ironically, they're both emanating from the UK. Hmm. So big props and kudos going to the UK for uh, holding that classic japanese gaming flag in 2014 that's one thing i like about egm recently when we do the egm interviews you know um i to my recent examples i've had you know i had inafune i got talked i got to talk to uh kojima you know um those were two great chances for me to kind of sit down with those those guys and just have conversations back and forth and i love when we can take that entire interview and put it into a book. I mean, because I, I, I or magazine or, or website or whatever. Because I, I think typically what you'll see a lot of times on websites or magazines or whatever is that they'll pull out a few quotes here and there, you know, and they'll kind of tell the story around it. Like the writer will write the narrative, and then at certain times they'll bring in what that person actually said. And I appreciate that. And I understand why, why people do that, and I can I can do that in my job. I've done it plenty of times, but I actually much more prefer just having the straight interview, the kind of back and forth. Um, and maybe I'll be a little egotistical here, uh, but I think the reason why I like doing that is because I come at these things more as a conversation. Like if you ever like kind of read my interviews and you see my questions, they're, they're a conversation that's happening between me and the person that, that I'm talking to. Um, and I think the reason why a lot of times people will just take their interview and cut it up and put it into a bigger narrative is because they literally say, tell me about gameplay in this game, you know, or who are the characters? 
or what was your motivation? You know, they ask those kind of questions. And I, I that never interests me. I, I, I always go in and, and I, I try to ask questions that do create that conversation and also get the person wanting to talk deeper about something or talk in a way they're not used to answering in kind of that PR mode thing. Um, so that's why I always, like, I like the straight up, here's the question, here's the answer, here's the question, here's the answer. And I know some people find that dry, but I like it because then you, you really get the full sense of who that person is and what they're saying. Like, when you're, when you're taking a lot of their answers and just rewriting it in your own way, like, you're kind of losing something about that conversation and what that person said. Like that other person's maybe their true personality or who they are isn't coming across maybe too much of, quote, you is coming out in it. Well, also that, not only that, but also I think that it's, it's, because we just had a conversation the other day about this with, with somebody, is that it's a lot of times you will not pick up on the thing that people are going to find interesting. You know, um, there will there will be a certain conversation that happens and they will say something that is really, really meaningful to people out there who might read that interview, but you as the interviewer might never understand it and never pick up on it. You know, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to offhand think of, you know, a, a good comparison that, that might be uh, hard for me to think of, you know, but, but it's it just like, like, you know, so I'm telling you a story about like a certain event that happened to game fan back in the day, for example. And I, I mentioned, I mentioned, Oh yeah, that's when, that's the time when this developer came in and talked to us, you know, and the person interviewing me might not know who that developer is. And they, they might think it's just a throwaway statement I mentioned, but somebody else might be like, oh my God, that's that certain developer, you know, who then went on to do this, 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 or this. Um, and they might pick up on that. And that might be an interesting tidbit to them that came out in the conversation, Whereas the person doing the interview, if they don't know that person, they don't know the connection, they don't know the history, they might completely throw that out, you know. So that, that, that to me is like why I like putting the entire interview up because you never know which pieces are going to be meaningful to somebody else. And when you're making a judgment call on what's interesting and what's not, you really, really have to know that subject and that person and know exactly what's going on or else it's easy for you to miss those things. Um, but that's also too, like, like I said, like I, I, I think a lot of times people just don't, uh, I think too often people who go in and inter, in, in interview things at PR events and whatever, don't know enough about the, the product. I mean, I remember again, being egotistical last year, I went in and talked to some of the team members on Danganronpa in Japan at TGS. And when I got done, they were like, we really want to say thank you because you know our game and you know about this, this what it is. Mm. And we can tell from your questions that you know what you're talking about. You know, and because, and uh, I mean, uh, the understanding I had was that a lot of people came in and knew nothing about Danganronpa. And so they're just asking the very basics, like, oh, what is this game? You know, why Why is it on Vita? Not understanding the whole history of it or whatever. You know? like, <laughs> I bet they ask those kind of questions. Whereas I came in, I knew exactly what it was. I might not have played it, 
but I knew what it was. I knew what kind of game it was. I knew its history. I knew the fact it hadn't hadn't. This was the first time it's coming out American. It was a big deal that there had been two versions on PSP. All this kind of stuff, you know. So I knew these questions to ask to really get to really get into good conversations. Um, see, I, I think I think interviewing interviewing I think it it can be tough too because like if you don't know like this book for example, you know if if John going in if if he didn't know about this stuff. I mean, obviously, if he didn't know, he wouldn't make the book, you know, but I mean, like, it's, he has to know a lot about these things going in, or else this book could be just absolutely worthless. Oh, right. The amount of research and due diligence to go into this, even, like, I pride myself, like, people say, um, that know me they're like oh he knows so much about japanese games and then for myself i laugh because i'm like you know i know you know i don't go around telling this but like i know you or you know nick or case you know the people in the industry and i'm like and i'm like you know i'm not even you know i consider you guys on a different echelon but it's like and getting back to this point it's like someone who did a book like that who you know knows their craft you would still have to go back to cross-reference and yeah. when you prep, it's not as easy as it sounds, even if you're passionate about that. No, no, because, yeah, yeah because, I mean, it's, it's, you also want to ask yourself, okay, like, has this question ever been asked? If it has been asked, is there value in me asking it again to include it in here? Or should I ask things that haven't been asked? You know, it's, it's, I mean, inter- interviews are like, one of the funnest things I do in my job, but they're also one of the most stressful because it's it. You're always worried. Am I am I asking the right things and am I asking interesting questions? And and uh, for me, the best results have always been when I just go in and I talk to the person and have a conversation. And 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 I've had times where I had a game that I'm like. Like I, I won't I won't say the game's name, but like I recently had an interview with somebody where I felt like I had nothing to ask because <laughs> I, I I just I just there was like I don't know enough things to point out about this game to to, to have to have this interview. But as soon as I got there, I had a few questions in mind, so I asked one. He, the the person said some answers. I picked up on things that were said. And that led to other questions, and it ended up being a really great conversation. And I thought it, it was a fun interview when it got over. But it's it's always like a struggle. It's like okay, going into this, do I even? It's either do I know at all what to ask about this thing because I don't I'm not familiar with it, or if you are familiar with it, then saying, are the questions I'm asking even the right ones to ask? You know, like are there better things I should be asking? Like these are the ones that I'm interested in. But do other people like already know this? And that was a big thing with our Kojima interview, you know, was um, when you get a chance like that, you know, to really sit down with him for an hour, it's it's like we want to make sure we're asking things that, that not everybody has necessarily heard about. Well, it's, it's interesting all of your thoughts on uh, interviews because I actually have some experience with performing numerous interviews uh, in audio form. And I'd say in the last four years, I've done maybe 30 to 40 plus interviews that I'd partaken in, everything from people a part of Kickstarters uh, to even at one point in time, we're going back here, uh, uh, official Xbox Magazine, Microsoft representatives, Nolan Bushnell, uh, voice actresses, adult entertainers, quite a list I've actually racked up. Not bragging, but I actually don't put much thought into it because when I'm done, I just think of it as another day. But... It's funny because the things you mentioned, like, 
I agree with most of what you say, but it's like, you know, you've got to do your due diligence. You have to prep yourself to a certain extent. Sometimes you overthink certain aspects. And then another big factor is until you get to know the person, unless you know them beforehand going in, the thing I've felt, at least for pod, in podcast form, is if someone's a real good talker as well as you, like if they can know how to keep the flow of conversation going and they don't just stop dead in their tracks after answering a question, like if they're, they have some energy and they can kind of go with the flow in conversation – that makes for the easiest and best interviews. Like, yeah, I was gonna say that. I was saying like, I would, I would never, ever want to do audio interviews, like, like where you're actually using the audio itself, because that is so hard to predict if the person you're going to be talking to is 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 a good talker or not. Well, and I don't really have anything negative. There's some things I can get into with certain people, and I'm not going to be disrespectful. I've look, long story short, never had an issue with anybody. That's that's the truth. Never. There are certain things I can nitpick on a personal level for me, like just me being, uh, you know, uh, anal retentive. But some standouts to me over the years of people that I may have been nervous going in or they just turned out to be great. Uh, I got to do a shout out here first in case he's listening. Uh, uh, I don't want to get beat up on the side by him. Uh, Terry Wolfinger of uh, Game Fan fame. And numerous other things present day, you know, great, fun, down-to-earth interview. Uh, I want to say Thomas Lipschultz of uh, – who did a, who did a Trails in the Sky? Uh, I get. I always get them confused. Exceed, and then uh, what's the other one? I always confuse no, no, them. Yeah, it's Exceed. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Exceed, Exceed was great. Had them – I think we had them on two or three times. Um. Some of the voice actresses, and I don't know what happened to her, but um, Cat Steele. Just uh, the point is fun, energetic, keep the conversation going. And then there's other people that are much more serious, or, uh, and it's not that they're wrong or they're bad. You know, maybe they've got different type of representation or, you know, a different type of audience that may be listening to them. So, like, there are certain things you don't think of or that come into play. Um, and, and that's just kind of how, how it goes. I will say this since we're on the interview topic here kind of impromptu it kind of just tied back to something i was going to kind of pitch to our audience and you may hate it but uh, don't forget to send your emails and responses to this question at generic at morningproject.com and i was speculating in the future right now we're on kind of a schedule of one a month we'll see how that goes we want to thank the fans for their support we have received some emails i have received positive feedback on the social networking avenues would you like to hear interviews every now and then? Uh, whether Maybe it would be with the likes of an Exceed. Maybe it would be a Terry Wolfinger. Um, you know, I forget while I talk to some of these people on a regular basis, I forget that the audience listening doesn't. So, for example, you know, I may have interviewed some of these people, uh, you know, on, on other podcasts within the last couple of years. But I forget that, you know what, even though I have correspondence with these people, the people haven't heard them in years. So, you know, is that something or an endeavor you'd like to hear as a treat every now and then? Maybe for a portion of our episodes. I don't know how much interest there is uh, on this avenue. Obviously, it would try to be either – it would either be a focus of people who had a part, whether it be game fan or magazines like that, or artists, or, you know, hopefully something more Japanese gaming-centric. So if that's something you'd like to uh, hear, give us a shout at generic at morning Project. 
com or hit us up on Twitter at Picoeri, P-I-K-O-E-R-I, or 24-Bit A-J-E. And don't forget to give us those clicks at radio.morningproject.com. I'm actually in the I'm middle of kind of revising that web page. I so. saw that it has kind of a new, uh, more modernized yeah, layout. I think the old, old one was a little hard to understand, and I'm I'm I haven't had time to really sit down and and totally work out the new one. But I'm trying to make it look better and easier and more sensible. Um, so it's it's a work in progress. But it. it I, it, I will it, say this: the person will rename nameless. It's someone you and I know. <laughs> they made a joke. I pitched the interview idea to them. And they said, they said, what do you and I need someone to interview for when we can talk for four hours? <laughs> so I made a joke and I said, well, you know, maybe what Shadoshi and I can do is we could maybe role play and make believe we're from company X or Y. And with our vast knowledge, we can just make believe we're representing that company and yes. do them that way. I, I don't know if that's, that's legal or not, but... Uh, but, uh, you know, if, once again, for those that are hanging in there for the long haul on this episode, uh, we do intend to get to pro wrestling video games, uh, some fond memories, uh, and our take on that genre. Before we get into that, we'll try and make this lightning fast, this segment. And I'm going to throw a whole bunch of stuff out here at you here first, and then I'll let you comment afterwards, uh, whether it be uh, memories, experience, and what you may be potentially looking forward to. So here comes a rapid fire lowdown. Okay. San Diego Comic Con just finished up, uh, took place July 24th, 27th at the San Diego Convention Center. In recent years, they've had over 130,000 attendees. Don't know what it was for 2014, but I'm sure you know firsthand. We've got Gamescom in Germany coming up uh, August 14th to the 17th. PAX Prime in Seattle, August 29th. Uh, 29th through September 1st. Don't know if there's going to be an XY panel. I know you partook in that uh, last two years. I can't say if there will be or not yet, but I would I would say that since our first panel, there has been one at every pack since then, so it might be a safe bet. So let's look forward to breaking information on that. And then last but certainly not least, rounding out the near future trade shows, TGS, Tokyo Game Show 2014, Business Days taking place September 18th through the 19th, and Public Days September 20th through 21st. And the reason I will throw this in here, the most notable aspect of this, which was teased online within the last couple weeks, was Persona 5. Yeah, I'm I'm actually excited because um, my my host sister, if that makes sense to anybody, is getting married, and it ends up she's getting married the week before TGS, which worked out perfectly for me. Uh, so I'll be going to Osaka first, and then down to Tokyo. So I will be in Japan for just about two weeks in September. That is uh, perfect timing. Yeah, so I will I will have a nice little stay over there, which I'm very very excited about. Um, on the other hand, I, you know, this was a topic I was actually kind of thinking about maybe bringing up on this show. Um, with all of my being, I hate San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> I cannot explain how much I hate that show. It's, it's just absolute horror. Um, 
unless people from comic-con are actually listening and in that case i love your show so don't take away my credentials or anything but <laughs> i hate that show so much well it's, let's clarify for listeners uh, and what i believe what i'm assuming here I, I don't think you hate any people or you you, you hate any of that aspect no, i'm assuming just, i'm assuming you hate uh, the the just maybe the environment the clutteredness the the craziness I, it's 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 a it's it's too big for its own good it's it's trying to be too many things to too many people um it's the the convention hall is just absolutely horrible because it's one gigantic long hall so it's it's like so 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 poorly designed that that location um nobody knows anything nobody knows where anything is at on staff you know the the people who are the, from, from the convention place who are hired to kind of run things, they are totally rude. They yell at everybody. Really? There's part of the problem is in a majority of the place, there's absolutely nowhere you can sit down. And and having what you said, like 130,000 people? In 2010, the, the, they claim online it was over 130,000. Right. So you have you know, numbers like that. And. People are going to need to sit down at some point throughout the day, but the entire show floor is just littered with with booths and 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 you know things like that. There's a small, tiny little area of maybe like twenty, thirty tables where you can eat lunch, but as soon as those are filled up, you have you have nowhere to sit to eat food. You go out out into the main hall or upstairs, and if you try to sit against the wall, people will yell at you and tell you to get, to move on and stuff like that. There's just nowhere to sit. Um, people bring babies, and it drives me crazy every single year that people bring babies to the show. Like, if you're talking about having 130,000 people or whatever it is crammed into like a convention center, why would you bring your tiny little baby? into that environment yeah i mean that's not an environment for numerous reasons whether it just be for just every day taking care of the child when necessary uh whether it be for germs floating around uh you know it's like it just gets but you know yeah germs uh diseases anything people being sick just the crowds you don't know if like you're if if you're into a point where like it's totally crowded and something just god forbid happens uh, the fact that you, know, if you have a stroller, that you're taking up all that space for your stroller because you're too selfish just to stay at home and not go to Comic Con when you have a baby to take care of, it, it's, oh, it just drives me nuts, and I, I just can't believe people are that irresponsible. I mean, like, I understand if your child is old enough that they can appreciate it, you know? Right. Then, that's a different. Then, that's a different then, like, ballgame. Okay, okay. You go to Comic Con and you have your your kid and you take him. That I understand that, but it, it's like. It's like taking your kid to like a, an amusement park and taking a baby on like a roller coaster, you know. Like the baby doesn't care; right. you're getting nothing from it. You're you're putting your baby in danger, and the reason why you're doing that is because you want to be there and you want to be doing those things, you know. It's like God forbid you take like four years of your life where you can't go out and do things like that. Right, or plan, you know, and that like no cost like money, right? It plan it a little bit differently, you know. Because if you can afford to go to Comic Con, you can yeah. afford to pay somebody for four days. Uh, I knew that was yeah, and you're exactly right. I knew that point was coming, but yeah, that's that's exactly my train of thought as well. Yeah, so, and just all oh, that, and yeah, and just like I said, it's it's you know, I love PAX, I love E3, I love TGS because those are events that that mean something to me. Whereas Comic Con, there's so much there that I just don't care about, and and so much of the the, 
shofar is is just here come buy something from us you know like buy comics buy toys buy <laughs> you know limited edition limited edition we have limited edition for your show you can only get it here limited edition you know i don't i just don't care don't yeah care. a lot of the stuff i'm a sucker for out of that is you know one of the only things i really stay abreast of is udon entertainment's products yeah and and that was the uh if you saw my vine of the guy drawing poison oh i saw it on twitter and i think i retweeted it yes yeah yeah so that was at the udon booth was it long vo or the chamba or it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't long because long vo was i think one of two people who's sitting there but he wasn't the one drawing poison and yeah i saw that and i'm like Oh my god, I love that picture. And so I was like, I felt so bad because I knew I was going to ask the guy to draw me the exact same picture. I'm like, <laughs> all I want from you is the exact same thing you just drew. Um, but he 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 didn't have any more spaces that day because it was like it was like near the end of the day, like a half hour before the show closed. And unfortunately, that was my last day I was going to be there, so I couldn't get a, a, a picture. But I wanted one so bad. Oh, but yeah, that was. One? No, no, because like I said, it, it was that was Saturday at like five thirty when the show floor closed at like six, and um, I was leaving that night to go home, so I, I didn't get one. Uh, but that was at actually at the Udon booth, yeah. What? So I mean, like the Udon booth was kind of cool, and you know, like Kotobukiya had uh, some of their cool figures there, which they're actually doing a poison. I I I saw. In there, be oh another line. one oh no or no, I shouldn't say another one I have one but it's not Kotobukiya yeah yeah no but they're doing a, a Bishojo line poison this is going to be way off topic it's kind of on topic and it's not and it's you can leave this in it's nothing confidential or private and what I'm about to say but make it go in one ear and out the other and no promises so po- poison poison's one of your favorite characters well I mean I I I have a, she has a special place in my heart at this what point, if This is all hypothetical. If you wanted a comic-like representation of yourself or influenced by a gaming character, like, give me some direction as to what you'd want for maybe artwork-type stuff for maybe this podcast to put on the site. That's interesting. Yeah, and make believe I might not be able to pull this off, so don't. So yeah, give me hmm. just give me some basics like maybe a fault, maybe a, a f- I don't know, maybe um, maybe a photo you like of you, or and maybe have influences from a certain character, or something along those lines, some sort of direction, hmm. or how okay. you'd want to be represented. I'll have to think about that one. I'll have to, I'll have to think about yeah. that one. Yeah, let me that. uh, let me know. And the uh. I'm actually kind of jealous of you because you do have that poison statue, that poison figure, which I, I, I think at the point that that I wanted to get it, it was past the point to get it. Well, I'll, I'll kind of uh, not to sound like I'm never satisfied. I, I do like it, and it's still in my living room on my coffee table. It's actually one of the few little statues I still have out in my older age because I've had to tone some of that stuff down. I got that from NCS. And I'm very pleased with it. It's the alternate color of poison, which I believe that, is primarily the black attire with blonde hair. That's and that's the problem. That's the reason why I don't have it. Because I mean, that's I don't. That's not. That's not technically Roxy. Oh, Roxy. Yeah. Roxy has orange hair, but uh, that that's what I would consider to be is kind of like the the Roxy version. If if because I, I, I don't think there ever was an actual 
official Roxy. Roxy. Right. So I because because I think it was like the second run what I got. But between you and me, I truly did want the original run with the pink hair. Right. But it was by the time I got to that, it was it was gone. Yeah, and that, and that's 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 the thing I always. Like I've been very good about not getting into figure collection, collecting, um, and that's what I hate about figure collecting. It's it's this this industry that is built around we are making X amount of them, so either you get in the day it comes out, or actually you get in months before it comes out and do a pre order, <laughs> or you're just screwed. I, and I hate that because there's there's so many things that, like I find out about later. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, it's four hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, um, like God forbid, like you want any of the Transformers at this point. You know, oh, like ju- speaking oh. of Transformers, I have to. You said it. Have you seen those limited edition, the Optimus Prime and Megatron coming out in twenty fifteen? I have. One turns into a PlayStation, and one turns into a Mega Drive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I. I said I I have to sometime I'm usually very good about not getting figures or whatever, <laughs> but that's a case where I'm having to be like, oh, I, I I don't because you 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 don't just get one right, <laughs> you don't just get Megatron or you don't just get Prime, you have to get both because yeah because Megatron is a Mega Drive right and then is it is it is Optimus the the place that, yeah 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 yep. Um, but yeah, not to cut you off like yeah. that. You said Transformers, but yeah, it's uh, you, you were saying that you know you look back now at Transformers and their hundreds of dollars and stuff that you've missed is you know skyrocketed in price. Yeah, because I mean, because I, I I would love just to get like the uh, like the I don't know how much you know about Transformers, but there there's the masterpiece versions. Like they're like the way more detailed, way more complex versions. Like like. If you had a, a dream version, of what the, to- the toys would be, this is this is those versions, um, and they started as the kind of the race car line where they had like just a lot of the cars. Mm. And that that really cool masterpiece Optimus Prime came out, and then stuff, and so they did, they did a masterpiece version of Grimlock, which was really cool. Um, I'd love to get Grimlock or a couple others because I have two. I have Prime, and then I have uh, oh, what's his uh, Skids. Um, I love the Prime or or you know Soundwave or something, but they're just like just so expensive. Yeah, I know. I look now. I'm assuming what you have are imports. No, I have actually. Um, I got lucky and found the American versions just oh, at really? the right time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh wow. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, but it's, it, 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 it just sucks because yeah, it's it's like either because they're always just like so expensive, and it's like okay, do I do I get it or do I not? And by the time you've given it any thought, it's it's at a point where now it's like twice as much. Yeah, you know, I must finally be getting older because I do want all of those things still legitimately, and I'm still a fan of it. But I've, you know, I've been turning away from some of that because I'm like, I, you know, you know how it is. We talk about it on the oh, show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like between the gaming and like, you know, I still collect a lot of the Udon art books and some of their hardcovers. And then I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, I'm like, damn, like, you know, I've got the poison statue. I have a Ray, what is it, Ayanami. It looks kind of kind of sexy, but like, a, you know, I have one of those Kotobukiya statues, and I'm just like, Jesus, you know, and it doesn't end. You know, the, you know, someone told me a long time ago with the Udon stuff, and it's totally quality and worth it. 
but they're like, you know, now they're to the point. Like I remember when that company first started mm-hmm. and they brought out a couple hardcover editions and I have, I still have their first ever hardcover edition. It's got to be worth something. And they only did like one of those in a year, every couple of years. And now it's like every quarter, every few months. And I'm like, shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, but I don't know. I guess so it's the a, one, you know. The, the one the one figure line the one the one figure time I should say not not necessarily line that I let myself buy things is Persona, um, and what what really pisses me off this is one of the good reasons why I don't get into figures is so I started collecting the Persona three characters and they came out with uh, Mitsuru and then Igis, so they had they had those two, and then they. That same company just stopped for a while or something, and then a different kind of company made the main character, but the main character's scale was not, not the same scale that the first two characters wow, were done so, in. Wow. And then the first company went back and did, I think, Akiko, uh, Akihito, but... They changed his scale, so he wasn't the same scale as the original two characters. So I'm like, I've bought two figures so far, <laughs> and they're not the ones I want. But I bought them because expecting there's gonna be an entire line of them. You know, I mean, not that I don't don't want I guess right, series, but, it, but like, right. they, they, like I don't want them just by themselves. You know, I want the whole entire group. And so now I have just those two figures and nothing else. And so I I did then do the figmas that came out for Persona Four. But then again, that was Chie and Yukiko, and that's the only two that have come out at, that, at this point. So okay, I have two of the female characters, and that's all I have from the game. You know, it's like, and it that that's one that's one thing that really helps me not cut characters is when there's just no consistency to which ones you're getting. Because I don't want like one from here, one from there. I either want the entire group or I want none of them most of the time, unless it's a character I absolutely positively love. You know. Um, so, so it, it just drives, it drives me crazy. And so that's one of the reasons why I can avoid buying them because just like I hate the practices of of these figure companies. Speaking of female characters, do you remember about ten years ago? And I remember this from when I worked at the game store. That Square at one time was bringing over those fairly high quality FF ten. I want to call them figures, but they they yeah. were large. Yeah, I'm sorry, I missed those i have um the ones from eight i saw those I, I, yeah I those were the nice same line <clears throat> they're like the vinyl figures because i have uh maybe they did eight as well yeah i have what's his face i have squall i have quistus and i have selfie i think mm. so i don't know if they're the same ones but yeah I, I know square sometimes does bring do sometimes bring over their those those lines Wow. So you ha- you have some of those? Yeah. Wow. I do. Um mm. I still have them. I have them I'm here actually. Wow. I used to have the whole FF seven. You remember when they brought those figures here? I, I have I still have those. Would you believe I gave those away on the house to an old friend? I now, gave now away. Which ones the... which ones which ones were which which ones were out? Because I know um I had Cloud Barrett, yeah. Tifa Red, red thirteen. That, that's what I was I had red thirteen. Um, was there ever a Yuffie? 
I don't. Re- I'm going off memory, so I don't recall. I can't remember if there was or not. Hmm. Yeah, those were pretty nice, though. I, I, from what I remember at the time, those were like those really were nice. heavy. Those but, were like uh, you those, don't see those, a lot. Those like old school. This might be a good segue. Remember those old school like wrestling figures, the WWF figures, <laughs> like that you like club somebody in the head with. Yeah, like they were like that kind of quality, like like because Barrett was like just thick and just heavy, and you could throw him at somebody and cause like brain damage. I think. <laughs> Well, maybe that's our opener here to get into our main topic of discussion here, pro wrestling video games. I don't even, I don't even know where to begin, and I don't think that's, a, that's probably not a great way to start this, but I mean, <laughs> pro wrestling is, you know, it's uh, been a fan of actual professional wrestling for just about as long as I've been a fan of video games. And uh, so to me, at times, they can go hand in hand, and much like my video game tastes, my and that's maybe the problem too is that i'm i'm so picky when it comes to professional wrestling having watched it so many years and what i expect and what i've seen and haven't seen and it's the same thing with video games you know your tastes become you know very fine-tuned and you're into certain things or have certain expectations maybe that's the word the certain level of expectation and Having such a passion for gaming and also having such a passion for the world of professional wrestling, when it comes time to mix the two, it's not always as uh, great as peanut butter and chocolate. Sometimes it's like oil and water. And uh, hopefully Shidoshi and I will get into some of our feelings. Uh, One positive aspect of having great pro wrestling video game related memories and then our take on as to why maybe pro wrestling video games haven't uh, been fully realized or their fullest potential hasn't been done so uh yeah and wrestling fandom's really a strange thing um because and and i feel like sometimes it, it has changed and it hasn't but it, it there's kind of this belief out there that like wrestling fans are are kind of just like these white trash people living in trailers <laughs> somewhere you know and that's not the reality, you know, but that's, that's kind of like you're almost embarrassed sometimes to say that you're a wrestling fan. And I don't necessarily watch it, the product as much anymore. I like will occasionally here or there, but I mean, I got into wrestling, I think because my, my dad watched it a lot and, um, my parents split up at a, a young age. And so I would hang out with my dad sometimes. And when you're kind of looking for things to connect with your, the parent you don't live with, um, you, you just, find what you can and one thing was he watched wrestling sometimes and so that was a thing that we could connect with at you know in certain ways and i actually i feel like yeah the the reason i got my very i i say but like my, my mom and i our household um the reason we got our very first vcr was feeling so old now was was to tape uh, one of the pay-per-views so that my dad could then see it later. Wow, that's kind of an interesting uh, story. Yeah. Do, I'm going to press you a little further. Do you remember which pay-per-view? I I don't, and I, I'm I'm thinking back because I mean this this was when I was really really young. So this was a been a point where I felt like the pay-per-views were you, know, you had WrestleMania, you had I feel like King of the Ring, uh, Royal Rumble. And Survivor Series, right? They they had like their big four, right? 
at the time. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that at the point where it was, yeah, it was like the the big, the either the four or six. You know, it wasn't. It was not anywhere near the. the uh, I'll be I'll be a nerd for the wrestling aficionados. Yeah, they had the big four, and then they introduced the fifth with King of the Ring. I think yeah, okay, yeah. So, so what, what were the big four then? Because it would have been WrestleMania, Survivor Series. You had WrestleMania, uh, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, and Royal and Rumble. Royal Rumble. Okay, yeah, SummerSlam yeah. was the fourth one. That's right. So yeah, so, I mean, that's how I got into wrestling, and so I've kind of been into it all my life. Um, so I, I'm not like a super hardcore fan, but you know, I, I've gone to see shows and stuff. I was at last year's SummerSlam. Which was kind of, was kind of. I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, not that it's a big, big thing or deal or anything. But I was, I was actually in last year's uh, SummerSlam. I was in the one of the box areas. I don't know what you call it. Like the not a press box, but like you know how like the state as the auditoriums have like the boxes that you can that like they give they 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 rent to like companies or whatever, and they have. Does this make sense at all? So kind of like the high roller section. Yeah, so it's it's like you have your own little room basically. There's a there's a a, a door, a person outside your door that checks to make sure you can get in that room. Wow, this almost sounds like years, many years ago. I was very young when I lived in New York at Yankee Stadium. I got tickets to an area where there was like seating and a glassed area with like a small fridge. Yeah, so so this well, so this room actually was big enough that like it had a back area. So it had it had two rows of seats, and I want to say, um, oh, so maybe like sixteen seats in this area total. And then behind those two rows, they had couches. Yeah, wow. You could, sit, you could sit in the couch, and then behind that was a whole little room where we had this this big buffet spread and stuff like that. I didn't realize – w- I've heard of this with other sporting events. I didn't realize WWE had this type of thing set up with their – Yeah, it was it – because it's, it's down at the Staples Center here. And mm. it was actually one of the WWE's rooms, which I didn't realize at first. So I sat next to Jerry Lawler's girlfriend. Get get lost. <laughs> when, we, when we were watching SummerSlam, so just this is going to be for the really hardcore wrestling fans. This may come across as inappropriate and maybe too pro wrestling for the gamer audience, but uh, for those that are wrestling junkies, I have to ask: Was uh, Jerry the King Lawler's girlfriend uh, older than eighteen? I I I that's a good question. <laughs> she was she was a bitch. she was a very young lass. Let's just say that. No kidding, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure she was legal. But, oh, um, I, you're right. But yeah, it's, she yes. was that young. She's still dating the rather young I, women. Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah, I would definitely say she's in her twenties. Wow. Um, because yeah, cause wow. I, I, I I think she was. I I think she was either texting him or talking to him at some point on her cell phone. Um, and was telling him what like where she was at. And I was wondering if we were going to see any other rest, uh, WWE people, but they didn't show up there. But the day before. I actually got to um, that was the day I met Paul Paulie Paul Heyman. Wow! Uh, and it was there was Paul Heyman, there was uh, Austin, Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, and oh, this is at the uh, controversial panel with Ric Flair. This was the yes. I, so I, I, I was I was at the panel where Ric Flair K fourteen um, got uh, Jim Ross fired basically. And and then there was also the day when I got to meet uh, Ultimate Warrior, and I heard him speak wow. and stuff. And he was great. I mean, he was like 
that was that like one of the coolest things I've ever had happen in terms of wrestling stuff was like going in and listening to him talk because you can, you kind of go in with these thoughts of like okay Ultimate Warrior is just totally insane dude because he named himself Warrior Warrior at one point you know right. well, and, that was his legal name up until Death yes, Warrior yeah sane people don't do that uh, but we heard him speak and he was just like so like real and so honest and like what he was saying like was just like really hit you like man this this is really cool and so i got to get a chance to meet him but so yeah i mean so i've had experiences like that and it's going to like pay-per-views basically you know normally and stuff like that and and everything so i've been a fan for like a long time and that's a great story as as, as you have oh for myself no, no, no! Same thing. Like, like you, you've been a fan as well. For oh, yeah, I'm too. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Even though this is the main topic at hand, I'm. I'm I don't know. I'm almost more embarrassed to delve into to this. But uh, before we move on to myself uh, on the Ultimate Warrior aspect, you know, you know, I was, you know, followed pretty much his whole career. Hmm. And I subscribed to his YouTube channel prior to him coming back to World Wrestling Hat. And so I got to see some of those speeches. I'd seen footage of some of that stuff. And um, yeah, you know, it was very powerful. I liked a lot of what he had to say. I agreed with a lot of it. Um, you know, simultaneously, you know, it was interesting because because of his background and because of a lot of the rumors. And, you know, people age and they mature. And uh, I don't know what to believe sometimes, you know, because I read so many books and, uh, at the end of the day, with the warrior, with the way he went out, I think it was positive. I think, I think, yeah, yeah, I think the yeah, message yeah. he portrayed was yeah. good. And I, I, hell, I just bought some of his merchandise. Always been a fan of the actual character, that character bringing it back to video games. That character, you can see his influence throughout various video games. The one that comes off the top of my head, including uh, the boss in Streets of Rage one and two from stage three and a later stage in Streets of Rage two. You know, so I mean, th- there is that crossover in terms of design from the video game world and wrestling and vice versa. But um, th- back on the Warrior name, it was interesting. And I- I'm completely talking out of left field with no proof or evidence. I always wondered if one of the reasons he changed his name to Warrior, at least at the time, you know, obviously it was more of a, a, a statement for his belief and that lifestyle, you know, okay, I, I get that. But, you know, in the early 90s, there were some lawsuits with him and WWE over the property of the character of Warrior and Ultimate Creations. And I always wondered if he tried to work a loophole in changing his name to Warrior and that he could always right. use that name. You know what I mean? And now we're really dissecting stuff from what's now ancient history. But in the 90s, you know, it was re- relevant. And if you look back, I still have all of the old Warrior comics. And if you look back at a lot of that stuff, you would see Ultimate Creations cited. And if anyone has those books, if you look, if when you open a comic book, like you look in the first page, you'll see the date. You'll see like, you know, for example, you know, printed in the United States of America, copyright XYZ. And there would be stuff written in that fine print paragraph from him that was just insane i I don't know if you know what i'm talking about and i I, one of my goals on this podcast was not to swear you know to clean up my language and and treat this professionally so what i'm going to say is uh not an exact quote but it's from what i remember and it was stuff like printed in the totally fucked up united states of america 
<laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like if you took the time to read that stuff or the stuff that was written in there, it was it was it was crazy at the time. But uh, you know, I, I mean, it's it's uh, you wonder, you wonder. Like sometimes, like you know, I mean, I, I definitely think that with anybody, you know, as we age, we kind of get a little older and a little wiser and calm down about certain things. Um, but I think I think part of it is just that, like, I think wrestling by its nature attracts people who kind of need to become these like larger than life figures, you know, because if you, you know, especially in that era, if you didn't have a character, if you weren't something or in somebody, you weren't going to get anywhere. And it's kind of like you live, you know, like, like, like an actor, right? An actor may play a character at a, on a movie, right? but, they do that for you know like six months or so, and then they're done, and they move on to a new character, and so they're never stuck in one thing for long enough that it kind of becomes who they are. Whereas with wrestling, I think it's easy to almost become the character, you know, if you're not totally grounded. Oh, it's, think, yeah, that's a whole. It's so insane, and, and, and especially back then, because back then, you know, for people who don't know wrestling and don't know any of this kind of stuff you know when you were you were never off in those days you know when when you were just kind of out in the world and and walking around or whatever you had to keep up that that mythos you had to keep up that that you know believability that you were who people were seeing on television so if you were you know, a good guy, you acted like a good guy in real life. If you were a bad guy, you had to act like whoever you were. Um, so I think, I think it's probably easy for people to kind of like get a little insane to a certain level. Right. And to uh, back on that point, you know, back in the day, the the good guys traveled together. The the bad guys or heels, as they say in wrestling, traveled together. They were not to be seen together. You know, right. thing, things of that nature, you know, to uh, separate locker rooms. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about that for hours, that alone, how much the industry has changed and direction. And I mean, God, I don't know. That's that's a whole different ball game. It's so crazy, you know. Um, but yeah, video games. I, yeah, v- video games, pro wrestling. You know, I got, got into it about the same thing about 30 years ago. Um, I, I don't I don't even I don't even have a an exact reason as to what made me gravitate towards it. I mean, I remember seeing it on TV and, um, and I liked it. I, I went to some of my earliest shows around 85, 86 in New York at the Westchester County center, seeing names like the British bulldogs or, uh, you know, uh, some of the heart foundation demolition, uh, Ricky steamboat. Those are just to name a few names. And then, years later attending you know more modern shows but um yeah i don't know just always like professional wrestling back on the video game aspect of it one of the earliest wrestling games i remember owning how how, how about maybe before that like what is the first wrestling game you remember playing not even, not even necessarily owning. It, could, it might be the same game, but like, what's the first game you remember actually playing? It's either one of these two. I could be remembering it wrong. It was either, I want to say, Tag Team Wrestling on Sega Master System or playing WWF Superstars in the arcade. Hmm. Um, 
But because what's that? Because I was I because I, I I thought I knew. Because I felt like I was going to say pro wrestling was 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 my first one, you know. But then I I was looking through the list of games and I remembered Matt Mania by Taito, <laughs> the arcade game, and I I think that was probably my I remember very I the thing I remember most about the, at, at this point was that like Darth Vader and Spider Man were in the in the crowd. I you know it's, I didn't know you were going to bring this up, but I okay so yeah I think the Jackson Five was in the crowd like an alien yeah right oh yeah like I think the alien was in there too yeah. Um, yeah. So that that was like the first wrestling game I remember actually playing, and I just remember very very little at this point. But it was an arcade game, and that was the first kind of time I was like, "Wow, you can have these, you know, this wrestling thing as a game." And it was just it was because I mean, when when you're a little kid and you watch wrestling, there's something inside you that makes you want to do that, you know. And so you'd always like. I remember one day, and I don't know why my, my mom allowed this, but like we had a like a, a bed mattress on, on the on the on the on the living room floor, <laughs> and that was our ring, you know. And so we'd like get up on the couch and like jump off the couch onto the mattress, you know, and pretend to like. I mean, it's like totally just you shouldn't want kids to do this, but you know, like right. doing like elbows or like right. like um, submission holds. And and since we didn't know how, what they really were, we were like trying them for real because we thought wrestling was real, you know, and so. You're potentially causing damage to your friends as you're playing, you know, but um, you'd make up, like, your moves and stuff. So you always wanted to, like, do, like, emulate that. And they tell you in these days not to do this at home, but you still want to do it at home. So, like, having it in video game form was kind of that way to, like, make you make you feel like you were, like, that wrestler in the ring in front of the crowd and everything. And that's, like, I kind of think what the original draw for me was to these kind of games. And... So then Matt Mania was the first one I remember playing that kind of got me down this line of playing video game wrestlings. Well, and it's funny because while that is on my list and one that I played, Matt Mania, also known as Exciting Hour in Japan, which also recently became available on the Japanese PlayStation 4 network. As as insane as that sounds, you might have seen me tweeting and Instagramming some photos a couple weeks ago. Uh... I downloaded That's it to crazy. my jab. Yeah, I mean, how nuts is that? Uh, it was that version. There were two. There was an altered version of it, and not really a true sequel. But the first version was copyright. You ready for this? Nineteen eighty-five. Wow. Wait on P- so on PS four. Uh, yeah, I, you can even check my wow. Twitter feed. Yeah, it's uh, actually a friend of another friend of mine sent me a PlayStation Network card. Japanese one via email is a surprise and he to have me download that and it's uh, that game was done by Technos and coming soon in September next month they're going to put up well right now they've got Matt they have uh, exciting hour as it was known and then they also put up Rygar the arcade version and then next month in September they're going to put up Renegade so is this through some kind of like uh because you know like um SNK had their their Neo Geo station on PS3 mm-hmm. Is that the same, same kind of thing here, or are they, they t- totally separate games? There's uh, there's no fancy, like, interface. Like, there's no hub. Like, when the Neo Geo Station stuff comes up, like, you can tell they kind of inter- – like, there's the icons that circle around when the data loads. And, like, you can tell that's like a um, – there's, like, a specialized interface for those. This is pretty much straight up, like, 
when you load up exciting hour, you get like a little screen of all these little screenshots and then it jumps into what would be perceived as like an emulated arcade. You like there, there's no added graphics or fancy interface or anything of that nature. Hmm. It's literally like a, I mean, if you told me they pretty much took the damn MAME thing and slapped it on there with PS4 controls, I'd pretty much believe you. Hmm. But, um, yeah, that was a quick note there. So, yeah, that game you're speaking of is technically uh, available. But I do remember playing that in arcades as well. Uh, going back, only knowing this from doing research in recent time, it's speculated that the main character you play in Ma- Matt Mania was probably based off of the Dynamite Kid. Because the character was named, I believe, Dynamite Tommy. And the Dynamite Kid's real name was Tom Billington. Interesting, and then that would be a that would be a uh, a trend that we will see going through um, Japanese wrestling games over time. Is that they have a a lot of enjoyment from including real wrestlers, but finding ways in which they aren't directly. <laughs> Acknowledging that they're the real wrestlers. <laughs> oh yeah, I used to love that. Getting a wrestling game or trying to figure out who they're supposed to be, like who they're and, really. And, yeah, yeah, and we won't spoil the, the game just yet. But there's a certain series that is famous for <laughs> um, ha- having a lot of wrestlers you recognize <laughs> and giving you the uh, much welcome option of just renaming them to. <laughs> To uh, you know what they they should be and right. and of course you know I mean I I don't know that there's any wrestler uh, who shows up more often either directly or indirectly or or homage form um, than you know, of course you know Hulk Hogan throughout all these wrestlers. Yeah, I didn't know who you were going for. I was going to either say Hulk Hogan or since we're on the Japanese team, I thought you were going to almost say the Great Muda. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Muda definitely is up there as well. Right. But I think just because of the nature of right. um, international games and stuff, I, right. I, I can't imagine that there's any character more popular in wrestling over time than, than, than Hogan. Uh, you know what? Se- segue real quick to this. Hulk Hogan in 2014 will be donning the Hulkamania edition of WWE 2K15 this October 28th. Limited. Okay, you know what? Like, like, let's talk this real quick because, um, obviously this is part of WWE Two K Fifteen. I think bigger than that because okay, Hulk, Hogan, whatever. Hulkamania version, you get a a piece of the mat, right? From one of his random appearances it was from Mar his return in March, which that that would make that would mean something to me if that was his return from like WCW. But just him showing up again, <laughs> that doesn't matter. But let's talk about, since we're talking about wrestling video games, let's talk about the fact that the other major pre-order bonus for this game is Sting. Sting, who for the first time, a, a, a you know, for anybody who follows wrestling, and we'll go back to the games in a second, I know, this is game-related, so bear with us. For anyone who follows wrestling, they're at this point, and you, you might agree disagree, I think at this point, you know, there, there was for a long time, there was the, are, is, is, is he going to go there? 
Right. You know? It's like, okay, are these big WWF slash E guys going to go to WCW? And then, oh, are WCW guys going to go to WWE? You know? Um, for a long time, there was the kind of, oh my God, X has shown up and Y. You know? Of course, it was Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage showing up in WCW. Right. Then, then you had, I mean, I still to this day remember and have on VHS somewhere the the appearance of Chris Jericho in, in WWF. That was a big one. I think summer in 99. Yeah, you know, that, that was huge. You had the, the radicals, you know, uh, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero showing up. You know, coming from WCW, so you had these these big things about people going back and forth. At this point, there I think really is only one person left that can have that kind of oh my god impact, and that's Sting, because Sting, who became one of the biggest stars of WCW and WA, has never stepped foot in a WWE ring. You know, he was the one man who was never going to go WWE. Um, and he talked about the fact, like, you know, that Vince, in, in offering himself, was always very kind. And he said, you know, he he appreciated all the offers he got, but he just never knew if they'd really, you know, be able to, to work out the character right. Because, you, you know, the, the way WWE works... And the way Vince works is kind of, he, you know, he wants to grow his own talent. So when he brings people over, they 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 don't necessarily always get to be the same level they were previously. Oh, I know. Oh, I got so many opinions on that. Oh, I got <laughs> so, so yeah, many I, opinions yeah, I, on that I, one. I know. Uh, um, just, to, just so we don't go on my 10-hour rant, I'm just going to steal something Jericho said, who is totally a WWE guy now. I listen to his show. Ultimately, in short, for Vince McMahon is no matter what you've done, you don't mean shit in Vince McMahon's eyes until you've done something in his ring. Right. Which I mean, look. On one hand, I can, I can, I'm okay. I can understand that, you know. But on the other hand, it is kind of like asking somebody to start over from from not you know zero status when they've been huge. And I would like to believe that someone like Sting at this point you're not going to make Sting go to like NXT you know and make him start <laughs> there you know and especially because if Sting did come over you know you would only getting him for like you know right it's a limited amount of different events. right different case on right. Him. right yeah and he's 50, so he's, he's currently 55 case. for the record right at this point it it, it gains you know Vince and WWE lose more than they gain if they don't recognize who Sting is. Right. And at this point, with WWE being gone and they own all the tapes and archives and everything, you know, there's no reason not to to have Sting be Sting. Um, but so yeah, with this game, this is this is the first time Sting is actually in the WWE universe, if you want to use their, their terminology. I want to say his debut for anything WWE related outside of that piece on the Warrior DVD was, I want to say, at San Diego Comic-Con. That was his first, I think, WWE event appearance. Uh, yeah, yeah, event-wise, yes. probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I know he's but No, couple... I know what you're saying, right, right. But, yeah, I mean, that was kind of historic as right. well, arguably. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I mean, but it was tough because, um, you know, he, he kind of like teased the day of the announcement. Right. And everybody has, has wanted to see Sting. I mean, like that was like, that was the hope for last uh, WrestleMania, right? Was it Sting and Sting was going to be the person to challenge Undertaker for the street. And I had my own fantasy. I booked, I, I had a booking in my mind to brag how I would have done that to keep it alive. But you keep, you keep going. Yeah, but so so I mean, so it's 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 kind of tough because it's it's cool that the game is getting sting, right? And it's cool that video games at this point are big enough profile that that is actually a big deal to them. But it's also kind of it does not to do a bad pun. It stings a little bit, you know that that his debut in WWE as a wrestler is comes in virtual form, in right? Game and not not in real life. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, we could go back and rewrite history, and I mean, would have I loved to have seen Sting have some success or done something in WWE? Sure. I mean, I'm a huge Sting fan. Seriously, one of of my favorite wrestlers had some great feuds in WCW with the likes of uh, Big Van Vader, Ravishing Rick Rude, the great Muda overseas. Um you know the what he was able to accomplish with the crow character you know his his accomplishments are are endless from the old nwa he truly was the face of ted turner's organization i know ted turner loved him because of his look the uh the popular fan favorite character he was a good worker you know he wasn't maybe the most technically sound but with what he had he was great he was always in great physical condition Certainly something that the WWE would have liked. Uh, ironically, his former tag team partner, the Ultimate Warrior, who had a similar gimmick in some ways, was also much different. Because even though they looked alike, I mean, I'll just come out and say it. You know, maybe in some ways the Warrior, you know, connected on a different level because of the WWE marketing power and their comic book come to life form. And the, and the Ultimate Warrior was perfect for that. Whereas Sting also had a look. I don't think it can be denied he was a much better worker having come up through the NWA and WCW old school style ranks, whereas Warrior left and kind of fit into that New York image. Um, you know, the other big factor, you know, people can look back on this and argue this till the end of time. But, you know, here's what I feel the reality of it is. He was making a hell of money in the heyday of WCW under Ted Turner. He was there with that company from the start. And who the hell could turn that away with the advent of the NWO? I mean, there's a time that's right. easy to forget now. Even though I was a WWF fan more, you know, through and through. I mean, there was a time it looked like WWF was, they were done. As a matter of fact, I still say to this day, I still believe this. I feel WCW was two guys away from finishing the WWE. And those two guys I feel were Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Because if you think about it. If they got Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker in the mid-90s, and I think some people at home may be going, well, what about The Rock and Austin? Well, if WCW picked out Undertaker and Michaels between, like, 95 and 96, who the hell would have groomed? Right. The, you know what I mean? Like, they need someone to feed off of or, to, you know, to have them grow. There's no way, in my opinion, those guys would have grown and you would have had that attitude era because there would have been no veteran or good workers left to I mean, literally, that company was, even though Shawn Michaels, according to history, was the biggest a-hole punk 
if you didn't have him in the locker room and The Undertaker and WCW got him, let me tell you how close they were. I still remember in old PWI magazines, which are non-WWF affiliated, I still remember seeing backstage shots of Michaels wearing the Outsiders t-shirts. See, I could I could see Michaels potentially going over. I don't know if I could ever see Undertaker. Well, I, and here's why I say this. I say this from a financial perspective. If if WCW maybe threw a different like, look, look, I don't care who you are. If the money's right, you're going. I'll, I'll give you another analogy. I know this is getting real wrestling heavy. In the mid-90s, there were a lot of wrestlers that liked work in the ECW, the atmosphere, more than WCW. And they would go to Paul Lee. Uh, we'll use Conan as an example, who wasn't the greatest worker, but he was known in AAA in Mexico and passed through ECW and was responsible for exposing Rey Mysterio and Psychosis to an American audience through ECW. And Conan talked to Paul Lee, and he's like, when he was in WCW, and he didn't like the way WCW was going in the mid-90s, even though the money was good, but the booking was crap. He talked to Paul Lee, and Paul Lee goes, what are they paying you there? And it was a big number. And Paul Lee, you know what Paul Lee told him? He goes, he goes, stay there. Take the money. Yeah. So my point is, is like, I don't care if it was The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, or who it was. If the money was right and the timing was doable contract-wise, you can't tell me WCW couldn't have made, you know, it, it had to be something sticking with the contract, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I said, I, I, I feel like Undertaker would have been one of those guys that just, like, he would have been there until the BWF closed and then would have gone over. But I, I could definitely have seen Shawn Michaels jumping. You know, and this all comes down to me as an adult. Now, I think back in the day, I think I had more of that mentality or like how would the, how could this guy, you know, that's the company. But, you know, now that I'm an adult and older in my 30s, let me tell you something. I don't know any man out there with a family and a wife that if you didn't give him enough zeros after that one and half the dates, that wouldn't yeah, have gotten done. Yeah, to be fair. Right. To be, to be fair. I mean, yeah, with the money that they were throwing around that point, I I – Okay, I, I think Undertaker could have gone over because they're, they're at the point where you they just cannot refuse. I mean, because some of the contracts were just like, like ludicrous that WCW were throwing around, you know. Millions and millions of dollars just to like have very few dates, you know. Uh, and he could have just like stayed home most of the time and just gone, done some appearances. And I mean, God, Undertaker would have been huge in WCW, you know. Um, I don't know that it would have... I don't know that it would have lasted because right. I, I think they, they showed... That they weren't good at long term booking. Right, that was a disaster. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of that comes to all, down to all the egos and stuff in the locker room, and not to stay on this too much, but um, it's it just uh, it, it was just a disaster in terms of the the, the backstage, the booking. But uh, I know the point I was going to drive home. But I'll tell you what, I bet you a lot of the guys from that era looking back now on how they handled it, maybe being younger and naive or taking advantage of the situation. I got to tell you what. They have got to regret that ship burning in terms of an alternate, in terms of those kind of contracts and guaranteed contracts they had at the time, which was unheard of. And, and, and now with WWE, at least in the North America, or at least in the U.S., when you got one big boy in town and that's it, they can make all the rules. I mean, same, same with video games, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's – PS4 – would not be as good as it is 
if Xbox hadn't have kicked its ass last generation. Right. Uh, I guess that's a you fair know? statement. Yeah, I guess from a development standpoint, architecture, learning from their mistakes, their e- their ego, their cockiness. Uh, I think that that's a very true statement. You know, I mean, I mean, a lot of people say we want one console, and I mean, I've I've said it myself at times. Like, I just want one game console. That's all I want. You know, but you kind of don't because it's very very easy to get stagnant and like not not you know not have to make yourself better and push yourself forward when you have no competition. I'm going to get, I'm going to mention a game that's probably the equivalent of discussing the devil on this podcast. But which goes along with this analogy. I hate to say it, but look at what's happened to NFL video games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Madden's the only one in town. And I, I look at it this way. You know, something is a little bit off base when you look at the NBA 2K series and stuff like MLB The Show and you look at their visual prowess for sports titles, which I'm not a big sports fan. But you look at that and you look at some other stuff with the NFL, with what could be going on, the number one sport in America. You know, that's that's proof right there that there's got to be competition. Yeah. You know. But And bringing it back to the wrestling game aspect, speaking of 2K, I believe the next-gen versions of WWE 2K15 will be using technologies associated with their NBA 2K series, which for those who haven't seen it is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it's um, that's a series that's had like really just terrible graphics for a long, long time. Which one are we talking about? Uh, the WWE series. Oh, oh well, uh, oh, okay. Uh, I'll meet you kind of on that. Uh, yeah. You don't think so? Uh, ter- I mean, the word terrible. I, there are some things uh, that I may associate the word terrible with with that title, but I don't know if I'd say uh, the 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 first WWE game I bought. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, recent, recent. Yeah, years. no, that's what I'm talking. Yeah, I was going to say, in over yeah. 13 years, I did yeah. pick up WWE 13. It, it, you know, it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't yeah. bad. We're going to get into some other nuances here later in this conversation. But I mean, I don't. I think terrible's uh, maybe an unfair statement. I I I think it's totally fair. But either way, I you can you're definitely seeing kind of the influence from 2K now on this new version, um, and it looks a lot better so far. I mean, it, we've only seen a screenshot, so we need to really see, you know. Well, they, and they released two more, I think, yesterday with Randy Orton. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah it I, still I, was I, seen I, in the ring, but yeah, it looked good, you know. But let's go back. Let's go back because we're getting way ahead of ourselves now. <laughs> so let's go back to to. So you talked about your for kind of first game, my first game. Um, I think what really kind of got me into playing wrestling games though was the nes because because there were like a number of games on that platform and i it's funny because i think one of the first nes wrestling games was muscle and muscle is a very weird thing because can't believe you're bringing this up keep going well i i had i had these i had the muscle figures as, as, as a kid right um, not I guess figures is kind of a, a a term they maybe don't deserve. They were these little solid, like they were all like peach colored or or <laughs> you know tan skin color. Um, these little rubber f- toys and of all these really really bizarre wrestlers. 
and there was this muscle game and, and it, the game wasn't great, but um, I remember playing it and I, I remember, you know, some experience with it. I, th- I think I rented it or something. Uh, but, but muscle in a, I don't know. I can, I don't know what muscle stands for. It stands for something. Do you know what it stands for? I don't know the, what is it? The acronym it's ultimate muscle, yeah. but overseas it's known as Kaniku man. Yeah, it, it uh, it's it's the series is Kinikuman. Let's see, the muscle stands for millions of unused. Okay, so so this is what's funny, right? <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm not cheating, but I'm just getting ready for a doozy. Okay, so this this is the the. So it came. Okay, so I guess they were in. They were erasers. Were they were they erasers in Japan? Because I don't think they were erasers in America. Because they said they, they came from um, King Keshi or King Niku eraser. Uh, it was an extensive and popular line of collectible erasers uh, from Japan. And so the, the, the series was King Niku Man, which King Niku Man is is literally like Muscle Man because King Niku is Japanese for muscle. Mm. Uh, and so there was this this. It was kind of like a, a wrestling story is what I understand. Um, I, I know a little bit about King Command, but not a whole lot. And so there was like all these like crazy, as Japan is wont to do, you know, you can't just have a human wrestler versus a human wrestler. It was like, okay, this, this is King Command's wrestling this wrestler, but he's a brick wall, you know? <laughs> oh, how's he going to beat the brick wall guy, you know? And so all these like crazy characters. So when they brought them to America, they read in the muscle with with periods, you know, so it's an acronym. And uh, you would never guess this. So so muscle stands for millions of unusual small creatures lurking everywhere. <laughs> because obviously that makes sense to a wrestling themed storyline. Uh yeah, so I mean, I I, re- I remember like muscle as as being like these all these little characters that were wrestlers, which I I don't know that I totally connected that fact. And yeah, the first the first series was pink, and then later on they had like different colors, so they, they were like red or blue or or whatever. Um, so you know there was muscle game, and it was it was terrible. There was a WWF WrestleMania game that actually Rare made, but I thought that was god awful. You're talking the one we're go, we're jumping ahead. You're talking uh, the one by for, for, Aki Core. No, 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 no. For no, for any. Oh wait, you said Rare. Yeah. Oh, you told I'm, I'm, my mind was so somewhere else. No, 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 no. Yeah, we're we're not, we're not there yet. No, we're still on NES. So I don't know if I'm, I'm trying ma- to remember that. It's 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 like a side scroller. I mean, I mean, not like a side scrolling like action game. It's like it's a wrestling and a wrestling ring. But like you're you're seeing. Think about it like you took a wrestling ring from the side and cut it in half, so that you don't see the the, the ropes. Rare made to you. this. Yeah. And it, it was you know Hulk Hogan, uh, Andre the Giant. Um, I don't remember. Like I, I'm sure Ted DiBiase. What system, probably... if you don't mind me asking? And and NES. Oh, the oh, you know that whole era. I, the NES titles. I even remember at the time looking at commercials and stuff. And I know you said rare, but I remember seeing stuff from like LJN. And it just looked well, yeah, like such was, garbage. Released, I never gave it was released. It was released by Acclaim. Um, but rare actually made it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that stuff on NES was atrocious. Well, yeah. So yeah. So there were there were some terrible ones like WCW game, which was. Horrible. I still remember the the only thing I remember about that game that I thought was cool and I never played it were the Road Warriors were on the cover. 
the Road Warriors were on the cover, indeed. Uh, but there were there were two what I thought to be good games on the NES, and and the first one was the one that really got me into wrestling games after Matt Mania because Matt Mania is an arcade game, you know, you play it here and there, but. Nintendo released Pro Wrestling. Yeah, that was yeah, that certainly would consider that a classic. Yeah, and um which of course is where the famous line a winner is you is from. <laughs> uh Pro Wrestling I thought was was great. for the time it was just, like, just awesome because it was like a wrestling game and it <coughs> it had these interesting like they were totally unique characters. But I'm sure it had a um, some sort of um Hulk Hogan takeoff maybe. Uh you know, but I mean it, had great unique characters that kind of had personalities that had move sets and and everything and so it was a fun little game and then i remember tecmo wrestling and the reason i remember tecmo wrestling was because they did this unique thing where the the top half of the screen was where you played with the the ring and everything but the bottom half they actually had a little anime announcer that had text speech bubbles comment, commentating on the match as it happened. And so I, from my memory, that's like the first, even though we don't, we don't maybe think of it that way, that was the first wrestling game that had in-game commentary for what was going on. Did you ever see that game? Well, I wanted you to finish your piece. So I don't want to be rude. I have to be no, honest on this. Ahead. NES Pro Wrestling, totally remember it, playing it, loved it. The second, the the second wrestling, what was it, Tecmo Wrestling? Yeah, te- Tecmo Wrestling. I saw that in recent years via emulation. Mm-hmm. If I had seen that back in the day, I, unless I saw it completely, it's out of my brain. If I had seen that then, I would have crapped myself. It was crazy. I saw that a few years ago on emulation because I saw that style done on a SNES wrestling game, I think by Human or something like that. But I was just going through stuff one day, uh, uh, the whole bunch of stuff, and I saw that Tecmo Wrestling, and I clicked it, and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, no, no. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's hard to – I mean, if you go back and look at that and think NES with the limitations of that and what um, – it was pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm sure, like, if I actually went back and played it, like, the, the commentary was not, like, super extensive or anything, but it was – it was just a really neat little thing that the you know the game had this announcer who was commentating it as you were playing, um, and I mean it doesn't totally make sense because like text wise like it's hard to like watch what, read what right. he's saying and, right. and play at the same time. But but it was a neat little gimmick that really just added this kind of flavor that you know I think it was bringing in one of the pieces that would go on to build into kind of what we as players want from wrestling games on the road you know that the idea that the wrestling game shouldn't just be two guys in a in a ring wrestling but it should be creating the atmosphere right the whole the, yeah the kind of theatric theatric nature of of wrestling as it is well, I totally agree. I think I think the presentation, like, uh, there's so much more. Like, even you know, football, baseball, things of that nature. You get different camera cuts. There's, you know, like the dugout or the sidelines. There are those elements that add different layers to those sports. But you know, wrestling is such a different, unique uh, form of sport and entertainment hybrid because 
there's the theatrics, like you say, the introductions, the music, the even storyline, colorful characters. There's so many different layers and nuances that come together to make it a complete, you know, uh, you know, entity that a lot of that is hard to convey in the gaming realm. And I think only up until recent years with the technology have they been able to start to realize some of that. Right. Um, so I don't know for you, like, what, what you would next say that you want to think about. But I, I, I know that, that for me, so, you know, I, when I was a kid, um, like, arcade games were still a thing, right? Like, I think kids these days probably don't even care about arcade games, you know. But, I mean, I remember when I was young, y- you would go to the grocery store, they'd have arcade machines there. Mm-hmm. You would you would go to, like, 7-Eleven, they had arcade machines there. You went to the, you know, the, the laundromat, they had arcade machines there. Um, for me, the thing was, I, I literally lived a block away from a bowling alley. And the the bowling alley was the most awesome place for me as a kid because... You went there. They had they had bowling, which was kind of cool. They had a, a a great snack bar, and they had an arcade. And that arcade at the time just they they had really great games. And one of the games they had was from a company called Technos, which would go on to do lots of fantastic things. And that was WWF Superstars. Yes. And this, I think, was was I think this was the first like official WWF arcade wrestling game um and i loved this game and what was funny to me was i was a typical kid so i i loved the faces and i hated the heels for, for the most part <laughs> even in the game and not, not i mean i mean in, in real life watching it like that's the way i was you know um and for people who don't know i, I know you mentioned heels earlier but so face are the good guys and heels are the bad guys uh but when I played Superstars, I always played Honky Tonk Man and Big Boss Man. <laughs> two two terrible bad guys, you know, like just mean, ruthless SOBs. Um, but I loved how they played, and I loved like, their moveset in the game. So I loved Superstars, and, and, and that was like, compared to what we had in the NES, like that was just a totally different level. I mean, the, the characters looked so much better you know uh the arenas than the gameplay and like they had little cutscenes because you were you were basically you were chasing after ted dibiase and honor the giant you know so they had little they had gene okerlund like interviewing them at certain times that and, blew me away at the time that, like when you walk into the arcade room and you'd see that and hear the voice off that that was yeah. mind-blowing for an attention getter yep so like like so, what would you say your your next kind of games that you really? Well, like? I'm right there with you, and I I won't go too much into the same stuff. But yeah, WWF Superstars by Technos. Uh, for those listening, I did a little you know homework. You know, some of the art direction on those characters was familiar because they also worked on the Double Dragon series and Renegade, as we uh, alluded to yeah. earlier. Uh, Superstars was great, and then the the one after that, I believe, also by Technos, probably their finest hour for wrestling was WWF WrestleFest in 1991. And and a, a much better game, I'm sure. I I ended up not liking it as much for some reason. I think just because I, I had just spent so much time with the first game. But I, I don't want to say I... Um, how do I put this? 
I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm going to assume maybe the element you didn't like as much, and maybe this is it was something that I had to get used to, is because you were forced to do tag. Yeah. It was I, always I two on two. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Whereas the other one, it was more that one on one experience, and it felt like it. Um, I don't want to say it had more of a methodical element to it, but the but to wrestle fest credit, you know the sprites and stuff look great. The uh, just you know the colorful, the pop off the game. Um, God, I don't know. I just remember all the signature moves, seeing all the signature moves, and being blown away by it. And I always remember wanting that to come home so bad. Yeah, you know, and 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 I, and I, I think I I. We never, from my my knowledge, we never got home versions of either of those games. No, and I'm going. I don't have it in front of me. I think we might have gotten a WWF Superstars, but it was not. I mean, I, yeah, I know one, was, one of them, one of them, one of them came to iOS. That wasn't recently. Yeah, which is absolutely not where I wanted. No, you know, but no, and it was a reskinned version of WrestleFest with like, right. yeah, I, I didn't even, I didn't even download it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so certainly on the same track there, I'll I'll say this before we get into our next layer. You know, for wrestling games, I think one of the points I was trying to drive home earlier was that as much of a fanatic I was about wrestling, I could like because of that when I saw the wrestling video games, none of them lived up to my expectations even at an early age. Before I get onto the next layer in my my wrestling gaming uh, history. The ultimate muscle aspect was really crazy that you brought up. And I don't know if I've had this conversation with you. I don't know if I'm making this up. If my memory is playing tricks on me that I talked to you about this. But years ago on the old game fan site, there was a question that was posed to readers in that, like, what was the worst game you remember playing? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I answered with ultimate muscle on NES and it got printed on the site. Hmm. But anyway, it wasn't until years later did I revisit or take a look at the Kenneku Man series again because I had no idea. That, mind you, this is before the internet, before uh, you know, the hardcore gaming publications came around. Like I played Ultimate Muscle at the time, thought it was trash, it got returned. But I also do remember the toys, as you had mentioned earlier, and I did own some of those. Yeah. But... Uh, not to jump too far ahead, the wrestling game that got me back into looking at wrestling games closely was uh, not until 1997 in All Japan Pro Wrestling featuring Virtua Fighter and Import on Sega Saturn, which I have to give thanks to listener and longtime gamer Ray Blade X Ray for turning me on to that one. That was a, uh, you know, I didn't play much of it, but that was, that was a, good game and i remember i remember like for there was a period of time where sega just had some really great wrestling games because there was like that and then later on um was because i mean because giant graham wasn't part of that series was it, it? technically yeah so they were technically is it okay yeah so yeah so it was uh they did all japan pro featuring virtua 97 and then later on in the dreamcast years they did giant graham and then i believe giant graham 2000 and there was there was uh, one of the I feel like the the first because um, I want to get into the awfulness of acclaim at some point <laughs> soon, but um, I feel like the first WWF 
Dreamcast game was actually good. I'm going to assume you're thinking of WWF Royal Rumble. I might because it was one like was there, it was it six six players? Yeah, there was like actually that, an arcade version of it which I played as well. Okay, I think it might have been running on um, probably the Naomi. Yeah, I, it I has to be, be because the only other WWF games during that era that I think were fondly remembered were N sixty four. Yeah, because I I want to say I want to go. I'm going to look at it right now. I want to say it was WWF or Rumble 2000. I want to go as far as well, this. Let me go back real quick while you're looking at that, yeah. and then we'll get back into the the Virtual Fighter one. But because uh, I wanted to say, because there was I think before we get to this era, there was an era of like a lot of arcade wrestling games that came out that I think were kind of a big deal. Because um, for me, I know one of the big ones was the main event from Konami. Uh, and, and one of the most memorable things about it was it had only had two buttons: it had the tag button, and then this big, gigantic, like light up button that that like looks like a popping music button or something, you know. Right. And and that button did everything. And you were again, this was one of the games like where you were forced to be a tag team and so you had to pick, and it had its own characters and everything. But like the the, the graphics were actually re- pretty good. But I remember just like loving that game because that was kind of like where. Okay, we're getting a little more complex with what a wrestling game is going to be, you know, over the earlier stuff. And that after that, interestingly enough, because this is the era where um, SNK and Capcom are, are competing head to head on so many different things, you know, like they are these big rivals. And so both companies have their own wrestling game come out in arcades. So on the SNK side, we get Three Count Bout. And on the Capcom side, we get Saturday Night Slam Masters. Mm, mm-hmm. Which both were really interesting games. I didn't play enough of either one to, to go super in-depth with them. But um, they were both interesting games. And what was what was cool about them was they they each had their own characters. But we were getting more into this idea of... Because of, I think previous to this, it was a lot of... Okay, let's make characters that are just kind of takeoffs of real people. You know? So you have... The, the British Bulldog takeoffs, the Hulk Hogan takeoff, the Great Muda takeoff, you know, um, Ultimate Warrior takeoff, and like that. But I think with these two games, you're starting to get into, okay, these companies are making their own federations and their own kind of mythos, you know, and especially with Slam Masters, I think Capcom did a really great job of, of making all those characters really unique and original. And you had a few, like Hagar, who you'd seen other, other places, you know, but they were really trying to make the idea of we can have fun and interesting federations without having to have somebody else's license. Uh, yes, and uh, I don't know if you want me to interject there, but uh, that's 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 a whole element I wanted to get into in that. Uh, I guess I'll do it just right now because we're kind of it's not like we have a set, you know, concrete layer to this. So, okay, Saturday Night Slam Masters three count bout. I'm familiar with both. Three count bout more later in my gaming uh, tenure because um, I, I don't remember seeing that one in the arcades, I'll be honest with you. But Saturday Night Slam Masters, I certainly do. Slam Masters of what I've played of both was certainly the superior one. Um, once again, you're going to hear me use some terms over and over to sound like a broken record for those that don't remember the arcades, but I feel many of you do. The big thing when walking into an arcade room is you needed something to get your attention. You needed big sound. 
you needed big sprites, big action. You know, wrestling certainly had that formula. Saturday Night Slam Masters had that in big over-the-top moves, large sprites, large enough to where you figured home conversions were going to be really tough. Right. Uh, to drive another point of getting one's attention when vying for your money, you mentioned the main event earlier, and I'm either going to make an ass out of myself or be dead-on accurate about something, and that I really can't picture the main event, and I'm not kidding you, but... I remember one thing, and that is walking into an arcade room and hearing the announcer say, the main event. Yep. So, so I mean, there's the power of the sound getting you to go over to the cabinet, because honestly, I can't even visualize that game right now, but I remember that. Um, just like, for example, the cry of uh, the space in Space Harrier, your main character dying. Uh, I remember, yes. you know, I, when you walk in, there were certain sounds you... Uh, you always remember from certain cabinets. But uh, to get back on track in terms of creating their own mythos, um, and it didn't take me long to figure this out either. Like, this isn't a revelation I had recently. This was years ago. One learns that, like, okay, so, you know, WWF programming, WCW, very popular. But then you realized, with, with exceptions, a lot of the times those licensed games turned out to be very weak, whereas the companies utilizing that license in terms of hoping sales are garnered from the name value and not really a quality product. Once again, it must be said there were exceptions to that, like on N64, etc. When stuff like S Slam Masters... Uh, and and, uh, and, and not even wrestling-based games, but I'm jumping ahead, but like games like Tekken having characters like King, Armor King, Dead or Alive with the female like uh, Tina, uh, Virtual Fighter having Jeffrey McWild, Wolf Hawkfield. The point of all of this is a couple things I always wanted. I either wanted like Capcom or SNK to continue the series and beef them up over the years or I always wished amongst the crossover craze of yesteryear with Capcom SNK Marvel Capcom this may have been a little more challenging in terms of more companies getting involved but I dare say the licensing wouldn't have been as problematic I always wanted the likes of like Sega Namco and Capcom to come together for a dream wrestling game utilizing their own characters and the reason I always wanted that was because I felt there would be no limit. When you're using a license like WWF or WCW and even present day, even though the technology is light years beyond now, you're always limited to those properties just as Marvel. Like when you use the Marvel characters in MVC or what have you, you always have to get permission from Marvel in terms of who's on the roster, who they agree with, and how those characters are represented. The power of – like as silly and as nerdy and D&D &D as this sounds – the characters have to be portrayed in, in a certain way. Uh, and I always felt with the wrestling game and those fictitious characters and those Japanese companies potentially working together because you're not working with an outside company per se like of a Marvel, the sky could have been the limit on a wrestling game. I, I mean, I, I was going to... I mean, this is something I was going to definitely bring up You know, when we talk about like what kind of we want from wrestling games. Um but I totally agree. I, I think we, we we will never have the best wrestling game we could possibly have as long as it has a license attached to it. 
because of what you're saying. Because the moment there's a license attached, there are certain rules and regulations that have to go with that. Certain things that are and are not possible, you know. And I think some games have gotten had a chance to 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 bend the rules in certain ways. You know, I mean, like a game that I was going to mention later on in this conversation, which is the WWF Raw games for Xbox. Um, those, for example, allow you to have male and female wrestlers wrestle each other, which strangely almost never happens in, in a WWF, WWE game, you know, and probably wouldn't in this day and age very often. I, I guess some, some of them have, but like that's something that, that is probably a no-no a lot of the time, you know? Um, so I think that like, yeah, you, you will never get the full potential from a game as long as you have to keep it locked to a certain brand and a certain way of life. I completely agree. You know, that's, that's a big, that was one of the main points I wanted to drive home and we can still, and we can still discuss that. The, the other aspect I wanted to drive home and this, what I'm about to say is going to seem a little dated because technology has advanced so much in recent years. So I'm going to say something that may seem laughable. You might be like, you know, what am I an idiot? Like, of course we can do that now, but a problem I always felt with wrestling games over the years was that <clears throat> I got to get my words right on this. You had side scrolling beat em ups that you had different planes per se to, to walk on street fighter two perfected. Like I remember years ago in the era of the beat em up, I wasn't a huge fan of 2d plane uh, fighters because I always felt you were limited in terms of like, and this logic may seem crazy now. Like, I'm like, oh, you can't walk around the screen. You don't have the same freedom. You're restricted to a single plane. And I felt like you had less gameplay options. Now, we all know that that's completely not the case now. <laughs> like, I, I know that sounds like the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But mind you, I was much younger then. But there's a mm. couple things I'm going to say that I still feel hold true. When Street Fighter 2 came along, that... that changed my mind and changed a lot of people's minds i think in terms of you're restricted to a single plane but the depth that they gave each character was like never seen before so right. you're it had so much more depth over a beat-em-up in that you didn't just have a couple combos or couple choices you you had depth that lasted years okay so i get that pro wrestling is still different than that because I think the biggest problem development-wise with that was two things. You could restrict a wrestling game to a 2D plane, but you couldn't portray the depth because if you think about it in a wrestling ring, the individual could wind up face down, face up, odd angles, diagonals, stuff that computing-wise isn't friendly. Right. And if you try to portray that on a 2D plane, it's really tough. It's just you can't – I've seen tricks done, but in non-wrestling games. I'm going to give you a really random – this is just off the top of my head. A character that portrayed to like mimicking different positions to me was Blue Mary. Like because she dropped you in a side leg lock or like a head scissors. Like you saw angles right. with that sprite that you wouldn't traditionally see in a fighter. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it 
where am I headed with this? So like that was that was a big sticking point I felt for how they'd have to portray the sprites or the limitations of like like that was the big thing with wrestling. There's so many options like inside the ring, outside the ring, the turnbuckles, all your different choices depend. It, it was all about positioning and angles, and I always felt that was a a huge sticking point from a development perspective. You know, and like you, you can you can realize that more now with today's computational powers, modeling something in three D, not having to worry to draw you know about drawing something from all the limitless angles. But um, I still think some of that stuff is a problem today, and I think WWE two K fifteen in some ways is going to be a test of that in terms of collision detection, hitting the ropes. Um. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean that, that that's always been like one of the the hard parts is there's there's so much like a game like this physics is so important and and it's still hard to really get the physics right. Uh, yeah, I mean it's and there's so many you know I think you can get smarter now with um, how do I put this maybe situational actions like now gaming has gotten like with development they've got enough you know memory or they can put enough animations like now maybe depending on your position in the ring you'll get what are what we'll call gimmies or like there's certain actions that will result in certain you know uh performances depending on where you're at in the ring um well but you're you're jumping way too far ahead right now. Let's, let's not go there my, yet. My apologies. Um, let's not go there yet. <laughs> we're we're going to get there. But you see what I'm saying? I think a big point to yeah. drive home up until recently, even in the last decade, is just with all of your options. Uh, you know, Let's go back to the – I'll give you a 2D example. A wrestling game was attempted on a 2D plane, and I only know this through uh, – I have to be honest, through uh, MAME emulation because I don't even know if this game was released here. The sequel to Saturday Night Slam Masters. That was Saturday Night Slam Masters 2 was, or Muscle Bomber 2 was all done on a 2D plane like Street Fighter and character designs were done by um, the, the man behind Fist of the North Star. It might have been Bron- uh, Bronson. So he lent his talents to that for design. It looked really cool. But that game was, was different from the original Muscle Bomber because the original Muscle Bomber still treated you in more of a multi-plane ring. And the second one to me, why it was a cool game, well, it wasn't a wrestling game anymore. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I never played much of it, but I do know that they kind of went more the fighting game. Yeah, so like I said, you know, it was cool, but it, but it wasn't, it was no longer, it's not a wrestling game anymore in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I can already tell you in my head, I already have the champion winner gold medal for a character in a game that I feel portrays the closest thing to how I feel a wrestler should be. There's an in, there's literally an individual character in a game that I feel could be used as a template foundation as to how and because he comes from what I feel is the best wrestling series. Well, I think um, does this go back to the game you were, you were talking about originally? Kind of, yeah, if they just perfected it later on, yeah. So, so what, what is this series that you're talking about? So I feel, and I know there's a lot of Fire Pro fans out there, and there are certain things I respect about that. Like, um, uh, so I'm going to, but if, look, coming from a wrestling junkie in me, 
I'm taking all elements into consideration. I have to say the Giant Graham series got it closest. The character that I feel perfected wrestling in a game, ironically, which wasn't even in a wrestling game later on, but they kept... It's interesting because if someone's a wrestling game junkie and they played those import games, you would know that Wolf Hawkfield's move set and control ultimately wound up manifesting from the All Japan series. Like, I know he came in Virtual Fighter first, but then they gave him a style in All Japan, like in terms of how he controlled in the ring with that style, that engine. And then ironically, in VF4 and VF5, in my opinion, <clears throat> he was built upon from the virtuous the all japan pro series and a lot of that all has to do because of the way the lockup to side control to rear control to putting them face down as funny as that may sound uh, in conversation but because of the way he handled from those perspectives and your options in that in that game ultimately in vf4 and vf5 He's probably the blueprint of how to work a character in a wrestling video game. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I I haven't played enough of that series. I mean, I know I played some of it, and it definitely really impressed me. Um, but I just did not play enough of it at that point to to know much about the series. Yeah, I mean, I've had discussions, nerdy discussions, to, with a couple of people that are into fighting games. You know, I will say this. King is an awesome character from Tekken. King portrays a multitude of wrestling maneuvers. And for that, I give him big props. And I think King is an awesome character. He's really fun to play. But if we're getting into the technical gameplay aspects in terms of how it feels, Wolf Hawkfield has him beat. Uh, I'm not even talking about design. or I'm talking about how it would feel from a wrestling game. Uh, I can't stress it enough. You know, the Fire Pro series, and this is why I think I give the, the Virtua Pro series so much credit because, you know, in Fire Pro, you could get it down to it's all about the lockup and then the timing out of the lockup. But once you get that, I don't want to use the word trick, but once you get that trick down, like the game is still awesome, but it's like, okay, like either your timing is down on it or it's not. But the overall feeling and design was was the closest to how a wrestling game should be. And uh, let me put you how it hit a chord with me so much that when I was at E3, <clears throat> I don't know, it was like 2000 or 2001. There was a there was a huge ass line for the Nintendo DS, mm-hmm. and I was in line with a couple friends of mine that were at E3, and a couple guys cut in front of us, and we were like, "What the?" We were like, "What the f?" We were like, who? We were, you know, we didn't see, we didn't make a stink, you know, we're not, you know, we're not like that type, but we said amongst each other, we're like, who the hell was that? And it was these two Japanese guys in suits, and we looked at their badge, and guess where they were from? Sega of Japan. Mm. So I was like, oh shit. So I was like, so I didn't even care that they cut us off at that point. (laughs) 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 So. They kind of obviously they spoke Japanese and I didn't speak really. I knew like two words in Japanese, so I looked at them and I took a chance and, and I saw Sega Japan. I said, "Oh, I said something like uh, uh, my guess is I said something like, oh, I said Sega.' I said, "Oh, Sega Ichiban." <laughs> I said, "You know, Sega Japan." I said, "Number one." I said, and then I said, um, "I don't know what made me bring this up, but I took a shot in the dark and I'm like." Uh, 
I said giant Graham. Or you know, I said like I like I said like giant Graham pure resu. And then they're like listening. They were like, you know, they were like shocked. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm, I said something like, you know, are you familiar with, you know, this? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I said, I said, Giant Graham, Ichiban, Pure Resu. I said, number one wrestling game of all time. <laughs> and they were like, oh, they said, oh, they said, thank you. They said, thank you. And then, and then I asked them, I'm like, uh, now this is interesting because this is something I didn't fully understand at the time because I'm going to mention something MMA. So then I kind of like tried to joke around I'm like, oh, who's your favorite like wrestler? And it's funny because I remember one of them said Kazushi Sakuraba. And I was like, at the time, I was like, I really didn't know that. But now being an MMA junkie as well, it's funny because that's a telltale sign of that era in that Sakuraba was, he was a pro wrestler, but his claim to fame was the Gracie Hunter in pride fighting championships and legit shoot fighting. And the old UWFI promotion. So, funny thing there is, you, Sakuraba will probably go down as the greatest MMA icon for Japanese. Mm. But I told him, I said, "Oh, I said, you know, he probably thought what a stereotypical answer." I said, "Oh, I said, great Muda." I said, "Keiji Muto." I said, "My favorite." And he goes, "Oh, oh, yeah." But anyway, so there's my giant Graham story. But I can't drive that home enough. Now, the unfortunate thing is, here's the conundrum to me. Giant Graham is now over a decade old, and I always mm-hmm. felt that uh, – here's this. The WWE 2K games, which were previously the Raw versus SmackDown games, which were developed by Yuke's, all emanated from the Tukan Retsuden games in Japan, which were the officially licensed New Japan Pro Wrestling games. Right. Now, I always liked New Japan Pro Wrestling as well in terms of their product, but if I'm being fair – the, the Tukan Retsunen games were not as good as All Japan. I mean, it's as simple as that, or arguably Fire Pro. But those games had the New Japan name behind it, and then for the United States, those games were reworked for SmackDown and Raw. Now, the ironic thing here is is that I never played much of the WWF games, even though they were... Di- for the United States, those games were, we'll say, solid, acceptable. But I could never get into those because I knew where they came from. Right. Does that make sense? So like I knew as a matter of fact that I'm jogging my memory now. Where who did I say this to? I was at E3. And I had the cojones. What was it? It was at You know, it might have been that WWF Royal Rumble game you mentioned. And mm-hmm. I was at the Sega booth and it was an American worker. It was either at that booth or for one of the yeah, it, we'll say for the sake of conversation, it was at that booth. And I was polite about it. <clears throat> and I, I shot it straight with the guy. I said, look, I said, I'm a big wrestling fan. I said, this game looks good. But I said, I have to ask you. I said, why is it you guys or no one else has taken the All Japan engine? And uh, uh, we're going back over a decade here. And his words were, and he was kind of funny about it. He goes, his answer ultimately was, because I don't know if it was with the deal with Sega Japan or whoever it was. And he ultimately told me that it, they were a pain in the ass and they couldn't get it done. Hmm. But I remember bringing – I mean I felt so strongly about it that I've now given you two stories that I told the Sega Japan worker to his face about it. And then I talked, talked to an American worker on a completely separate note. Uh, you know, might not have even been the same year. And I asked him straight up politely you know, because you don't want to disrespect their work at E3 or be like, hey, you know, this game is crap. 
So I asked him, like, you know, kind of the, what is it, the, the, the 500-pound elephant in the room, why wouldn't anyone use that engine here just like they've used the Tucan Retsudan engine? And I guess maybe there were attempts, but they just couldn't get it done. But now the, the other conundrum, as I was alluding to earlier, is that the problem now is, is I always use this saying, when someone's hungry, you'll eat anything. So now the ironic thing is, is that the 2K series has survived and Yuke's is still around and they're still being utilized to an extent with 2K on this, I was reading. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think I know some of the reasons why, because I've heard things. Um, I don't know... I I don't know how much longer Yukes will be around. That doesn't shock me, and I don't know anything of what like we you and I haven't talked about this pre the show. You know the thing is is that when you're hungry you'll eat anything, and now you know there have been improvements to the two K series in the last decade. The issue is, is similar in my mind to the Madden issue, and that issue is there's advancements and the technology has gotten so good that even if the foundation, the core foundation it's on is subpar, the visual enhancements and animation enhancements in the last decade have certainly improved versus what we've seen. The issue in my mind is this. This is how I look at it. And I've pre-ordered the WWE. This will be the second WWF game I've bought in 15 years, so I haven't bought many. If I'm going to give two analogies, if 2K were still doing the NFL license the whole way along with Madden, that whole ball game would be different because 2K right. would have never stopped. If all Japan or Sega of Japan were still making wrestling games over the last decade alongside Ukes, you know, on that same path, oh, it'd be night and day. It would be night and day. If you had the know-how or the people behind, like, the virtual fighter people are taking what they – just look at – I always keep saying it. Look at the Wolf Hawkfield character. If you took those – that foundation and the – what they've poured into that ga- uh, gameplay-wise, because gameplay is so important, I dare say that Yuke series, the Tukin Retsuden series, the foundation that it was built on 15 years ago would be terrible compared to what Sega would have offered. Yeah. But we'll never no, know. I mean, but here's the yeah. problem. It's yeah. the same. We'll never yeah, know, know because because what we have right now is we have the 2K series. Which, I mean, which, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's now, now the 2K series. Right. Now, my, now my fantasy land that the Ukes thing, the only reason I would think as an outsider that Ukes is still involved is because of the last decade of, like, maybe the, uh, the data they've collected or, the, you know, because here's the thing. No matter what I feel about Ukes, they know wrestling. Uh, you know what I mean? Like the, the researcher, like what they put in the games, like they're no dummies. I may not like their yeah. product as much as what I've seen elsewhere, but their their diligence in terms of knowing the product and what they put in the game is, is certainly smart. So I would guess like maybe there's a vault or whether it be their records or whatever it is. Like I don't know if they've got something where 2K is looking to just capture all their old data for reference. I mean I'm talking out my backside. Yeah, and I mean, if I were just talking speculative, um, I would say that, you know, with THQ, it made sense that they they just, they wanted an outside contractor to do the series. They just wanted to get it done. That's all they cared about, you know. So they were paying the money and and having it. And I I feel like when, when, 
you know, the licensing switched hands when THQ went down, um, 2K wasn't necessarily in the position to completely start their own production of the game. Right. So it made sense, okay, for, you know, there's already probably a contact in place until X year. So let's just have them work on it and let's, let's, let's start getting more development on our side, kind of helping out with like the character models and things like that. But I would not be surprised if at a certain point, once whatever contracts were in place are, are done, right. if they say, you know what, we're just going to bring this in-house and we'll do it ourselves. Mm. Uh, because they said so they they have those kind of internal developments where THQ didn't necessarily have the team to do it, I think. And I would, I mean, I don't know. I, I, to be fair, I have not played every WWE game, you know, in recent days, but the ones I have played, I just like, I don't, they don't excite me. And they just, if I feel like, well, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a double-edged sword because if we kind of go back to the timeline we were at, we look at the era of acclaims, WWF games and just all the awfulness that came out of that era, you know, all those absolutely terrible <laughs> games they released. So it's totally possible that on the Western side, you know, because I mean, cause you remember when, uh, I think it was through claim. I don't remember exactly who the developers were, but do you remember when there was the era the, the where like with WWF games it was okay we need to and and not it's not gonna be the games you're thinking of okay, and I'll know the games you're thinking of at first I'll make it, I'll get to those as well but the era where they, they they seem like a regular wrestling game but it's like these should be kind of like Mortal Kombat ish button commands to do moves. Uh, and I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know if Midway was making the games for a claim. I think I know the. I didn't want to steal your thunder. I think I know the one you're talking about. And I think I own one. I... Yeah, because I like for a while they're like, okay, we we need to make these commands more like a fighting game. You know? Can I say and, it? Or, it's not. Go ahead. Are you thinking of WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game? Uh, it had over the top zaniness, like hearts flying around. No, that's that's the thing. I was saying that's that's the one you're gonna think oh, I'm Jesus. talking about, but that's that's not what I mean. <laughs> Because that that was an even weirder level of weirdness. Yeah, we're like you're we're like you're fighting the Undertaker and you punch him and tombstones fly out of him and stuff. Um, which, oh god, that was just terrible. So wait, so but, wait, so now I'm intrigued. You said there was one with like MK motions. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of like just the home the home games, and not the arcade style one. Um, but they were like, we need to have like fighting game motions for, for in, instead of like this typical kind of wrestling moves. Like that was, that was their solution for what wrestling games really needed. And it just sucked. It was terrible. I, it must've been so bad that I just completely like the went over. It was, and this was WWF licensed. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, my I excuse, here's I my excuse here for being ignorant on it. I, you know, I've always been picky, picky and choosy on my wrestling title. So if this is something I saw in a magazine, or just, I mean, just right away, you could tell if something was horse crap, especially in the wrestling realm. I probably just looked at it once and said, no way. Yeah, and I mean, and, and WWF wrestling games were bad for a long time, but 
they would change and I want to get to that but before I get to that I have to go back to Saturn because um, you already mentioned the, the series but what I would come to find as being one of my two favorite wrestling game experiences I've it, it existed before Saturn but I, I came to it first on Saturn and that was of course Fire Pro Six Man Scramble um, and Fire Pro is is an interesting series because if if you you know especially these days we think of wrestling games like these being crazy realistic looking polygon based games and back then you know polygons were a big thing and and of course you know I mean polygons brought a lot to wrestling games because now you could have an actual real 3D ring and you can move around it and stuff and that was always one of the big limitations of, of 2D games. So if you saw Fire Pro at this point, you're like, man, this is like an old school, weird kind of out of date game. Uh, but Fire Pro to me was one of the first times I truly realized the power of what we talked about before, and that's and that's when you don't have a brand attached. What can you do with the game? You know, and Fire Pro. Um, as I joked earlier, was notorious for having all of these characters that you knew you'd seen somewhere else, you know, just under different names. But the, what they what they did was they it, they had a character creator, um, and wrestling games would start getting character creators, which completely changed things for me. But they were this was one of the early games that had that, and you you could literally go in and piece by piece. You know, they had just this, this giant archive of, of sprite pieces. So you go, okay, what does the face look like? Do they have a mask on? Do they not have a mask on? What's their hair like? What's their body size like? Are they fat? Are they skinny? How muscular are they? You know, what kind of knee pads do they have? What kind of tights? What kind of boots? All these little things. And so what, um, and I'm, I, I can't, I'm, I'm blanking on them. Is it is it Spike? Yeah, I believe Spike and, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I almost want to slip and say Chunsoft. Yeah, it's it's definitely Spike. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I know these days that Spike Chunsoft are, are one team, but I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, one time it was, I think, I'm doing a little cheatsies. It was human Entertainment. Yeah, Human. There you go. There you go. Um, you know, and the the way they got wrestlers in like a hulk hogan right hulk hogan was 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 in the game they didn't call him hulk hogan but they and then they come like like something bolder you know um (laughs) uh what they did was they just had enough pieces in the game that they could include all the pieces you would need to make a hulk hogan to make the the road warriors to make Macho Man, to make all the Japanese, you know, uh, famous, great in Inoki and, and whoever, you know, uh, Muda. Um, you could you could have them in the game, but that was because you had so many pieces available. Like, they, they weren't making Hulk Hogan the character model. They were making, here's all the pieces. If you happen to build somebody that is real, that resembles some, you know, a real-life wrestler... That's up to you, you know. Um, and we'll do it for you, actually. You just won't name them properly. Uh, but it was it was amazing because you went in and 
you not only made your character, but you could just go through and every single move you 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 said, okay, what happens when I push the A button? What happens when I push the B button? What happens when I am doing a grapple and then do right plus A or right plus B? You know, uh, uh, what is, what's the finishing move? You know, what's this? What's that? And this 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 was a kind of game where you just sat down and you could spend hours and hours and hours making characters, but that was fun and. This was when I said I, I first really realized that what was the best experience for me in wrestling games, and you might disagree, you might, you know, I, I think you come from a different angle, but for me it was I want to have my own federations and my own wrestlers, and um, I started realizing that less and less. I mean, I would I would still appreciate the the known wrestlers for for a while, but. Like less and less, I I cared about that, and I just wanted a good wrestling game, not a good branded wrestling game. And Fire Pro was just so good, and it had so many options. Like you could have, you know, a, like an MMA octagon at certain points. You know, you had cage matches, you had like death matches. Um, obviously, by the name, you could have up to, up to six wrestlers in a ring at once. Uh, you could just do all these different kind of things. And even though it was a 2D game, it, it had just so much freedom and so much opportunity for creativity. And I just, it, I went wild. And you would have people who would just like recreate all these famous wrestlers, you know, from WCW, WWF, ECW, wherever. And, and they would just have the game like recreate matches. And you could just like watch those videos online in different places and stuff. Um, so that was like the, the point where I found one of my two favorite wrestling franchises and so i, I don't i don't I, you know do you have any other comments on fire pro i mean i know you talked about it a little bit before but okay so okay the first fire pro game i remember buying and uh, i'm trying to get the name i want to say i bought fire pro wrestling d i imported right, which was dreamcast, it dream dreamcast imported it the tough time I had with it at the time was because all the menus were in Japanese and and yep. um, all that kind. Of- I, I printed out. I printed out like this. I had like an eighty-page FAQ that I printed out for the Saturn version. <laughs> like literally, that's what that's what I did. I printed this gigantic document out so I could figure out what everything was. So, so I'll I'll say this. I'll say a few things. I think I totally agree with what you're saying. The excitement of that. I certainly do not dislike Fire Pro. I I respect everything that it's, you know that that it's that it's done. The template that it put out there, especially for sprite based wrestling games. Then years later, I got Fire Pro Wrestling Returns, which I think was the first ever English localized title on PS2. I I want to say, um, I feel like. Wasn't there a portable version that was uh, you might on GBA? You know what? Yeah. You know what? You you got me there. Yeah, for handheld. That's that's right. It was it was really really bizarre that that that's that's, that's right that that it came over and yeah and it was also weird that that was the first time that it ever came to America in English. But yeah, I, I think the first I would consider the first quote unquote real version of Fire Pro we got was the one on on PS2. But now I'm going to complicate things further. So I agree with what you said. I I go back on the Fire Pro series quite a ways, right? Okay, I've proven it. Imported it. 
know what you're talking about. We got the English version, right? Now, something I learned only in the last few years when just going through Fire Pro, this wasn't even for this podcast. This was just me being bored one day. Let me tell you how Fire Pro could have been my favorite wrestling game of all time. And what I'm about to tell you is I have no damn idea how I missed this back in the day to import it. Have you seen on Sega Saturn, and it's by the same company, have you seen Blazing Tornado? Uh, That sounds familiar. Blazing Tornado was also done by Human Entertainment and developed by Masato Masuda, who I believe was the original creator of Fire Pro. Uh, And just so it doesn't sound like I'm a genius knowing all this, I had to reference this and I looked this up in the past. I guess it came out in the arcades in 94, and then they did a Saturn version in 95, and I'm going to say this again. I have no idea how I missed it, because if I saw this back in the day to import for wrestling, I would have crapped myself. And the reason I keep saying that is, picture Fire Pro, because it looks like like Fire Pro again, but the sprites are considerably larger and detailed. Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Now, can you imagine, and I I know this would have taken 100 years. Could you imagine that whole roster of Fire Pro done at this level? Right. I mean, oh my God. I mean, this would go down as the hands down greatest wrestling game of all time. As a matter of fact. Yeah, 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 because cause these sprites are a lot. I mean, this is detail. this is absolutely insane. So I guess what I would say is the dream now would be is if someone had the the funding or the know-how or to take all that Fire Pro, that depth, in this style. I mean, this is like, I don't know how I missed it. Hmm. Now, you know the big catch here is I've watched, you know, I've watched videos on YouTube and stuff. You know, the trade-off here is instead of Fire Pro, which was essentially limitless. I mean, I think this has like maybe 8 to 10 characters. Right. You know what I mean? But I mean, this is like the ultimate dream. This would be like the fantasy Fire Pro. And the thing is, is that it's not that far from the truth because it's done by the same people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I just had to bring that up because I saw that within the last few years and I saw it was on Saturn and I couldn't believe it. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you ever seen this before? Do you remember being covered? I I feel like I had, I mean, I, 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 I never played it and it's weird that I never owned it because I owned a, I own a, Owned and slash own a lot of import Saturn games, um, but I never I never got that one. Yeah. So, but the only reason I brought that up was to <clears throat> provide some different information to your Fire Pro because everything you said holds true. I mean, Fire Pro, uh, you know, Fire Pro was the benchmark. I still think to this day, you know, many people consider Fire Pro the you know the ultimate. Uh, one thing that I'm still amazed to this day are the people that still create custom logos um and characters via game saves uh fire pro wrestling returns is available on the playstation network ps2 classic download and i think people have even figured out and finagled a way to get that data on there the unfortunate thing for me personally is either i'm too stupid or i haven't taken the time to figure out how to do that because uh with what you've described in terms of all the fantasy creations it's 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 unbelievable what people have done I, I think it's kind of like, you know, you know how you have, like, the casual wrestling fan who knows, okay, there's 
there's WWE and there's John Cena and CM Punk or whatever, and I'll watch it sometimes <laughs> and and then like that. And then you have like the really hardcore wrestling fans who are into like Ring of Honor or Chikara <laughs> or you know Shimmer right. or like other kind of organizations like that. I feel like that's what it was for video games. Is okay, you either went out and bought the WCW WWF game, you know. Or you knew Fire Pro and, and you committed yourself to Fire Pro and you spent a lot of time and effort in playing Fire Pro. And you would go online and you would see like people had detailed guides on, okay, okay, I, I made this character. Here's an exact list of how to recreate them in the game and stuff like that, you know. Um, I feel like it was this was like the, the kind of hardcore indie wrestler or wrestling fan game at that point. But what's funny is... Well, that was true for a while, and I I don't I'm I'm not as familiar with the WC side of WCW side of this, so you may or may not be, but the N64 comes along, and Acclaim's doing its crappy wrestling games on there and whatever, you know. But this Japanese company called Aki starts releasing their WCW games, and I I was a WWF person. I was not really into WCW. I watched it every now and then, but I just I just I it's funny because as a kid, I always called WCW or NWA, whichever one it was at the time. I called it unprofessional wrestling <laughs> because I'm like, oh, this this like looks so cheap and so cheesy compared to like WWF, you know. Um, so I didn't pay much 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 thought, but I had my friends who were like. You have to play these WCW games. Like, these things are great. And another problem, too, was I hated the N64. Absolutely hated it. So, it was, like, in a closet somewhere. I never played it. You know, I my, my, my friends were big into, like, GoldenEye right, and stuff. Right, and, and so, they were playing it. Yep. I never wanted to touch mine. So, I didn't even, didn't even think about it. But I would go to their houses, and every now and then, we'd play this WCW wrestling game. And... I knew a few guys I liked. I liked Chris Jericho. I liked La, La Parca, you know. Um, and I'm playing the games, and they're actually pretty pretty decently good. And I'm, and I'm having fun with them, you know. Um, but then it's announced that... I, I, and I, 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 I'm not positive on how, hap- how it happens, but I'm assuming that what happens is... Um, because God, I don't remember what company was even releasing at that point. But I, I guess whoever had the WCW license ended up getting the WWF license. I think that's how it happened. Yeah, and I'm go- I'm not going off notes because they did what was it WCW NWO, and right. then I want to say there were two WCW ones, weren't there? Or my I- right? Yeah. I can't remember the name of the other one, but you're right. And I had similar similar feelings to you, and then. Somewhere in that era, then they got. I know one of them was WrestleMania 2000. That was with the WWF license, but there was one before that, wasn't there? Uh, no, 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 no. Because it was, it was, it was 2000, and then there was no mercy. Okay, so but to get back to your original point, I think you're right. Something must have happened with the contract or licensing because, correct me if I'm wrong, WCW was on that roll, you know, with those games. And then didn't wasn't it when they switched WWF got the we'll call it the good license for the sake of this conversation, and isn't that when they just started making that god awful that WC it wasn't like that backstage assault and all that garbage? Yeah, oh. yeah. So 
Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out. Oh. I, and then I I I want to I want to figure this out because, okay, so yeah, so what happened was THQ had the WCW license. Okay, and let's see where N64 is. WWF Attitude. So it looks like a claim. A claim had WWF, and, that, and that's the point where they were making just the god awful WWF games. I mean, they were they were so. Wasn't I'm going so off memory. Good. Wasn't one of them like Warzone? Um, there's WWF Attitude is one of them. <sighs> Let's see, Warzone. I think I th- yeah, Warzone was for for PlayStation. Oh, and 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 sixty four as well. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like I remember a red cover. I remember Austin's head on there. Yep. So okay. So so that's the so as of nineteen ninety nine's releases, Acclaim had WWF, THQ had WCW, and I think what happened was WWF was unhappy. With the quality level of acclaimed stuff, so since they had uh, a a because okay, so World Tour was ninety seven. Um, when is when is Revenge? So Revenge is ninety eight. Mm. So Teichu's last wrestling game is nineteen ninety eight. It looks like. Um, so I think what happened from my memory was that yeah, so WWF dropped acclaim, and they went with THQ. And then at that point, I think Acclaim wanting to do something with their wrestling games, they picked up WCW, and that's when WW, WCW's quality started going down. So I I heard that this this company that was making these really cool WCW and 64 games was going to make a WWF game, and I was really excited. And what really started getting to me was they, they, were, they were showing the preview videos, right? And this game really put a lot of work into entrances. And I feel like up to this point, entrances and wrestler entrances had been something that was really like underdeveloped in wrestling games. You know, you'd have like a theme song playing or whatever, but like the the idea that the wrestler coming to the ring was a big deal was still not so out there. Um such when the part you know it, it, it was again it like it was kinda like the commentary thing. It was it wasn't a part of the game. It was you know your wrestling games. You're in the ring and you're wrestling. Like like what does the entrance matter? But you know Aki knew that like one that it's about the kind of again the, the theatricity. right the flamboyance the yeah yeah, yeah like the, the the storytelling. So I remember seeing this and all of a sudden wrestlers had their entrance videos. And I mean that's right. You're jog like yeah I yeah you're jogging my memory. Like I've forgotten these points, but you're exactly right. I mean, if you go back and look at them yeah. now, they're just horrible, like, <laughs> animated GIFs that were, like, you know, a sixth of the frames right. of the actual <laughs> videos. But at the time, it was like, oh, my God, they had, like, entrance videos. The idea the was there. Out. Yeah. 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 And, and their videos playing in the background. And this, this is so cool. And so the game comes out, and the first one from, from THQ is WWF WrestleMania 2000. And I loved that game and 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 you talk to people who like wrestling games and to this day you say okay what are your favorite wrestling games of all time aki's n64 games are pretty sure to come up majority of the time uh just because they really 
understood like how a wrestling game should play and should feel. And I know you were talking about like, you know, the, the, you know, the Wolf, was it Wolf? Oh, Wolf right? Hawkfield in terms of how yeah, his game yeah, played. Yeah, Wolf, Wolf Hawkfield. Uh, you know, his, his game plan and, and how he, how he worked and how that just really felt right to you. And to, to me, like this was this even I mean I love Fire Pro but even more than Fire Pro, this was like how a wrestling game, to me was supposed to feel and it just had that great balance of fast action but also like depth to what you were doing. Um, but again, as much as I appreciated just how how well it was kind of representing the WWF wrestlers, um, it was all about the custom characters characters for me and. We got to a point, my, my friends and I, because said they were already in love with these games. You know, they they were already on board, and now I was on board too. And so we made our entire federation. You know, we had we had our own wrestlers that we made. Like each of us had like two or three wrestlers, and they were all put into the pool. And we would get to like gather like once a week and and play and have like pay per views and like wrestling shows <laughs> and stuff. And we had, you know, somebody was a champion. And I, I think it wasn't until the next version that you could actually make your own belt That's, and trade yeah, them. You're, yeah, you got a good memory. Because um, the first one, you could you could win the belt, but I don't think you could trade it back and forth necessarily. But then in No Mercy, you could actually make them and stuff. Uh, but, you know, so we had, okay, this person's the champion, this person's intercontinental champion, whatever. And, you know, we're going to go after each other and stuff. And, and it was, like, just so much fun. And, and that, for me... Like that year, year and a half was one of the best times I've ever had with a wrestling game because it, it was that kind of people coming together and playing the game together and just having your own storylines, having your own characters, having your own matches and, and you kind of dictating where the show was going to go. And God, I, I love those games still. And it breaks my heart that after the N64 kind of the fall of Aki as this wrestling game developer. You know, they they went on and I'm going to say it was uh not Wu-Tang, what am I thinking of? Uh Def Def Jam oh, wrestling. Oh, oh. Is that what it was? Oh my goodness. Um Oh, I used to own one of them. And I mean, I I I I've heard the first one was really really good. Oh, I can't believe you brought that up and I can't believe I forgot about it. Def Jam Fight for New York. Yeah, and I think there was other ones in the but yeah. Def yeah, Jam Ven- yeah. Def Jam Ven- Def Jam Vendetta. Yeah. And and so so WF No Mercy is their last official wrestling game. Well, they they go on to do I'm sorry. They go on to do a lot of the the Kenny Command games. Which is probably why those were so good. I've I've heard as well. Oh the what yeah, the ones in um, recent time. Yeah. So uh, their last kind of western Wrestling game is Def Jam Fight for New York. And then I think somebody else took over the next version and it wasn't nearly as good. And that wasn't really a wrestling game. That was like kickboxing and, and wrestling and street fighting and stuff like that. Um, I will say for anybody curious though, they they go on to their, their last release. And while this is near and dear to my heart, I know it'll make a lot of people cry. Um, do you know what Aki's most recent re-release game is? No. It would be style savvy trendsetters on the 3DS. What the hell is that? The <laughs> the the game where you you own a, a fashion shop and you you do fashion stuff from from Nintendo. Oh. 
<laughs> so they went from making some of the most beloved wrestling games ever to making a game about girls' fashion. Oof. <laughs> Which I said, I love those I games. So, but I, I'm sure other people are very sad to hear that. I. Uh, they, and they've made plenty of uh, pretty rhythm games. So you know. Well, I, I pretty rhythm. And, Dear and, and I'm not being disrespectful here. I'm while you're talking because you, because of your passion for these Aki games, I do have a little bit to share on that. But I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Okay. I just uh, sent you a message. Right. I actually saw this months ago, but I never said anything to anyone, and I kind of forgot about it until just now. But uh, long story. Well, I'll let you talk about it once you see it. But while you're looking at that, I will say my thoughts on it. You know, everything you've said is accurate. Um, I'm going to say what I felt. I'll tell you what was most amazing about that time period with the Aki wrestling games. Uh, I did own some of those and I enjoyed them. But the craziest aspect of that that I think is going to be hard for listeners to if they're not into wrestling and, and they haven't hanged themselves by now with all this wrestling talk on this uh, episode of GVGP. Those games were so popular at the time, and they were so good at the time, that people who weren't even into wrestling were buying those games. Yeah. And I think that's the big, I think that's the big thing to hit home, I think, for whether it be from a, a game development or game company or, you know, it's, it transcended the wrestling fan and that, for the party aspect, the four-player, and the fun factor, which are the main ingredients for you know a successful game, people who probably haven't played a wrestling game or watched any wrestling since are probably familiar with those. Yeah, and it's so. So you sent me a link to kind of this kind of Kickstarter for they're trying to make a game very similar to it. Right. Um, what is funny is there actually is still to this day a mod community for No Mercy. Where you can go in and you can put like high res textures in the game. Really? Like the, like on a on a PC, you, you have the, the PC ROM and you can edit it. There's still ways to edit in new characters and downloads and stuff like that. Like people are still to this day playing that game, still releasing edits for it and everything. It yeah, it, it, it get like like you said. I mean, you know, I have I have friends who you know they're they're kind of casual wrestling fans. Like they they watch wrestling sometimes. They'll go to pay per views every now and then if we're all going together and stuff. Um, they would almost never buy a wrestling game, but they they owned these games. You know, they bought these games. They they came over when we were all getting together and they played these games. Like the, these were wrestling games that because it said it was it was this just fantastic mix of depth but simplicity. Like anybody could pick it up, anybody could play it, but you also still had fun, and it wasn't just a kind of mash buttons kind of game. Well, I'd say, you know, and it's interesting talking about your friends and getting together, you know, not to get all nostalgic and uh, mushy, but, and, you know, I've always been more of kind of an independent solo player nine times out of ten, but, you know, that is an element missing just in gaming today. And I'm not just talking about wrestling games or I'm just that multiplayer aspect of getting together, actually having fun in person physically with your friends, gathering around, yeah. you know, having a good time. And that's... uh a lot of that's gone, you know. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's you know, I I appreciate like I think the same thing as fighting games, you know what I mean? I appreciate that these days 
I can go online and I can find other people to play against fighting games because that that gives me a chance to play some games that just I wouldn't have competition for otherwise. But you lose that enjoyment of having somebody stand next to you, you know, of having the person right there that you can say something to or, or they can say something to you if they beat you or they lose or whatever. And... Yeah, having your friends over just all in the, you know, you order pizzas or whatever and you're just like hanging out and you all playing games together. Like I, I, I love that feeling and it, it's, it's, I appreciate that I can go online because a lot of my friends now live in different states and whatever. So we can still play games together. Right. But you, you do lose that, that just wonderfulness of, of being on a couch all together playing the same game. Would you uh, now? Now here's my deal. I was never growing up. I would do two player. I'd play a lot with my dad, so that that was that. And but as I got older, teenage years and adulthood, I I would I'd primarily play by myself or whatever. But you know who I have to give credit who was the the best at that. And when I say this, I mean like in terms of like setting it up. Taking the time, the snacks, the multi-link, and all that was Neil. Got to give that guy credit for that. He he always went above and beyond. Like I would never have that many people over my house, and with all my cleanliness and having to worry about that. But you know, I have to give that man credit. In the early two thousand, late nineties, early two thousands, when that stuff was hot, he would always do the gatherings and do a good job. And my question to you is, because it sounds like you did similar, having your friends over and stuff. Would you go as far as to have like the, the the numerous Xboxes linked up? Like back in the day, you remember you could do up to four. For... Um, we usually didn't go that. Far, but, or even I, if you didn't I, do that, would you would you st- you'd still be doing all the multiplayer stuff and having the gatherings and all that? Yeah, I, I mean, said we we loved doing um, the wrestling games. When on Saturn, we I don't know if you know the the game Death Tank. Uh, I've was, heard the name, but I've I don't I've never. I, I'm spacing on their I'm spacing on their name, but they're, they're, they're the company that did Power, Power Slave was their first original. Oh. Game. And then they did like those. They were the ones who did like the Duke Nukem. Yeah, weren't port. they? They were kind of known for pushing like getting the 3D out of that system. Oh yeah, yeah. They were known for like doing things that you did not think yeah. you could do in 3D. Um, but they, they, what they did, they, they hid these little games um, in the main games, and one of them was Death Tank, and it was just very simple little kind of multiplayer combat game. But we loved that, so we would get together and, and play that. You know. Like that kind of stuff, and so yeah, we'd have like those kind of gaming meetups. So like, I I actually at that point I was living in a house with two of my friends. So we had this this big like three story house we were, were renting out, and so you know the three of us were already there, and then our other friends would, would come over and we'd all like game together and stuff. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just a lot of good memories. You know, it's it's going to be interesting in ten years from now. I mean. You and I are different because we have memories. It's different, whether being closer to the industry oh, yeah. what we do. But like for the average gamer, it's like, what are your memories going to be? It's going to be like, yeah, I remember that one night I was on live right. and I hit that headshot on uh, XYZ. It was crazy. Yeah. It, and then I it, shut it, the it, system it's, it's, off. It is, it is. I, you know, I was on, I was on NeoGAF earlier today and someone was talking about like how, um, 
his his young like seven year old daughter i think she was seven or six uh she had watched wreck it ralph and she was wondering what an arcade was um so he took her to an arcade and and he had a photo of her playing like street fighter and it's kind of like you know he and she were lucky that they actually had an arcade in their area they could go to because arcades are just such a dead thing anymore you know and and it's it's sad because i have so many wonderful memories i mean whether it was going to the arcade and they had a game there you'd never seen before and it just blew your mind because it was brand new and like so high tech you know or we had a we had a fantastic fighting game community back home in omaha um and so i'd go to the arcade and there's always people there playing the fighting games, you know, you can always get competition and back in the, to the golden era of Capcom versus SNK where like, it seemed like every other week a new game came out, you know, and it's like, Oh, there's this crazy thing called King of Fighters now where all SNK's main characters are now in the same game. You know, have you seen this thing and stuff? <laughs> and Oh, there's now like Street Fighter Alpha. What is this? You know, Oh, I find a hidden code to get this character called Dan and, and, you know, I was back home last year for Christmas, and, I, and and they had moved that arcade, so I went to check out the new place, and it's, it's, like, you know, redemption game, redemption game. Oh, redemption I know, game. I know, I, it's you know, uh, uh, Deer Hunter, mm. um, whatever fighting games they still have from ten years ago that are still breaking down at this point. You know, it, it's it's it just made my my heart break, and so. There's like all these like kind of like local multiplayer experiences that the gamers these days are kind of mi- going to miss out on. With the exception of one good arcade that's in Portland that I really don't go to, are you as bad and as snobby as me now? And this is disgusting to say out loud and being recorded. I mean, because of the state of arcades that they're so bad for the most part, are you just like, why the hell would I even go with what I have at home? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, such I mean, a way. Like, recently, I had a similar experience. There was an arcade. A fun center I hadn't been to in over a decade, and I actually was there last week. And and they still have some cool stuff there because they have like a batting cage, like there's stuff for the families and stuff. They're like it's still a good place to go, but they actually have like an arcade room and stuff there. And I mean, it's just like I mean, my mindset is just like you know what? If this is your arcade, if you're gonna do something, do it right, and if not, just just get rid of it. You know what I mean? And it's just, you see those redemption machines and all that stuff. And I know the drill because they make money or the kids mess around with it. But it's just, it's it's more heartbreaking, I think, to see a rundown, unkempt arcade room. It, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, it's like put it out of its misery. But you know what I'll say? And I, I will, I will be honest here. I, I put part of this on Americans. Like I think, I think <laughs> I don't know why they made what, me laugh. What, what, I don't know why it made the, me laugh. What was the uh, what was the movie where like the the wife is like throwing stuff and the husband is like, "This is why we can't have nice things." You know, like I like I feel like that's America. Like, like uh, Americans just suck. And they break stuff. Uh, like the this, upkeep, we, yeah, I'll give you. I'll, I'll meet you. Yeah, yeah like and that's the, why we can't have nice things. You know, what I mean, because you, you know, you go and like you see somebody like who loses at a game, and then like they punch the screen or they beat on the controls or whatever, or the little kids with their 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 ice cream hands right. or touching the buttons and everything, getting all sticky. And it's like that's why our arcades suck. You know, because nobody. I mean, not nobody. To be fair, not nobody, but 
there there is more a, we have a bad more habit times than not yeah it's it's it, yeah we, we we have a bad habit in america of of the attitude like it's not ours so we don't care right you know and it's like somebody else's problem whereas you know i mean uh, japan's arcades aren't aren't surviving either but i go to an uh, japanese arcade and they are awesome you know they're actually kept up and their their joysticks work and their buttons work you know because you know, if if the arcade pays money to get the buttons fixed the next person who comes along isn't going to beat on them to break yeah. them you know um it's just it's it's really sad just how americans like like just so so often like in it, don't don't care and like i said like the same, same same kind of thing like i you know I went to just other side story. I, you know, in Japan, I've been to some of these like retro game arcades, uh, retro game cafes. Where um, the one I went to, I go in, you pay like like you, you buy a drink and pay like maybe like five bucks an hour or something like that. And at the table you're at, every table has a little TV and has console sitting there. And on the wall at this cafe are just is lined with cartridges. Like cartridges oh. from the from the Famicom, Super Famicom, Mega Drive. Like there's just like if you, if you go to like a, a like a used game store, you know, and they're like just like walls and walls of, of cartridges. Right. You know, it's like that. But they're the actual games are just sitting there, and while you're drinking your 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 alcoholic beverage, you just walk over to the wall, pick up a cartridge, take it back to your table, plug it in, and play it. You know, and I'm like, we could never have that because somebody would go in there and 24 hours later like half the games would be yeah, i was just gonna that's where i thought you're headed like yeah just for loss prevention or uh, just for uh theft uh, reasons yeah so it's it's just like we can't have nice things that's probably the reason why i think i would just not want to go to arcades at this point because just too many dumb mother effers go in there and don't care and then i go up after them at some point and oh look my my jump button doesn't work <laughs> or oh look i can't walk left right. you know and the moment that happens i just like my i my heart sinks and i'm like just like i don't want to play games anymore like i had that happen recently where we were somewhere and god i don't remember what it was but we were playing some arcade game and it was like street fighter street fighter 2 or something like that or Street Fighter Alpha, I don't, know, I don't know what it was, but, like, I couldn't move in one direction. So I had to, like, try my best to fight while I couldn't walk left, you know, or something like that. And it's just like, this this machine shouldn't even be on. Right, I mean, point. at that point, it's... It shouldn't take, be taking my money. It's, it's hurting both you, know? you and the uh, and the owner, because it's like, no one's, you're not going to get repeat money on it, and it's going to frustrate people, and you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. You know, like I alluded to earlier, there's one there's one really good place in Portland. I don't frequent it. I think it's actually considered one of the better retro arcades in the nation. I want to say it's Ground Control. Hmm. Yeah, but um, <coughs> but um, so let, let me let me finish up with a few other games I want to mention, and then we can get on to like what we want from wrestling games after you say whatever you want to finish up with. But um. I, these games go really underappreciated, but I there was a WWF Raw and Raw 2 on Xbox, <clears throat> and I really liked these games. I know a lot of people didn't like them, but they were a little more kind of arcadey than the N64 Aki stuff, 
but they had a, a really fun depth in character development and another really cool thing about them was this was from my memory the first time that you could actually put your own music in as entrance music because of the Xbox's ability to rip rip music CDs custom soundtrack yeah you could you could rip a song and then when you were in the in the character creator you could actually pick that that song you ripped mm. as the entrance theme so that took like our making of personal characters to a whole new level <laughs> um and that was just like so much fun and, and i really enjoyed those games and i have to give a shout out to a game that i've always wanted to like but i couldn't like and i'm curious to see if you have any opinions on it and that is rumble roses <coughs> i i you know i mean this is a game after my heart you know like i i i, I, I love female wrestling with female characters and like i get to make my uh, not you can't make them but like okay i you know this this is this is for different reasons this is like after my my you know my heart but god those games just sucked and and the problem the problem was well i, I thought they sucked some people actually liked them but i think the problem was you know it was that it sold on having a bunch of half-naked girls wrestling you know and for a lot of guy players that was all they needed you know um but like i would say you, you look at something like dead or alive right dead or alive as a series at this point is total cheesecake you know um we 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 know what they're going after and what market share they're going after but those games are still really good right and really fun and the, the the fighting engines are pretty darn good in those. And I really, really wish that Rumble Roses had been the same kind of thing. Where, yeah, okay, it's it's really, you know, a lot of TNA, not Impact TNA, but, you know, TNA, TNA. Um, but, you know what, it's also a good wrestling game. And it wasn't. And I, I, I always wished it was because I always wanted to like Rumble Roses. Yeah, I mean, you know, the game had half the formula right for me, but <laughs> no, let me say this. The Let's say this in short. First, Rumble Roses was better than the second. That's not saying a whole lot. Hmm. They did the second one on uh, 360, I think. First one was on hmm. PS2. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know the, the game wasn't bad to an extent. The the biggest issue was depth. I mean, it didn't. There weren't a lot of move sets. That's you know we're getting into the seriousness of this now. Uh, you know the premise of the all female wrestling game was kind of cool. I don't mind some of the TNA stuff, but then there's a point where then like, what was it like Reiko? Like Reiko was kind of a stereotypical. I think in Japan the term would be Joshi, like Joshi women pro wrestling. Like a lot of her stuff was pretty accurate and then there was what the the dixie or whatever in the cowgirl outfit but then they got into stuff like the the snm style stuff and the nurse a lot of stereotypes so like you know some of that stuff's okay you can get away with a little bit of that but then you get into the realm of uh like obscurity like for a game like a niche game like that and i guess one could argue maybe that's what you need to do for such a niche game but Here's the deal. If they, if they took it a little bit more seriously with characters like Reiko or followed more of the tradition of Japanese female pro wrestling, like what you see in Tina in Dead or Alive, 
uh, excluding her large assets, but talking about like her control and move sets. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, I think if you treated the title with a little bit more respect and and didn't treat it with as much gratuitous, uh, over the top nonsense, you'd have something to work off of. Like anything, you know, you can only get so far, and you hit the nail on the head with Dead or Alive. The reason Dead or Alive can get away with that longer is because the game is actually really good. That's the catch. So, like, if you actually put some quality underneath that, you could actually ride that train a lot longer, you know? But, and and even though it's not a wrestling game, that's probably the closest we have to a great female wrestling game would be Dead or Alive. I mean, there's enough females in there. You could make a friggin' female wrestling federation. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. but that, but yeah, I mean, I mean that's in short, you know, Rumble Roses. You know, I laughed at the time when I saw it. I still own my PS2 version. I used to own it on 360, but even me, I I wound up selling the 360 version. So it's just uh, that was kind of a fly by night missed opportunity. You know? Yeah, it's that's it. It's a shame. T- TNA just to prove that TNA, you know. Just like graphics in games, you know, graphics will get you so far and you still need the gameplay. TNA in games will get you so far and it still comes down to the substance. So I'm going to give you, a, it's not maybe the perfect analogy, but I always make the joke. Oh, you know, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. I always make jokes about it like it's my game because it's so ridiculous. And But here's, here's, here's the problem. I'm going to get serious about it. Okay, Dead or Alive, we're milking the, the TNA aspect of Dead or Alive. We're giving you a volleyball game. Well, the first problem with Dead or Alive Extreme, and I know people aren't playing for the actual volleyball aspect. First problem is, I dare say, it doesn't even have the correct volleyball rules. <laughs> That's problem number one. At least at the end of the day, when you're playing this game, it's like you know what? If if you know if we if you know you'd still have something to fall back on. Long story short, I'll tell you right now, the greatest female volleyball game. You probably know it. You want to know what it is? Hmm. Beach Spikers. Sega Virtual Beach Volleyball. Oh, okay. It was done in arcades, and then there was a GameCube release, which I do have. Right. Now, the funny thing is I can joke about Dead or Alive all day because I actually do like the Dead or Alive video game. But the the fact of the matter is Beach Spikers kills it because we've got appropriate rules. It's not too ridiculous. And th- th- once again, we're going back to Sega's heyday. Sega made a better arcade-style volleyball game, and it still had attractive female character models, we'll say, if you want to call it that. But it's just to show you, you know, dead or alive, they could have had something in the volleyball if they treated that with a little bit more respect. But, you know, it, you know, it becomes another joke. As a matter of fact, speaking of this, it's a l- I know it has nothing to do with wrestling, as a matter of fact, on those virtual, on those classic games that come to download, like Virtual Fighter Two, Fighting Vipers, and all that, a piece of me wishes that they do a quick one and put Beach Spikers on there. Hmm. But and that's a different topic for another day. But the point is, is treating treating a game with at least a little bit of respect. But you know, Rumble Roses dropped the ball, and DOAX dropped the ball, respectively, for their sports. You know, yeah. it's a shame. You know, you you can only get you're not gonna you, you can get so far with that, you know. But yeah, so that's I I I I could I could have a long conversation about DOAX. 
because I actually played them, and I, I there were things I actually really liked about those games, but they, like I, I wanted a lot more out of them. I, I'm gonna assume you're talking in regards to the. I don't want to say dating aspect because it wasn't dating. The, the keeping your partners level up or keeping them happy. Yeah, I, 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 I think like it's it's funny because people like write those games off so quickly, but. I think there were actually a lot of interesting ideas as like a social game, but I think kind of like you were saying about the, the volleyball portion, it's like everything was too shallow. You yeah, know, and it like, couldn't, like they didn't even was, get the rudimentary stuff right. It's like, you know, look, if right. you're going to do this, just at least give me... It's like if you're playing chess or checkers, just and you put... This is going to sound so horrible. And you put a bunch of naked men and women on the board. Okay, look, if you're going to do that, at least are we playing by the correct rules of checkers and chess? Right, right. You know, I mean, that's square one. Yeah, and because it was really weird, like, okay, you're only there for a short time, so there's no real depth to, like, your being on the island, and, and it needs to be more of, like, an, an Animal Crossing Tamachi collection, right. a Tamachi Life kind of game. Um, and it could have been interesting. I'll, I'll say this again, not to open this can of worms, the only game I'm going to say for America, because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more in Japan and stuff we've missed. In Japanese, the only game, in my opinion, that was able to bring in any sort of dating or social network aspect in a game and do it well and still give you a game on top of it, Persona. Yeah, I don't know the Persona was the only one, but I, I think Persona was one of the big ones that was like, you can, yes, you can definitely have those aspects and also have a really good game behind If you. If we're counting Animal Crossing, I'm, I, I'm speaking more in the dating aspect. Right, uh, yeah, right. I mean, if we're talking Animal Crossing, yeah, of course, those games are great. Like, that's, I'm not forgetting those. But, like, if we're talking to take that old stereotype of, the like, the days when you'd read in magazines, like, oh, there are these games in Japan that you have dating and these social aspects, and you're like, what? You know, that game makes no sense. That would never work here. The first time I ever played a game where that element worked, and it wasn't too in-depth, they could still do more, was Persona 3, in my opinion. I mean, seriously, yeah. I can't think of another game. And I only mentioned that because of the DOE volleyball aspect, the partner aspect or whatever, but, you know, that was, you know, whatever. Yeah. So are there any, are there any remaining wrestling games that you really want to talk about? I think... Before we move on to... I mean, there's obviously a ton of stuff we could go... I'm just looking to see if there's anything glaring. I talked about all Japan. Oh, this is the last thing I'll say for obscurity, and there's, and there's a lot of other stuff I could get into. A title in the earlier 2000s for PS2 that I never got to purchase. This is just getting into the element of... Um, uh, my reason for mentioning this would be a developer looking at wrestling and taking it to a level of detail that was not seen before. Now, I didn't get to play this firsthand, and what I'm going to tell you, I only know from old... Uh, message boards and reading about it at the time and I didn't even read up on this recently so I'm going off memory Square Enix did some wrestling games in the early mid 2000s on PS2 the all-star professional series I never yeah I never played those and not only did they look pretty good I always wondered how they played <clears throat> I remember reading that they took into consideration things like breathing like remembering to breathe at certain times, almost like if you were like really in the ring. I don't want to blow this out of proportion. And then another really, really super, super nerdy thing I remember is with the great Muda I read. In some of his classic matches, he had a habit of doing ring psychology where he'd go under the ring and hide and come out on the other side of the ring and shit like that. 
-hmm. and I heard you could do that. Hmm. And I remember reading that at the time, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I got to get a copy. But <laughs> the problem there was, I'll tell you straight up, it just came down to timing and money. Because I remember that game came out, and you know how those games are kind of obscure and they don't last long. And then, right. you know, uh, I just never did it. And I remember years later looking back on my import collection. I'm like, you know, I wanted to get this. But by the time I went back to pick it up, it was like I either had to buy it used or it was real tough to come by. But I thought it was worth mentioning that Square dabbled uh, in this. And uh, I think the cover, the game cover was a famous cover because it was, uh, I think it was Mitsuharu Misawa who was known for all Japan. And then it was Keiji Muto of New Japan. Like to have them on the cover at the time was uh it was kind of the dream match that never happened for the wrestling world over there mm -hmm. but uh yeah so that i thought that was worth mentioning maybe there's a listener maybe someone uh, uh who has played that can write us about it because i was interested as to how that final product turned out yeah yeah so i don't know i never <laughs> played them but let's talk and Taking into consideration that we are now uh, at four hours and 16 minutes on this podcast. That's unreal. Um, and we actually had two emails, which I don't know if we're going to get to. <laughs> that might be for next uh, show. But one of the things I, that I know we both really wanted to talk about, and maybe maybe this won't be that long, is and you've, you've, you've already mentioned a little bit about it, but um, what can and should video game wrestling be because i think we both agree that there's been no game that really has captured it properly yet so you know what let me let me go first okay. and let me say that you know as we talked about before i i think for me the perfect game has to be one that has no brand uh you, you know, it, it can't be wwf or tna or anything it, it has it has to be um just like you make your own federation you make your own characters uh because that way you can just do whatever you want with it i and i think that there has to be you know taking into account everything that's come before i think there are some aspects that i've always wanted and i, I think i really want to see um i think first is presentation i i think presentation is still something that is just so improperly handled um like for example crowds i you you have like crowds that cheer or crowds that boo right but i i feel like it's always the kind of same level it's like there's there's one cheer and there's one boo and it's always very simplistic as to okay maybe the, the, this character is set as a bad guy so they'll get booed and this character is a good guy and they get set you know they'll get cheered and i think that you know, you have to just work 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 at the crowd noise so that it sounds like a real wrestling crowd. Like you know, there there are there are chants or whatever maybe, or but there is just like when when my character does a finisher, it shouldn't be the exact same cheer as when I punch somebody in the face. You know, um, you have to have like different different levels to that, and I think that the game should be better about. And this is a, a bigger thing too, is about tracking dynamically, like who's a heel and who's a face, you know, and and having degrees in that because you look at a character like Austin, who, um, 
you know, he was a heel, but as he became more and more popular, he was getting more and more cheers. And so he ended up kind of being this weird, like, in-between place where he would go after heels, but he would go after faces. You know, he was all for himself. So you have to, the game has to appreciate more about having characters that are, like, in these kind of in-between places. And I think that goes to just all this dynamics about, like, what a wrestler is and what their relationship is other other wrestlers. I know there was a, a I think it's one of the WWF WWE games like fourteen or thirteen that I was playing where you can kind of set up rivalries. Like okay, this is this is a, this character and their current rival is this person. You know, but why why is a complex video game on a complex video game system asking me to to check boxes off like that, you know, like, like why can there not be much more, uh, of a dynamic nature to all this, you know, like, um, let's say that I'm wrestling a, a match and I'm in a tag team with a, a computer opponent. We're fighting two computer opponents and my partner gets pinned in the ring. And instead of running in to help him, I just get off the, the ropes and, you know, go back to the back so that he, he gets pinned, you know I mean? Like, that the game should know, okay, that's not what the player is expected to do at this point, so that can set up something between this character and yeah, and, and and me. They'd have to come up with a lot of scenarios, but I will say, you know, with t- once again, I keep saying this, today's tech and with how they lay things out, yeah, you know, that would be feasible. I, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, maybe, maybe that's too complex for, for a start, but I think there are basics where... The game can d- track. Okay, this person, this person is in a feud with this person, and at a certain point, this person loses, and now this person, like let's say the player is going after, just by nature of how the game works, they're going after the Intercontinental Belt, for example. That's that's one of the belts. Well, we know we we have a, a ladder of of what wrestlers are aware so we know who their logical next opponent would be you know like i think there are scenarios that the, a, a game can can easily track and and keep up with and kind of change the, the nature of of who's in a feud with who and you can even have like randomization of like okay so now this this wrestler runs out and interferes in my match and now I'm in a feud with them, and the game should know that, and you know there should be things that happen. Like I feel like wrestling video games are just way too simplistic in what they offer, um, in terms of storytelling, and 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 I know like WWF, I keep saying that WWE games, <laughs> uh, it's a bad habit because we talk about the you know older games tonight. Um, I know they have like these really complex storylines they've they've made up, but I think there's a lot of like just simple level AI that you can put into a game that it can kind of come up with some of these scenarios on its own. Um, I think another thing for me is presentation. I, I think that we're still very bad in presentation. Kind of going back to like the crowd cheers, for example, one thing that drives me mad is. A match will start, and wrestler A will come out, have an entrance video, entrance music, and and do stuff on the ramp, and then walk down the ramp and get in the ring, and and they get cheered, they get booed. Again, it's very like not dynamic. It's like it's it's like all of a sudden, yay or boo when the crowd's been silent up to that point. Um, and then all of a sudden, the screen goes black, and it's a loading screen, 
and then the next wrestler is also at the top of the, the ramp, and the first wrestler is just gone somewhere. We don't know where. He's just, like, vanished off the earth, you know, until the second wrestler <laughs> comes down, and he does the exact same thing, gets in the ring, cheered or booed, whatever, go back to, back to a loading screen, come back, and now both wrestlers have magically reappeared in the in the middle of the ring and they start fighting. You know, I hate that. Like, I I I I understand that a game has to load at certain points, but when we're in an era where like a Grand Theft Auto can just dynamically stream the entire city all at once without ever having to load certain chunks of it, you know, I think wrestling games can have all the wrestlers come down to the entrance without having to load each one separately. You know, like figure that out well that's actually a good point because you could actually play a couple different cards on that because one it, it just looks better and it's it makes more sense and then two you know maybe they could do something like if you time something on the controller or like a pre right you know you could jump your opponent like if you're uh, to get right. a reaction you know there's a lot of ways you could play that one out. I, I i think i think in this this era i think you know with installing things to hard drives and, and just doing like streaming loading and stuff like that, like I think there has to be a way to do it. And and I think that what I want out of wrestling games, I mean, obviously I want the, the, the gameplay side of it, but I also want the presentation side. Like it really has to be better in that side. And to just having, having wrestlers come down to the ring in succession without loading and, and seeing the the wrestler who came out first still in the ring standing there looking at the second guy as he comes down like that really would add something to me and in, into the game um so i think it's like a lot of little things like that you know it's just like just be mindful of the little things and on a much bigger scale what i want like my dream um is i want to be able to take, especially in this era now with, with Twitch and, and streaming on our consoles and everything, I want to be able to say, I am making my wrestling federation and, and I'm setting it up online on some sort of server. Um, if, if, if you play this game and you want to be a wrestler in my, my federation, come, come apply to me and I will let you in or say no, you know. And you come in and I get these players from around this America, around the world, whatever, to, to be wrestlers in my federation. And we have set events. Like, okay, on this certain night, this is our, this is our pay-per-view, you know, who, who can be, who can be around for it, who can't. And if you can be around, you'll be on the card and maybe you'll be up for a title or whatever. And when that happens, then me as a promoter, I can stream the event. That's actually not a bad I, idea. And I can have, because we have headsets, I can have two players who log in to the 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 pay-per-view and they are the commentators. And they could literally sit there and over voice chat commentate and it's streaming to, to me as the promoter. And then that goes out through the, the video feed I'm sending out. So you have this, this virtual wrestling federation where... A, an entire pay-per-view card has been set up and the, the, the each each wrestler is an actual human being and they are making actual human choices throughout the night of what to do and what not to do. And <laughs> we have two commentators who are actually real-time commentating matches. Like, I want that kind of thing. I want the thing where you can, you know, because this, this, this isn't going to happen with football. It's not going to happen with baseball. It's not going to happen with... with 
uh, basketball or hockey, you know, like people aren't going to make their own teams and create their own leagues and broadcast their own games for that because nobody's going to care. But I don't know if you've ever seen the what is it, video game championship wrestling thing where the the guys like have just tons and tons of created characters and you can go on to like Twitch and just watch it like all day long and it has just like matches between different wrestlers. And, and then that's like CPUs playing totally randomized stuff. What is it? This is People all computer still, based. It's all it's all, it's basically like a one of the one of the more recent WWF. I uh, got again WWE really? games. Um, and they make like a bunch of like what they do. Is they make like video game. They recreate video game characters in the, in the game. So like it'll be like Mario wrestling Samus. Really you know, or or whatever. Yeah. And people would just sit and watch it and have fun. So I think if you if you had like real human beings as wrestlers in this in this virtual promotion having virtual pay per views, I absolutely think people would watch that. And and it could be fun because when you've got humans involved, they can make be be working on the storylines and stuff. Um, so I want that. Like I said, we can't. You you would never do it with other sports, but you would absolutely do it with with wrestling. And I want that kind of excitement of there are so many things now because of the internet because of streaming because of twitch because of online multiplayer and voice chat and whatever we could do so many cool things with wrestling games i want to see that kind of that that dreaming that kind of thinking bigger you know thinking bigger than just what we're having right now because what we're having right now is just is it's it's kind of like the sports curse you know it's like it's the same thing year after year and you're forced to figure out what new things we add to it and and you know, I want this kind of thing. And and to finish up, my final kind of thing is, um, and again, I, I know everything I want is really complex, but I think I want to take character creation to the next level where instead of saying, for example, okay, I'm going to give my wrestler a, uh, the pedigree as a finishing move, you know, I, I think what you do is you take every single wrestling move out there, right? And you break it into chunks. And you say... <laughs> okay, what is step one of this move, you know? What is step two of this move? What is step three of this move? Like, like, let's take the pedigree, for example, right? Hunter takes the, the his opponent and sticks the guy's head, you know, between Hunter's legs, right? You know, like face face down. So for, for Triple H, what he's doing is he's sending out the pedigree because then he, like, takes, you know, gets the two arms, lifts them up, and then drops down for the pedigree. But... That exact, that first move is also a setup for, like, say, a power bomb, right? Or a pal driver. So there are so many different common elements in, in wrestling moves. So what I say we should do is you figure out all these different kind of steps for what a move is. <coughs> and you break them up in, 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 into the chunks. And then you let the player actually reorganize those chunks to make like new moves mm. you know so you could say like okay i'm gonna take this chunk and, and it'd, be, it'd be like a logical step like obviously you can't just instantly jump from one you know like you can't be in the first step of the pedigree right. and all of a sudden the guy's like on your shoulders you know like that wouldn't make any sense but you could actually make brand new moves based on all of the kind of pre-existing... Yeah, like starting motions or key animations. Motions, yeah, animations that exist because of... Because it's a video game, not real life, you can do some things that might be kind of just dangerous in real life to do. Hmm. 
So, I, I mean, I, I want to think big. I want to think about, like, what we can do with wrestling games that, you know, <coughs> beyond just, okay, let's recreate John Cena for the 80th <laughs> time and make him look more John Cena-y, you know? Uh, I, I, I think put all that effort into a game that has no brand so that you have kind of, like, no limits, you know? And, and like, I, I think it was the... Was it the the Aki games on N sixty four, where I know you could fight men, or was it Fire Pro? I don't know, but there was like some wrestling games where you could fight men against women, you know, for example, or really super lightweights against heavyweights, and you could actually say, okay, how realistic should the physics be and stuff, you know? So like, if you have let's say AJ versus Big Show, right? Could AJ theoretically pick up? Oh right, right, yeah. They take that into consideration. Yeah, and and one one switch would be okay. Yeah, that could never actually happen in the game. Other switch would be, you know what? As long as the wrestler fighting a wrestler, no matter who they are, allow it. You know, and I think have like rules like that where you could say, how realistic do I want certain elements? You know, how realistic do I want this or that? How big do I want the ring? You know, do I want the rings bigger or smaller? Do I want the ring to be on fire the entire time? Like like, get away from the shackles of, of, of real life wrestling and go into all the fun things you could do when you give players all these different kind of options. So that's what I want. <laughs> well, I think this is what I think. I think, I think your vision is more grand. I think your vision is more progressive to the, the you know, the gaming, uh, the, the pro wrestling genre, uh, video game aspect overall it's it's a much it's a much larger vision i think a lot of them make sense i think it's very modernized uh in in the things you've broken down with the headsets getting other players involved each being able to participate uh in a different manner while the main two players are maybe comp- uh, playing against each other competitively so in that respect i think it's very smart uh and a lot of those ideas taking advantage of streaming uh you know the headset aspect it's it's very modern it's very very modern and it's very smart in that respect i guess my vision i guess i'll say two things and and it it won't be as as in depth per se i think my one of my problems is is that i'm so into professional wrestling and have watched so much that i may be such a tough customer to satisfy that the best way to satisfy me is to get away from the licensing, which is an element that you discussed earlier, no licensing. So I think the yeah. best thing for me is where I'm looking at because I'm so close to uh, having seen the wrestlers so much and how they perform and how they move that I'm, you know, I'm able to pick up on certain things I don't like easier, even though they keep you know, making advancements. So with that out of the way, I think your idea is the best for realism, uh, modern day gaming and bringing everything together with fresh new ideas. My dream wrestling game is probably more rooted in the old school or a simpler way of thinking, but at the same time rectifying issues that have been around for years. So uh, I guess my wrestling game would be a dream match, and that which, you know, if I could play uh, video game wrestling god. You know, I wish I could take the talent or the idea behind Sega's All Japan Pro Wrestling game in terms of its, 
its gameplay aspects and to refine that. And then I would probably take uh, in the collaboration the likes of like maybe Capcom, Namco, and even Tecmo to contribute maybe character designs and mm. into this non-licensed world. So I think the most important thing for me is to, that gameplay element, which I feel we've gotten a good glimpse of, but then make it more fun and have that exciting feeling in terms of uh, the character design from Capcom, Namco, and Tecmo. Oh, okay. So I, I was just, I was kind of asking, like, are you are you saying? Like, would we have the wrestling characters from all? They could do that inter- in intermixed game? with, uh, you know, intermixed with new ones for this title. But I think the point I keep driving home a million times is they've got to get the feel of it right, and they got to get the engine right. And I think taking the knowledge or the talent of what Sega had for their series, I think that would be the foundation. But then take the more hip and colorful character designs out of like what you'd see in like a Tekken or a Street Fighter or a dead or alive and put that all in a all in a blender for one complete package you know and then the other deciding factor the big thing is that they're not restricted to a a well-known license or brand so they they would get that freedom you know i i think that's the i think right. that's the big thing you know the big thing i from earlier like i said was utilizing today's technology not being restricted to the limitations of a 2d plane or not being able to compute or calculate all of the different instances or uh, situations. And, you know, once you have that built, going from there with fun and limitless character designs. You know, and I, I think, you know, for me that would be the big the big aspect. So my my thoughts are still rooted in the old school, but just refining refined gameplay. And I think yours is rooted in the future and taking full advantage of what's what's out there technologically. And you know what? I think your ideas would probably see the light of day first from the likes of a 2K and you know with the strength of today's online gaming market. Yeah, I, I just I, I don't know that I can we can count any and I think mine's more likely just because yours would require so many different companies to work together. Um, and that's that's always tough. my idea needed to happen like in the year 2000 and 2002 you know <laughs> what i mean like when the japanese development was still you know it was still big there you know the only thing holding it back then would maybe be the the computational power of the systems then but but my idea is probably more rooted in about a decade ago in terms of that becoming a reality yeah i, I think that i think on my side the unfortunate nature is i think too many people are in terms of consumers will just buy the new WWE game and that's it. Like Madden, right? right? Like no matter what people say about Madden and like, oh, Madden hasn't advanced at all. As soon as Madden comes out, people are going to go out and buy it. (laughs) So EA doesn't have a lot of reason at this point to need or want to change things. And I don't think, I think Come like 2K. I mean, no offense to them, but I don't think they need to put out a lot of effort into WWE game as long as the gameplay isn't broken. Right. You know, I mean, I think they can they can try to win back some of the fans who haven't been buying wrestling games recently. Um, but I don't think they need to like go super crazy. Like, so I feel like for my 
wants to happen, I feel like almost it would have to be just some insane indie company, you know, or 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 somebody like a Spike to be like. I mean, it, it would never come from Japan, obviously, because they wouldn't get the online stuff going. Um, but it has to be like a, a company who just is really committed to wrestling games and not we have a license and so we're going to just make the game that we need to have to sell the brand and be done with it. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's once again, I concur. But, you know, the, on the Japanese front, it's interesting because uh, they haven't, there has been like nothing coming out of them. And New Japan has had like a resurgence in Japan in recent years. They're, they're a big wrestling company. And, you know, I kind of thought maybe we'd see a new video game or something coming out that can import. And I don't know what's going on over there. You know what I mean? Like the only thing related to wrestling in Japan that I've seen was Yuke's name still loosely attached with 2K. But outside of that, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's been years since a new Fire Pro. I think they did like X or whatever on PS2. And there hasn't been a new Wrestle Kingdom game or King of Coliseum, which was kind of a successor to Fire Pro, but in 3D. Yeah, I, I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder why the Japanese scene has kind of just died. Yeah, and like I said, the, the pro wrestling product there has the last few years has really picked up again for New Japan at least. But I, So I thought maybe we'd see a video game, but I don't know. The, I will say I'll give this nerdy fact for uh, listeners. New Japan Pro Wrestling is currently owned by Bushi Road. And Bushi Road are the people behind the Yu-Gi-Oh cards and other hand and other card games. I um I I don't know if you ever saw the photos or not, but I at TGS last year they had a Bushi Road ring set up. Oh, that's right. You sent me link. You know, you sent me. Yeah, maybe it was two years ago. You did send me a couple. I saw some stuff. Maybe yeah, maybe two years ago. Yeah. So I I I was sat in the crowd and watched some of those matches because they had like the they had a card game based on that's right the Bushi Road. Yes, they have a New Japan card game now. Yeah. But uh, you going there? You going there again this year? Uh yeah yeah. I wonder if they, well their product is still doing well. They've uh, that company has now had New Japan the last three or four years. They bought it out from Yuke's. Yuke's had it last, and Yuke's prior they got it from the old New Japan staff and owners. It might have been Inoki or whatever. But anyway, I just I just don't get I don't get if you're Yuke's how you work on wrestling games for so long and still suck at them. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, no, really. I mean, I, I, I don't know. How do you do a job for that many years and not get notably better? Well, I think the only reason I'm not as harsh on them is because we've talked about some of the best of the best tonight and the worst of the worst. They're certainly not the worst of the worst. But I also see where you're coming. Oh, yeah, no. I, I also yeah, see where no, you're coming from. No. Like, to having done that craft for so long and. You know, they just still have that end that that it's just their control scheme. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I mean, it's been like that since as long as I can remember. You know what I mean? Like, that's just their that's their angle, so to speak. And I'm not I'm not saying I agree with it, but 
it's just like they've got that formula and they've never they've never changed the the wireframe the bare, the bones of that formula so they're yeah i mean i yeah i mean it's like on a personal level how do you be like i can't wait to to give the world more mediocrity this year <laughs> you know like like i mean like at some point as a, as a human being you have to be like you know what I can do better than this. We we can do better than this. We should do better. Than this. Well, at this at this scarily ungodly hour that we're in on this, and I'm just going to make a flat statement. Speaking of engines and control and all that stuff, do you know what fighting game had a pretty decent grapple engine for its time, which was not a wrestling game? Uh, I am going to. My memory of it may be totally off, but I want to say total. you got it. Yep. You got it. Tobal, you know, like to, to, like Tobal number two was a, a really, I mean that. I mean both games were really interesting and weird. Yeah, but I remember Tobal two especially. I'm like that was because there's like a dungeon crawling. That part. was a, yeah, with like over two hundred quote unlockable characters. Yeah, and you could play all these different unlockable characters, and it looked like crazy on the ps1 and it was like 60 frames yeah that was a big thing too yeah yep um like i miss i miss good square you know (laughs) i miss i miss square back when they actually such another (laughs) i mean if if if, yeah that's another podcast i mean because if you look back on square and you could be like remember just how many different games they put out how many totally new IPs? How many? I mean, not just RPGs too. They were doing like lots of crazy stuff. Do you know why I still have sympathy for them? I think, and I could just have the blinders on. I think it's because they did try all that stuff, and I know they had it in them. And I feel on one end, so, you know, all of that stuff wasn't blazing hot hits. And second of all, the other reason I have sympathy is if you think about it, with each Final Fantasy. They do try something new, and to their credit, they don't repeat the same thing every time. And I think that's been double-edged for them because people have certain expectations from certain Final Fantasies that they loved, and then there's certain things that they go back to their drawing board and change heavily, and then it works against them. And I'm not always saying it's the right decision, but that's one of the things I think they've even said in interviews is that each Final Fantasy, they kind of approach completely new but then at the same time, you've got these certain expectations from your fans of what they've experienced in the past. And I think they're in a really rough spot because it, this is a whole other show, but it's just it goes back to that thing where people want say they want change and they want something new. And then when they get it, they want what they had. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, yeah. The truth of the matter is that like a lot of uh, uh, too many gamers – they want something absolutely new and the exact same thing, both at the exact same time. You know, I mean that that's 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 the way it works. I mean, like I, I on one hand, I can't blame Activision for releasing Call of Duties that aren't much different than other Call of Duties, because the truth is, if they made it two different, people would riot. You know, and and th- there's only a certain degree to which they can really change things, and tell them they'll sell them. So it's it's uh, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? You know. Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, this is so off the top main topic, but the real quick on this is that, like, look at how different 
from Final Fantasy 10 to 11 and 12. You had 10, which is, you know, 10 was 10. The first on PS2, the new, the improved visuals, all that stuff. 11 was online only. And then 12, in my opinion, they found a way to make an MMORPG style title yep. for single player. So I mean, we've got three, in the span of three games, we have three totally, completely different things. And then which leads us to um, 13, which is a different animal. Uh, you know, the three different projects, the arc that came together. I know people weren't crazy about it, but it's like each piece was completely different. Like, what other, what other RPG out there can you think of in it that's a franchise, a series, that has been so different amongst four attempts? You know, oh, yeah. you know what I'm trying to no, say? No. And it hasn't always worked out, but it's just that thing. It's like everyone wa- – and it was, a, it was a benchmark game, but everyone wants FF7 again. Or and or six, and I'm not saying people are wrong for wanting that. I have nostalgia about games I love that I want again, but it's like, you know, that's what, what can I tell you? That's I don't know. What, I don't know what to say about that. Okay, but okay, let, let me ask you a question. Other other than something you would associate with Enix, right? Name a game Square Enix has released in the last five years that is not Final Fantasy, and it's also not Western. Well, I mean, I could be a nerd and mention some stuff, but I'm talking about what I spent money on out of my own pocket. Oh, you know what? And you know what? It is older than five years, it, so I'm I pro I can't do it. But I would I would say the last off the top of my head, the last great game that they created, which was a new IP. The world ends with you. Yeah, that's 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 been a while. I think that game just turned that's seven. Been a while. That game, I believe, came out in like summer '07, something like that. '07. So it has been a because I huh. I can't even. I can't even think. I'm trying. I got to look at a list. Cause I can't. I I cannot name the last game they've released. So this is actually Square Enix. Let's see what they've released in the last five years. Okay, no, okay, Kingdom Hearts, to be fair. Kingdom Hearts was um, not Final Fantasy. Oh, uh, yeah, well, they didn't really bring it over here. They had the, what, Bravely Default? Well, they did bring that. Yeah, that was a big one. That's Western. Theatrhythm is well, what do you, What do you mean by Western, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, like, like, th- like through Idos or you know, like. Oh, Eve, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, bravely, Tomb bravely Raider. would count, wouldn't it? Yeah, bravely, bravely yeah. would count. I mean, they, they didn't, they didn't, but eh, maybe because they didn't bring it out over. I mean, they brought, they did, they, they did in Japan, but they didn't bring it out over into America, so it half counts. Um, okay, Dragon, Dragon Guard, Dragon Guard Three is not, is not Final Fantasy. Is that that counts? Uh, that's Enix. Uh, I don't uh, Chaos Ring. I don't know if I really count that Dragon Quest. So yeah, so they, they, King, Kingdom Hearts. To be fair, Kingdom Hearts is is a non Final Fantasy. That's Final Fantasy. That's Dragon Quest. That's Western. That's Western. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I just I just feel I feel. But like you're right. I mean, there's a lot of there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of regurgitation, whether it be re-releases. Dragon Quest based games, 
you know, it's it's either Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, and then hearkening back to a couple bones here and there, but there hasn't been anything really completely new. Um, they they're not the creator, but they published uh, Army Corps of Hell on Vita, which was a totally <laughs> new and different game. Um, Chrono, oh, Chrono Trigger, yeah, they released that. Chrono Cross released that. Yeah, I just, I just. I almost feel like they're in Capcom mode right now, picking their shots. Oh, they did. uh, They released Mind Jack. That did pretty well. I forgot about that. That, that, I'm assuming that was sarcasm. Yeah, Uh, third third birthday, which which that that was a. I actually heard that was really good, and I I'm so guilty. I own it. I didn't even open it. I've heard very mixed mm. things, but I mean, like, like seriously, like I mean, aside from a couple just rare example, I mean, rare exceptions, like it's just it's just sad that like this in, almost entire list of recent years is uh, out, again outside of Western stuff because that's that's a different thing on um, from Japanese society. It's, it's it's Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts. Like, that's that's what the company is now, mm. and it makes me sad. <laughs> I mean, I could get sad about it at least, but but I mean, you have to ask yourself this. I mean, could you really imagine this day and age them taking chances on something like like Einhander, Bushido Blade, Tobal? I I still I would I love still them have too. my Bushido Blade, my original Bushido Blade copy. I st- I mean, I haven't played it in a while to be fair, but like that was such an interesting game. That was really, really was, and it was just such a unique feel. And yeah, I miss, I miss like, man, I miss that era of Square because they just did so many different things, and they actually try. But I mean, like to be fair though, I mean, like it's it's a bigger problem with the entire industry, you know. Is I and I I don't know if we hit on this last episode or not, but I'm not saying I want to go back to like the eight and sixteen bit era. I'm not I'm not saying that that necessarily, but. I miss the ability companies had to just try things, you know, because games only took like six or eight people to make them and you could just try. And if it failed, it failed and that sucked, but it didn't destroy your company if one game came out and it didn't work. You know, I mean, because just think like how many just crazy... I, like we were talking about Genesis earlier, right? Remember that was it Insector X, yeah, yeah, a shooting game where you're like a robotic bee <laughs> fighting other like robotic insects. Right. Like, who would make that these <laughs> days? That's, that's like a weird indie game, right? But a, a, a big Japanese company like released that. I mean, they just like were doing a lot of different things and seeing like what worked. Let, let me get. I'll give you a more realistic example. Something that's more widely accepted and is still considered a classic. But at the same time, could you imagine an IP like this starting from scratch today? Metal Slug. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's so many things that I, I can't imagine. This day, you know, day and age. I think, I out. think, in closing on this side topic, I think a lot of stuff is going to be dictated for Capcom and Square once. Because uh, I keep saying this, I really think they're trying to time it right. With the when they feel like they really get their first real big next gen title out, 
and that's going to really i think show them what's what's going on again like last generation i felt like they 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 were still in that mindset of like pump this up pump that up boom 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 and i think they're really waiting for their first real shot this generation and they're really going to look this time how for example like uh, whatever comes first like let's say when the new kingdom hearts or when the new final fantasy hits something of that magnitude and when capcom will just say for sake of conversation gets their first real resident evil out I think that's going to really dictate to them their focus. Like, they may not lose as much money as they did last generation by pumping out so much, but, like, I don't know how to explain it to you properly, but how that, when they get that first big bang out, they're going to really watch that more than they ever did before. Like, last generation, when they were just throwing everything against the wall, and I think that's really going to dictate a lot of stuff for those companies. And and see, it's funny because you mentioned Capcom, and I feel like Capcom, like last generation, I feel like Capcom was that that kind of. We'll just do a lot of different. They stuff. did, and unfortunately, a lot of it didn't work. Didn't seem to and, work. And and that's why, and um, and that's exactly why we're in the spot right. that we're in. But it makes me so sad because, like, I I appreciate that Capcom seemed to really try to do a bunch of different things last generation and and you know even if lost planet 3 like wasn't the game i wanted to be i i i liked it in a lot of ways and i appreciated it and i know some people hated it but i loved dmc and i i liked remember me and and i liked resident evil 6 and i liked the resident evil revelations and i liked i liked a lot of capcom stuff and unfortunately just a lot of it seemed to just not hit with players. That makes me sad because I am now afraid of, I'm really afraid of what Capcom is going to be this generation. Because I think last generation taught them not to take as many chances. I think I, I, I really hope that's not the case, but I've, I'm, I'm worried it is. Or I think if they do take a couple chances, I'm not saying it's out of, out of the question. I think it comes down once again to timing and how, how they're going to release that information and really just picking their shots. Yeah. You know what I mean? And can you blame them? No, I can't. And that's the problem. I, 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 Capcom, I can't blame. You know, yeah. I don't know. Be, because they tried a lot of different things and it did, did not pay off for them. And, you know... So they're like, okay, screw it. We'll just same thing over and over again. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm, you know, when, when, when we're, I, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. Like when we're in an era where Capcom says, oh, we don't really have enough money to release Street Fighter 4 on the new platforms. Like what has happened to life? <laughs> what, what, what has happened when, when Capcom releasing what probably now is arguably their their most famous franchise ever, you know, when 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 they they say they don't have the resources to bring that to the new consoles, like I don't I don't I don't get that. Like how how are how how have we gotten to that point? How have we as gamers let gaming get to the point? <laughs> Where Capcom can't bring Street Fighter Four to the PS4 and the Xbox One, I mean, unless that is a complete lie and they're just lying to us, right. you know, as liars. Um, if 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 there was any question up for them of like, well, we don't know if we have the money to bring our biggest franchise ever 
to the new consoles, you know, or if we don't have enough money to do Street Fighter Five, like I don't, I don't, I don't get life. Well, I'm, anyway. I, we're gonna see Street Fighter Five. I'm, I say that only because of how Ono was acting at Evo, so I'm like way confident on that. The, I think the big question about Street Fighter Five is what art direction they're gonna take. That's gonna be interesting. I, uh, my everything. I know and understand changed the moment I in, saw in person Guilty Gear. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. People, that's right. You and then I was hearing online. Yes, that's. I haven't seen it run in person, obviously, but that's that's a good point. It 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 will change you as a human being. Like you, I up to that day, I thought i knew <laughs> what 3d fighting games looked like um and i mean i sat there and i i'm i'm i comp- i keep forgetting his name you know but he he was he, the 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 series director you know he was he was sitting there and i i i sit there and i'm i'm looking at i i pick my character i'm looking at the screen and i just ignore him for like five minutes because I'm just sitting there like transfixed on what I'm seeing on 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 the monitor, and I I could not believe what they have done with that game, and it 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 changed everything for me. Like I I I think you know I mean this is what I want. I mean we we didn't mention it, but SNK has been putting out notices that make it sound like they're working on the next King of Fighters. Yeah, right? I saw that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of worried about that because I have this fear that they're going to just give up on sprites Ooh. and go 3D. Um, and I don't have the confidence that they right. will go the same route that Arc is. SNK going to Gear. date, I dare say, has yet to put out anything good in 3D. Um, I don't know, some people, some people like the Mac. Uh, let me tell you, I bought one of those. But yeah. Whew. But okay, I mean, even even gameplay aside, though, like the character models which were not good. right. Um, and I think I want everybody to go to Arc and beg Arc for an explanation of how they've done what they've done because that's what we need. Because when you see those models, you you will swear, and it's 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 like that magic trick that you see that you just don't understand. It's like you swear you are seeing a sprite. You swear no kidding, you are yeah. Seeing two D artwork. Yeah, I mean. I, 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 want, I want to talk to you after you've seen it because, like I said, I, I saw it. And even though I knew I knew how these these characters were created, like it's it's that thing where your 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 brain and your eyes like can't work together anymore because they the information they're getting or they that the information they have just contradict so much because I'm like, I am seeing this. And my eyes are seeing a 2D sprite, but my brain knows it is a 3D character model, and I don't understand what they must. I mean, they must have worked on that for to get that just right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Forever, they must have been doing trial and error on that for God knows how long. And and said I I was I was sad because I mean, Ark has been like one of the real last bastions of of 2D fighters. You know, like really good um 
well-crafted 2D fighters, but when I saw that, it's it's like it's it's like when you've been struggling with something for a long time and somebody's like just let go, you know, just just let go. Just what what happens happens. Like when I saw that, I, that was the moment I decided I could just let go. And as much as I love sprites, I I can I cannot have them anymore if that's what games mm. look like. Mm. And on that, we have officially reached five hours. That is so unreal. And we have two emails, and we are not going (laughs) to do them because it is 2 a.m. This is a five-hour show at this point, and I think we have given you enough of us. Well, how about this? Well, first off, I want to thank everyone for hanging in there. If uh, you've done so or splitting this up on your car ride, work week, what have you. Uh, I want to thank Shidoshi uh, once again for joining me. Uh, taking the time and the efforts as we now close out Generic Video Game Podcast Episode 3. And don't forget to check us out at radio.morningproject.com. Hit us up on Twitter at PicoArie at 24BitAJE. Thank you for all of the support. And uh, let us uh, give us some feedback, what you want to hear more of in the future. And until next time... Have a good one. Bye.